listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. I am here with Corey Draper. Yeah. <laughs> he got me on that one. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're here for the World Wrestling Federation Saturday Night's Main Event, the lead-up to WrestleMania Two. Yeah, neat. It feels like uh, we've basically covered, a, well, because we have covered a whole year. Yeah, I mean, we're not quite to the spring yet because this is a March show versus a May show, but it, you're right. Uh, and I also feel like we've sort of reached a milestone. We've kind of turned a corner. There's those sort of fuzzy memories of those early Saturday Night's Men events that I only ever saw once, and they were sort of elusive, and you know the highlights were there, but you know, I got to watch them, but didn't get to see them over and over again. And when we started this project, it kind of thought in my head about the time that we would get to the spring of 86. And when my really solid wrestling memories of WWF really kick in and take hold. That's fair. Yeah. I also feel that uh, when I was 15, I was taking in a lot more of the WWF and Saturday Night's Main Event. And then also Saturday morning WWF. And I made i filled in the gaps i think for everything that came beforehand you know the awa like we just made shit up you know like yeah, yeah and then this happened and but it maybe didn't happen that way as far as our awa childhood years right so i think the two key things for this saturday's main event is we t- talked about this a little bit is this this is the first one that kind of really starts to bring the tag team division to the forefront and really make tag team wrestling an important thing and jeff and i have already spent some time recording a bonus episode on 1986 tag team wrestling based around the Crockett Cup tag team tournament. And I think that, you know, that show really kind of highlighted the strength of tag team wrestling in 1986. And in my mind, you know, based on what we've covered, we really haven't seen that in the WWF yet. But here it is. You know, it's kind of finally we're going to start seeing, and especially with this episode, we're really going to try and focus on some of the other tag teams, even ones that aren't going to make it on Saturday's main event, because the the division's starting to fill out. It's starting to really beef itself up. The beefer. <laughs> Ed Leslie. Just because he's the tag team champion doesn't make him everything. But I also feel that this marks a bit of a turn in Hogan's arc. He's been so popular for the last year that he hasn't really had a strong solo storyline, I feel. I'll make the right. argument. But that changes now. Yeah. And that's the second point, is that this is the first time that Saturday Night's Man event is really used as this big angle. You know, it's not about just the show itself. The previous Saturday Night's Man event, you felt like you were watching the sort of payoff, the, the payoff of something was, the, was the show. The, yeah. This is this is the build. Right. This is the correct. hundred percent. This is the build. And so now that's where I was going. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, okay. Good. Because I was going to say, this is really where, even though Hogan's been champ for uh, over a year, mm-hmm. I think this is where he takes off because the writing gets better around him. Yeah, they put more thought into it. It's, it's more premeditated. Way more heat, you know, yeah. uh, from, from here on uh, instead of, well, I mean, I didn't want to make the point this early, but it's just like Hogan versus Villain of the Month, you know, including this one, really, but it's built. Right, yeah, and then they're trying, they're trying to get you somewhere. So, of course, this is the setup for WrestleMania 2. And even this early in the sort of, you know, iteration of WrestleMania, we can see that it's, it's its own thing. 
You know, there's commercials for WrestleMania 2, and there's no matches, you know. Bigger than Starcade. Bigger than Starcade and bigger than Starcade. So one of the interesting things with, with WrestleMania 2 is that it emanates from three different locations. And many will say that that actually hurt the show, that it kind of took away from the flow of the show, and that it kind of weakened the broadcast because they ended up bringing in strange choices for celebrities to be guest speakers and things, you know, commentators and all these kind of things. But I think one of the things you have to wrap your head around is that in 1983, we had Starcade. So, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions with the help of some other territories and, of course, Dusty Rhodes in Florida brings you Starcade. In 1984, they follow that up. Both of those shows take place in Greensboro. In 1985, McMahon outdoes them all and brings us WrestleMania. And then that Thanksgiving, we get Starcade 85, which comes from two locations, Greensboro and Atlanta. And many will say that Star- uh, WrestleMania 2 was Vince McMahon's way of saying, you can go from two, I can go from three. <laughs> you know, like Right. So the fans at any one of those venues had to watch two-thirds of the match yeah. on a TV screen. Whereas I went to the Winnipeg Arena and watched all three, <laughs> uh, everything, all of it, on a giant screen. Wow, yeah. I went by myself. Like, I was like that, for me, I was that big a fan. That, like, I oh don't my care. God, I'm I just wish, going. I, and wish. I was old enough, so I just uh, got on the just, bus. Just a video rental for me. Yeah, well, I went on my own, and uh, because I... Um, didn't do that for WrestleMania 3, but WrestleMania 2, I went and watched it on my own. Wow, yeah, I, I, I wish I could say that I had taken it in that way. But the other important thing around this time frame is this is the rollover of Jeff and I's wrestling world. This is, you know, we're talking January to March, the beginning of March of 1986. Well, in January, I think it's 18th. I don't have the number in front of me, but I'm going to call that the date. We see the last episode of All-Star Wrestling uh, for the AWA in Winnipeg. And we lose connection with that, with that, you know, organization, with that wrestling, with those wrestlers, and that's when our focus completely—they already had our attention, but now it's 100% devoted to WWF because we didn't have, you know, we didn't have the AWA anymore. That that was taken away from us. So this is that time period where all of my attention severely focuses on WWF. And you know, as a kid, I don't understand these things. What the whys, the hows. I don't know why something's on my TV or isn't on my TV. I just know I'm looking for wrestling, and WWF fills that that gap, that void. There are certain things in a childhood, divorce, loss of wrestling, a pet passing, you know, <laughs> that just, you can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. you feel it. Write us at <laughs> Legendary. You lose, your, us, you lose your nana, and you lose the AWA. <laughs> tell us. We are your therapists. Email <laughs> us and tell us your stories of loss and <laughs> yes. recovery. Um, <laughs> Legendary but, Wrestling Obsession at gmail.com. We will be your online wrestling therapists. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, folks, do email us and share your stories. Um, that's right. I mean, everything changed. Somehow, wrestling mags helped me, especially the good ones, like they were Bill After was involved. They helped me to keep wrestling in my life, but it was a loss when the AWA went away. We sure got almost everybody you know, back in some form or another, uh, as far as... Yeah, mostly. Yeah, I mean, announcers, <laughs> commentators, <Yeah>. managers, <laughs> wrestlers, and I don't... Did, did Greg Gagne eventually get on the backstage payroll? Uh, only for WCW. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah for sure. Uh, so, you know, that's where we're at. We're at this ch- this transition point, this changeover, this rollover of reality, and and we're rushing into, like, WrestleMania 2, and that's what this Saturday Night's Main event is all about setting up. 
But before we get into like, you know, the lead up to the show and all the matches and everything we normally do, got to take a second to like just really give a, a sneaky shout out to OSW Review. Now, Jeff has a show that he likes, you know, that it's really been a big part of kind of helping to get him interested in wrestling again before we started this podcast and kind of, you know, I had my show, The Lapsed Fan. And certainly we've, you know, reached out and talked about The Lapsed Fan and interacted a bit with them. And that's been great. But I had no idea when I gave just a simple thank you, you know, sort of shout out, like, you know, recognition to SW, what that was going to lead to. Because, you know, we're we're a new show. We have a small, you know, we're admittedly small audience. We don't have this built-in network of, you know, tens of thousands of people. So just by, you know, giving a shout out to the OSW review, suddenly our, you know, our tweet about our AWA Starcade show was, you know, seen by thousands of people that would never see it. And I was like really, you know, shocked and pleased of how that works. You know, I'm a bit naive to this whole thing. Well, it was cool that uh, they acknowledged us. So, um, yeah, the big shots of uh, wrestling podcast and guys that I admire, and and uh, they've got hours of entertainment uh, on YouTube, and uh, it's really cool to see that um, the passion for wrestling, especially. I mean, if it if it weren't for the fact that we all enjoy the same characters, you know, then. Uh, we probably wouldn't be able to connect if they were talking about all these names. It wouldn't mean anything. That, that I didn't know wouldn't mean anything. And yet, we have this connection. And if we went and met these guys in the pub, and wouldn't that be awesome? We could talk for hours about wrestling, you know. Yeah, even, just the common bond of wrestling. Yeah. And then brings we, us all together. Exactly. But then you'd get to learn so many other things about what it's like to be, you know, a kid in Ireland and then we could tell them about, you know, being a kid experience. In, yeah. And, and how, you know, yeah. Anyway. So thank you very much to the very cool trio. Oh, at, at OSW. And, uh, I, what's so awesome is the animation that their fans will send them. Like I, I, <laughs> I right, love yeah. watching the cartoons that, uh, they either hire people to do or that, you know, the fans do for them and, uh, they're having a blast and, and we're having a good time here as well. So thank you for tuning in. And thank Absolutely. you, thank you to Old School Wrestling Review. So that brings a, a good spot for me to throw this in. You know, if you're on Twitter, uh, you know, do us a favor and give give us a follow to our account at L E G W R E Obsession. So that's capital L E G capital W R E capital O B S E S S I O N. And then that way you can see the posts about when our shows are coming out. You can interact with us because really, you know, if there aren't other people helping to look at these posts, they don't get seen by anybody. So, you know, without the magic of hashtags and adding somebody and you can't do that every week because you become a, you know, that's not the point of trying to interact with another group like OSW isn't to uh, leech off of their fans as much as we would like to get our product in front of them. That's not what it's about. But so, yeah, if you're on Twitter, give us a follow. That'd be very helpful. One last thing I wanted to touch on before we get into our, uh, you know, into our matches and interviews for the week. And that's just the idea of like finishers. So I've thought about this a little bit and we've done a bunch of shows here and I'm just going to use one person as an example. Cowboy Bob Orton. We have seen him in several matches over the different shows we've done. And all of these matches, we've never seen a superplex. You know, if you weren't watching syndicated, you know, Saturday morning TV against jobbers, that's when you got to see the pile driver. That's when you got to see the superplex. That's when you got to see the finishing maneuver. In the actual big matches, they very rarely come out. In today's wrestling, they're in every single match. Nobody doesn't ever not do their move in several moves in every match. And it's like, again, it's that idea that like there's these moves are special. And like, you know, you don't get to see them all the time. And when they do come out, they're so, that's what made it so important and so great. 
And so modern wrestling could like learn a thing or two from like, you know, don't overdo it. Don't give us, you know, 150 finishers every match. Give us one and make it count. Absolutely. Now, I do have to mark the exception, which was when I saw Dusty do a DDT in the 80s, I was like, no, 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 no. You don't do that. If you don't pin him one, two, three right now, that's you're right. a fraud. Leave that, you leave that move alone. They're all, I think, some war games or something. They're all borrowing heavily. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I object to that. Absolutely. But it is interesting that, you know, we could go this many this many matches, this many shows, and think about it. Like, you know, we've done all these Hogan matches. We've only seen a couple of leg drops. It's not like he's leg dropping everybody. You know, it doesn't come out every time. He's winning off of clotheslines. He's winning off of different, you know, a freaking roll-up. He's rolling up Bob Burton from behind. You know, it's like, it's a different presentation, but it makes you want and, like, crave to see the big, the big moment, the big finish. Yeah, well, we will get some finishers on this week's episode. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's get to it. So, it's WrestleMania season, and that means it's time we need the celebrity interaction. And Vince McMahon decides it's time to go back to the well. What worked so well in WrestleMania 1, he decides it's time to do it again. And we're going to ratchet up that Roddy Piper versus Mr. T-Heat. And this is done through completely exclusively through interview segments, Piper's Pits, Body Shops, and segments like that without Mr. T ever stepping foot on a show or in a ring that I could find. You know, he's he doesn't come until the, like, you know, right until they get to WrestleMania 2, but they do a few a couple of months, two, three months lead up by using other wrestlers and other people sort of as the stand-in for Mr. T. And, you know, that's where all this heat is going to get built. So we're going to have a lot of that. We've got an important intercontinental title match coming up. We've got a lot of stuff, and then we're going to see some tag teams. So here we go. So Macho Man has had title shots at Tito Santana and Hulk Hogan already, uh, which has been noted. This is all part of his uh, draft pick. He's well into his whole storyline now. <laughs> he's he's been around for um, you know almost a year, I guess, and uh, he's has he now has another shot at the Intercontinental title held by Tito Santana. So they're going to Boston. And Mean Gene is there interviewing Macho Man, and they're talking about you know famous athletes who played in Boston, and he mentions Larry Bird and Bobby Orr, and you'll see the banners hanging from the rafters later <laughs> for the multiple NHL Stanley Cup championships for the Bruins. Anyway, but Macho Man's not having it. He says, I'm the number one athlete in the world. Yeah, never mind Larry Bird, Bobby Orr, and uh, he's having a good time. Elizabeth gets called in, and of course, Mean Gene, you know, he turns all these, he's smitten, and he says, like, Hi, Liz. <laughs> mm, you guys got a conversation going on there. And me and she's like, hey, no. Um, anyway, then just as Macho Man starts to build a little heat, in comes the Miami Vice soundtrack, and you can't even hear what he's saying anymore. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I find a lot of these clips, they sort of seem to like, they end early or something. They, they cut out, yeah. whoever's, whoever's posted them has cut it off before it's even actually over. The power of the sound editor, you yeah, know, yeah. where I am. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty quick. And they go right into uh, nominations for the Slammy <laughs> yeah, Awards, right. which really is just an excuse to play the first 30 seconds of Land of a Thousand Dances again. <laughs> That's right. Because they explain that every wrestler in the video is nominated for... Best personality at the Slammies. <laughs> the Slammies, which will later be made famous by Owen Hart. Of course. So that's another very quick bit. But, um, you know, the Slammies are going to a feature fixture on the WWE entertainment landscape. That's right. 
So we have Piper's Pit. Now, it's not really all that important to Saturday's main event, but it does create an iconic moment that I'd never seen. And I, uh, you know, I never knew, I'd never seen the whole show. I'd just seen this one moment. And it's like when you do late down the road, when Piper's doing his, you know, initial farewell tour and they do the, I did it my way video. And of course it's, you know, you see this moment. So we'll just quickly cover it. So they have the fabulous Moolah on as the woman's champion. And she's got her dollar sign glasses on. And Piper basically is just complimenting her the whole time and it's a little bit unlike a normal piper's pit because there's no there's no picking at the person there's no making fun of them it's basically him just declaring her the greatest woman's wrestler of all time and her the prettiest wrestler of all time which is uh you know given all the female wrestlers out there a little bit uh difficult to believe but hey to each his own so every time moolah tries to speak the crowd is like hot and like you can't even hear it's great like they they managed to time it perfectly where like she can't get a word in because the crowd's just so loud so finally on about her third attempt she finally gets some words out and really, Piper says that Hogan's been asking her for a date. <laughs> so she says, no, she'll say no to that date to, to Hogan. And Zerati gives her special congrats, and they move the table, and they make a big show of it, and he takes her glasses off, and then he gives her this big dip and this big smooch. She gives her this big makeout session, and that's the moment I'm talking about that, like, you know, is on all the Piper videos is Roddy Piper making out with the fabulous moolah on Piper's Pit. I remember it. <laughs> And they go right into that from there to commercial for this January 11th Boston show, which is something that's pretty important. And we get an interview with Mean Gene and the Junkyard Dog. Well, Junkyard Dog is always a little hard because he likes to talk down there. <laughs> so it's hard to hear. And this is a really short one as well. So uh, not much happens. JYD's got a stylish leather cap and some gold, got a bit of bling, so he's not exactly ready to step in the ring. But there's no Corporal Kirshner, who is really actually the angle here. JYD is, is you know, doing his... Backup. <laughs> yeah, which is his specialty. We, we talked before how, unfortunately, they didn't really give JYD a great storyline. You know, they had him... Uh, right there to use, but they they moved him around a lot. Always his backup, and and here he is back up here as well. So he the interview is so short, I can't really think of what he just says. <laughs> you know, right. going to get him. Nah, I'm going to get him. Yeah, yeah. And but no Corporal Kirchner. And then we move on to uh, it, it, they're setting up a match. So it's going to be the former tag team champs Shiki Baby and Volkovs, still managed by Classy Freddie Blassie. <laughs> he used to go by. He used to be known as the Vampire. He used to file his oh, teeth. Wow. Yeah. And apparently, some he went to Japan, and they were so horrified when he started chewing on Riki Dozen that people who watched it on TV had heart attacks. Jesus. And on the internet, it said somebody even died because they just watching Freddie Blassie wow. chew on Ricky Do- Dozen. Is yeah, that yeah. wild? Oh, oh my. that is insane. Yeah, and I've, I've told you before how I don't know much about California wrestling. Well, Blassie was a California yeah, wrestler. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, I didn't know. Anyway, so we don't have Volkov in the interview. So presumably <laughs> Kirshner and Volkov were battling. That's while right. we have the, you know. I, this is mean Gene asked him about uh, yeah. Volkov, though? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, that's what he wants to know. He's yeah. like, where is what? Never mind. <laughs> Fred Blassie. I, unfortunately, Fred Blassie's nearing the end of his <laughs> career yeah. because he loves his one. You know, like, they bit off more than they can. Um, uh, what's it? What do you say? You, then I, uh, you put stuff in your mouth, and you, uh, I, uh, you, you know, you file your teeth, and uh, I did it to Ricky Dozen. I, I, <laughs> chew, yeah. That's my mother, isn't she beautiful? <laughs> okay, my 
My blast, he's crap, but he's awesome. So then we, uh, and then Cheeky takes over. Yeah. And of course, he has the classic Jin Min. <laughs> and it's really positive. He's like, You are an intelligent man, and uh, right. you're an Arab and intelligent Jew. All the people of Boston are very, it's very positive. It's yeah, just, yeah. Because you know, like, like, Mean Gene leads with, uh, he's not saying you're a cheater or anything like that he's right and he starts with like world champion world tag team champion oh yeah, that's right. smoke, yeah, yeah, yeah you know olympic wrestler you know i'm sure <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised he didn't throw in former bodyguard to the bodyguard to the shavaran anyway right. so chic loves gene and uh keeps it nice and positive until uh <laughs> until you know mean gene's like boston home of harvard university whatever <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he, yeah, it's a great cheeky interview promo for the uh, upcoming tag match between Kirshner and JYD and the former tag champs woke up and chic. So may as well go to the match. That's right. Okay. So uh, we have Sheik and Volkov in the ring, and the Iranian flag is waving, and Volkov sings the Russian national anthem, <laughs> which Hulk Hogan is, cannot keep a promise. Do not trust this man. <laughs> Unfortunately, we do not get any Queen, the awesome JYD entrance music that I prefer. We get Grab Them Cakes for yeah, both well, Kirshner and JYD. Point, at some point, they must have started actually using Grab Them Cakes because once they've got the wrestling album out, you got to think that they actually started playing it in the, in the uh, arenas, yeah, well, but we're not sure when that is. Well, it's... You can. This doesn't sound doctored, so they're using it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Corporal Kirshner is waving old glory. At this point, Jesse takes a dig at the traditional rivalry between Army and Navy, which I didn't really know much about. But Jesse lays down a sick burn. He says to Grilly, you know what the difference is between the Army and the Navy, Gorilla? No, Jess, I don't. All right. In the Navy, you need a high school diploma to get in. Oh. And, of course, Jesse Ventura was a Navy SEAL. That's right. The, the predecessor to a Navy SEAL. But, yeah. yes. Like, they weren't called that yet. But he, but that's what that division became or something. So there's oh, always the technicality okay. of, like, yeah. Right. Very well. Sheik and Corporal Kirshner start the match. We get ourselves a beautiful kind of sort of a gut wrench suplex, but not quite. It's sort of a cheeky suplex on Corporal Kirshner, which is great. Yeah. And uh, we have... Volkov is berating the crowd at one point. He kind of goes more to the center of the apron instead of the uh, tag rope position. And Kirshner bounces off the opposite ropes and gives him a big smack from behind, which makes Jesse Ventura pretty mad. What a cheap shot by Corporal Kirshner. Typical army behavior. Actually, I kind of thought like he he mentions like a specific division, and I was like, "Yikes, Jesse!" You like, I'm not surprised these cheating tactics from the 109th Airborne or something. Okay, right. Yeah, I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> those guys will like write them up." You fucking Navy SEAL. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the faces start to get the upper hand, and uh, you get Sheik actually stunned and looking for a tag in the wrong corner, which just earns him another <laughs> pop in the head. Or, then we get the two big men showing down. We get JYD versus Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> and we get some punches and headbutts from JYD to get the advantage over Volkov. And they start wearing down his arm. 
faces tag Corporal Kirshner continues to wear on the arm. But then, somehow or another, of course, the heels start beating up Kirshner. <laughs> there has to be some sneaky trick in there. I can't That's remember right. what it was. But they start working them. Crowds chanting, USA, USA. Shiki's spitting on Kirshner. Oh, jeez. Drawing some big heat. Yeah. And they're battering Corporal Kirshner. Uh, we get an abdominal stretch, which uh, I don't think I've ever seen an abdominal stretch, which doesn't end in basically a hip toss for the or, or, the, or the second guy coming in and hitting the guy to yeah. make him let go. Yeah. That's the tag team variation. Yes, you right. Know. Yes. Singles match, you just give him a hip toss when you're tired of suffering. <laughs> or actually, very rare, but the reversal into your own abdominal stretch. <laughs> wow. That sounds like some twister. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that a few times. So before long, we uh, see the setup, and then the commentators are, oh my God, it's the camel clutch. And yes, Shiki Baby lays the camel clutch on the Corporal Kirshner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the weird thing Submit is that- dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some partner, Nikolai Volkov, distracts the ref, allowing JYD to get in there and break <laughs> it up. It's like, you know, silly writing, but that's what happens. So more beatings on Corporal Kirshner to build the hot tag, and then guess what? The hot tag! Woo-hoo. Volkov, we get to the finish now. So there's a really great move that we see from Macho Man, from lots of people, but where you drape your opponent over the bottom rope, you know, center, and then you bounce off the opposite ropes and you come and you jump on their shoulder blades, driving their neck and chest into the bottom rope. It's a great, great move. Macho Man does it really well. And uh, of course, it doesn't always work, but uh, Corporal Kirshner's got this set up uh, on Iron Sheik. So he bounces off the ropes and comes in, but Nikolai's waiting for him and smacks him with a chair oh, wow. just as he lands. On the sheik, like, like is, is Volkov on the floor? Maybe, I yeah, guess? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's great. I've never seen this before. Okay, yeah. So as he's going for this kind of like splash clothesline on the bottom rope, and how come the ref doesn't see the chair shot? Well, Jy, uh, I, I forget. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> good answer. <laughs> but he doesn't, and uh, this is great because uh, you know Kirshner takes a you know basically and it's a padded chair, the ones that look right. extra dangerous, yeah. and so that clobbers Kirshner and. It leads to Shiki getting on top of Corporal Kirshner for the one, two, three. Wow. So um, pretty good match. You know, yeah. uh, I just wish that uh, um, JYD had his own storyline and was drawing some proper heat. Yeah, you know, he seems like he's he's Hogan's buddy. He comes in and helps. He's Steamboat's buddy. He comes in and helps. He's Tito's buddy. He comes in and helps. But it's like, where's JYD's own story? And I mean, yeah. he has them. He's got these house show matches that are his own feuds. Obviously, he had a big feud with Terry Funk and other people. But it just doesn't really feel like when it's when the lights are on, when the when it's the big time. That's when it's like you know he he plays sidekick. Yeah, it was very clear that like, oh, if you can get past JYD, you'll get a title shot. And that's like <laughs> an esteemed position for sure. But, you know, I don't remember feeling really committed to any JYD angle. Yeah, yeah, you, you wanted to, it to be bigger than it was. So this January 11th card in Boston is a really important uh, card. I tried to find one other piece of business here, which is that on syndicated TV, Tito Santana appears on Jesse Ventura's The Body Shop to talk about his upcoming title defense against Randy Savage in Boston. Now, unfortunately, I could not find the clip, no matter how hard I tried. And I couldn't find the syndicated show that it aired on, because sometimes you can find it that way. You know, it's part of a bigger show. So, unfortunately, unable to find Tito really talking about this. I was able to find there was a big title defense two days earlier, and Tito had title defense in Toronto against Jesse Ventura. It was a big rematch from the show, that the match that we had reviewed, you know, a couple of episodes ago on the last Siren's Man event lead-up, where Jesse and, and 
Tito had this great intercontinental title match that ended with them diving at the belt and just, <laughs> just Tito kicking them. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it was. I wonder if that was in Boston. There's uh, that there's one a, was. I think that one was in Boston. Yeah, mm, but this uh, one's gonna be in Toronto. This, now, this, yeah, this I'm match. I'm kind of like always interested about these Toronto shows because they they just do big numbers and they're like yeah. the, like the big event. You know, it's like it's almost like a WrestleMania. You know, the yeah, big yeah. Event. The, Toronto was so hot, uh, so hot a market for you know for wrestling for WWF especially in that era that they knew they could draw, always draw these big houses, whether it be at Maple Leaf Gardens or, you know, like Jeff alluded to, the big event out at CN, in the future CN Stadium and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so I think that, unfortunately, and we've talked about this, we've complained about this, is like, you know, Tito, the disrespect of Tito continues because he doesn't get a lot of airtime. You know, he doesn't get a chance to really, like, showcase the fact that he's been the champ for quite a while and he doesn't get, we don't get to see him talk about it. I spent a lot of time looking for this stuff and the only thing I can find is Macho Man interviews. I'm looking for Tito and I'm finding Macho Man. So, so we'll have to skip past that. I was hoping we'd have this set up because the next big thing is this January 11th show in Boston. And it's the same card, the same night as that tag match that Jeff just talked about. And here we are, Tito Santana with a critical title defense against Macho Man Randy Savage. This is something I saw clips of uh, as a kid because it was often you know, shown and referenced. Yeah, yeah. Moving forward, we'll, we'll see clips from this match all the time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but it is, it is sort of like the beginning of the big time for macho man. So let's get right into it. So there is a, a bit of a contrast between these two performers. Tito comes out without any music in a t-shirt and it says Ariba <laughs> Santana and macho man's got pomp and circumstance and this incredible robe so glitzy this is like they don't get any better than That's right. this robe it's blue and silver and elizabeth and he's got elizabeth and a matching <laughs> yep, beautiful yep. i mean so i don't mean the wrestler but no flair yeah, for that's Tito, right. for you know, Tito Santana. Yeah, yeah, he's he's right. It just maybe this is why. And then the spectacle of Macho Man just coming to the ring, like this is uh, what could explain why Savage is the future. Tito's there to fight. Macho Man's there to entertain and fight. Right. Yeah. So I think this probably explains why Tito was the man for the time in the last three years. And now right. they're, they're passing the torch to, to Randy Savage. Absolutely, yeah. You can't stop the momentum of a Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. So Macho Man has yellow tights. Tito has red tights. What's going on here? Red and yellow. <laughs> they're Hogan like boosters. That's right. I don't like that. Look at this. Okay, so we get into the ring, and we have collar and elbows. And actually, this is maybe the longest collar and elbow exchange they they go three times with nobody's you know gets any advantage somebody right. gets backed into the rope or something and so they're both trying to you know feel each other out and uh it's funny because they keep going back to it so savage just leaves the ring <laughs> you know, like, that's a special that yeah and he goes back in then they start to do some go behinds and they trade them no cheating yet just like you know we're three minutes in and it's like so far just like a stalemate in wrestling there hasn't been any cheating now we got Danny Davis in the ring who will be famous for other reasons going forward but um, at this time he's just straight laced that's right so after three minutes and the two wrestlers start you know giving each other the the mad dog looks and shaking their fists <laughs> Clenching their fists. Yeah, yeah. Danny Davis, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, like he's like he's like wagging his fingers and telling them stop, you know, like open fists, no punches. Because the two guys want to start punching after all the collars and elbows and all this stuff. So it's funny to see Danny Davis yeah, standing yeah, yeah. up for, you know, he's the paladin of the ring. That's right. Lawful good. We won't have any throw punches thrown under Danny Davis's watch. <laughs> that's right. So that's fun. Clean wrestling only. That's right. 
Ring of Honor, Danny Davis. <laughs> so it's really cool to have a in-depth look at this match all these years later to listen to what they're saying and then realize what I didn't get a chance to actually actually watch. So there was some fan had a bouquet of flowers. I don't know if it was a plant or oh, not. Wow. Well, this is Monsoon telling Jesse and Jesse uh, is pleased by the fact that Macho Man grabbed him and smashed him and just stomped on him and wrecked <laughs> the flowers. And Jesse's like, you know, uh, you know, like, yeah, that's what you get when you try to mess with Macho Man's woman. <laughs> and uh, and Jess and Gorilla's just like, oh, geez, Jess, you know, it costs a lot of money to go out and buy flowers these days. And it's just like, <laughs> didn't see that, but I want, yeah, that was fun, like, just to hear hear them talk about. Yeah. So Macho Man kind of like uh, hides a thumb to the eye, and so the cheating's getting going. And Tito gets mad, and you know, wants to punch. And Danny Davis, no, 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 no punching. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Macho Man's outside the ring and, and Jesse's saying, well, of course he had to hit him in the eye. Look, why would Tito be so angry? And Jesse's like, because he's notorious. He's got that fiery, you know, hot Mexican blood. <laughs> yeah. There's an interesting thing that you see. Fans want to touch the wrestlers. You know, whether yeah, it's like yeah. shake their hands or pat them on the shoulders yeah, or whatever. Come on, get up. Yeah. yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. What's really funny is to see people who get what they wish for and they're like, ew, because they get all the sweat <laughs> on their right. hands. That's funny. <laughs> but, you know, Macho Man's not sweaty yet. So he, on his second or third bail in the early phases of this match, like maybe four or five minutes in, he hops out of the ring and some. Miniature pudgy Jesse Ventura hipster guy walks up, you know, because he just happens to timing and he's like, Yeah, goes for the reverse hippie handshake. Macho Man's not interested. And then the cops are like, Get out of here, guy, because he gets really close. Like, yeah. you know, he's looking for, you know, contact, you know. And so the cops shoo him off. But it's funny because the one, you know, Macho Man, once the guy's away, Macho Man's like giving them the gears, like pointing at him and like, rah, rah, rah. I'm not shaking yeah. your hand. And then the one cop, he wants to touch Macho Man, so he's like, we got him, but he puts his hand on Macho Man, like holds him, <laughs> like pushes him back, but it's just like people want to touch the wrestlers, you know? Yeah, so yeah. fan's not allowed, but the cop's like, I, I, I get to. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, we got this Macho Man, puts his hand on him, pushes him back. So yeah, just, it's just I mean, because that's the thing is you, uh, even if you say you got to meet Tobey Maguire or Andy Garfield, you know, you still... It's that's not it, it's an actor playing Spider-Man. You can meet him and shake his hand. But, you know, you want to if you get if you have a chance to like reach out and pat Hulk Hogan on the shoulder. I mean, it's just, I guess, something about that, that it's appealing. More, so. It's yeah, it's more direct. It's more like yeah. they, they feel more like their character than some an actor. Tangible, playing real, yeah. physical. You can pat him on the shoulder. Yeah. So Tito can't keep his good guy clean cut ways he starts punching savage because he's got poked in the eye so even though danny davis has tried to stop it tito starts to uh pearl harbor because you know <laughs> gorilla monsoon's gonna mention that at least once a match we have some familiar spots the old chase and turn which uh you know where savage scurries around the apron gets in and by the time the Face follows him. Savage is waiting for him. And when the face scoots into the ring under the bottom rope, Savage is clubbing him with a double axe handle or a knee or something. So we see that classic bit. Yeah. We get Danny scolding Randy. What's really funny is like how Danny uh, Savage is so sorry. Like he keeps like telling like he's like, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And like he, he's pleading with Danny Davis. Like at one point later, he drops to his knees like, no, 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 no. It's my, my title match. Don't cost me my chance at the gold. So, uh, you know. We get beautiful Savage clothesline, the way that he drops himself down, lands on his butt, you know, for that sort extra like the impact. Feet, the feet first, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Kind of a hangman clothesline. That's right. Um, we get double axe handles. You know, Savage is now battering Tito, and he keeps cheating. 
And <laughs> Danny Davis keeps scolding him. So Savage keeps saying, please, please, I'll, I'll do better. I'll, ch- I'll change my ways. As he's raking his eyes. <laughs> give, me, give me another chance. Yeah, it's really funny because like, he does that whole, like, he's like standing and then he gets the whole quick drop to his knees. So then yeah, you, yeah. you get the percussive bump like a bump, you know, like, no, 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 no don't do it. Don't, don't, know me. don't take away my chance. Jesse explains how you can't lose the championship on a disqualification or a count out, which Ric Flair would count on for many, many years. <laughs> That's right. And uh, what's great is uh, he makes reference. He goes, Chico pulled the same trick on me, got counted out of the ring so I couldn't take the belt. That's right. Yeah, so it's an awesome Boston reference. Match, yeah. yeah, it's so great having Jesse on commentary. So Tito's kicking and punching, and we get a bunch of two counts. Like Jesse's really excited. There's like four of them in the space of three wow. minutes of like near three counts, but you get your foot on the ropes and other ways of breaking you know so that it's not the actually end of the match one kick out um you remember how savage occasionally would get kicked out and like catch air <laughs> you know, yeah, like, that's right yeah and one time he famously tries to cover yokozuna at that's a royal right. rumble that's right the and then rumble yeah and gets and then, then yokozuna kicks out and eliminates him over the top rope it's yeah. ridiculous yeah. anyway we get one of these air savage kickouts where like savage yeah. is trying to cover tito tito kicks out and suddenly Savage is on top of Danny Davis. Splat. <laughs> like, pa, dog pile on Danny. <laughs> Pretty funny. And then we get, uh, you know, Savage is, he's a limper. You, you, you know, after matches, Savage is always limping, which is very appropriate. I think this is where he picked up the flavor for it because Tito's got the figure four finisher, which he lays on and takes a long time for Savage to get out. So nice. after that, we got damage to his knee, but he does break out of it. We get a small package attempt. No, so it's another near finish. Doesn't work out. And that Santana is focused on that figure four. We're getting really close to the finish now. Um, So Savage is really selling his knees super hurt. And uh, Savage is trying to stay on the apron. So he's out on the apron and he starts fishing around in his trunks. Damn him. Yeah. And uh, But the first expedition, nobody's biting. There's nothing happening. (laughs) And... uh, Santana catches him on the ropes and brings him in by way of suplex. Yes. Ouch. And suplex. Then he, he keeps trying to work the figure four. But Savage oh, boots that was him off. Oh, suplex. Uh, well, you know, the kind of like the atomic draw. Uh, yeah, but the, there's the back suplex. Yeah. The first, there's, there's more than one. Right. So um, Savage goes on to the apron again, which is the only place he can go looking for his foreign object. He needs right. to be on the apron <laughs> for that. And uh, he gets the foreign object and he takes a swing, but it misses completely and it spins savage around so now savage is facing the crowd on the apron yes and then santana looks like he's gonna bring him in for the back suplex which you know could also be a spine to buster depending on how you feel on (laughs) on any given day or i mean an atomic drop rather anyway so we've seen this finish practice with ricky steamboat like in an earlier match even that part where he swings and misses to end up facing the wrong way exactly so Santana has him up in the air and is about to drop Savage on his back where Savage will take the, you know, the suplex, but he pops him right in the, between the eyes with a foreign object. They fall. Bang. Savage pins him for the one, two, three, and we have a new champ. Ooh, wow. Savage chucks the foreign object outside the ring. A yeah, cameraman actually kinda, picks it up. Like, I kind of have like a little bit of a yeah, memory of that, of him just scooting to throw his, you know, yeah. slide it out. That's right. Savage throws it outside the ring and a photographer picks it up. And then we have... Where's Wally Carbo? (laughs) Danny Davis shows a lot of concern for Tito. There's another minute of like him lightly slapping his face to try to wake him up. And then it's like sitting him up and like almost calling for the uh, stretcher practically. But I mean, the video cuts out before that. But Danny Davis has got about 
a, you know, a minute and a half of looking after Tito after the match is over, but uh, it is a title change. And so yeah. we, we get a, uh, and a critical one, like a, one of the most oh, yeah. important title reigns of the eighties, like for WWF, like, you know, obviously Hogan's the most important thing, but like, I don't know. Is there, is there a more important title reign in the eighties than, than Macho Man's intercontinental title run? Hard to say. And if I aside did, from Hogan, of course. Yeah. Well, for me, it certainly is, is there's no more exciting intercontinental tiding run title run, even honky and the honky meter, you know, <laughs> uh, for me, this is definitely, you know, the beginning of a Macho glory period. Like yeah, just a, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a big moment in, in wrestling and, uh, here it is, you know, right, right for us all to see it. And, those lucky people in Boston got that, and unfortunately, uh, you know, this match appeared, I think, in several ways. Like, I mean, obviously, they highlights on syndicated TV. Uh, it was part of the Coliseum release of the history of the Intercontinental title. But, I, you know, and I don't have it in front of me. Maybe I'll figure this out for the second half. I think it's also on one of, like, the best of ones or maybe one of those, like, spectacular matches or whatever. One of the other earlier. So Coliseum video would often use a match more than once. So things like... Andre and Big John Studd at WrestleMania 1 appears, I think, like five or six different times. You know, that kind of thing. Hogan and Mr. T versus Piper and Orndorff appears multiple times on Coliseum Video. So, And this is another one that kind of has a way. So sometimes, I think the first time I saw it, I only got to see like a, a truncated version, you know, maybe the last couple of minutes. And then finally, in a different release, it was actually the whole match. And then I was like, oh, wow, I got to see the whole match. So it was really neat. Yeah, I was glad to take a deeper look at and listen to all the commentary. And uh, yeah. it was certainly, now I've studied it. I'd seen it before, but yeah. now I studied it. Yeah, like I found the clip on YouTube, no problem. But it also, the actual card that this is from was on the WWE Network, the entire card. I, and that's where I went digging for I was like, oh, maybe Tito's got an interview on there, but nope. <laughs> yeah, so too bad that Tito um, didn't get the love that he deserved. And they're not a big, they're not big fans of Tito on OSW, but we'll always take you here at Legendary Wrestling That's Obsession, right. Tito. How are you back? That's right. There's a post-match interview with Gorilla and okay. and Randy's like completely slick with sweat and leaning on Elizabeth and limping, <laughs> and Jesse's there too. Nice, you know. And Gorilla, of course, he's always he's the school schoolyard ref, you know. And like, hey, you cheated, you cheated, no, didn't cheat, and all that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I had never seen that before. That was cool. Post-match, yeah, interview. I, don't, I think I haven't seen that. I would have to go back and look. I think the other really neat thing, not to get ahead of ourselves, but there in 1987, there was an amazing callback to this, you know, to this match through Danny Davis and like, you know, a, a sort of rewriting of history, but a brilliant one, you know, like they, they, they create a, they create a moment that didn't actually happen, but it was so smart to be like, you know, oh, hey, look who the ref was in this match when Macho Man cheated and stole the title so we can turn that into part of Danny Davis' story, even though it really isn't. But it's just like, it was really smart. Yeah, well, this Danny Davis turned out to be an, an able performer, and so yeah. they took him out of the ref and they put him into the ring. That's right. And we hated him, but that's <laughs> oh, what did we I hate him? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I hated like, anybody more uh, than yeah, Danny Davis. I know. You didn't get enough credit, really, <laughs> for doing his job so well. Okay, so we're gonna move ahead, and we're gonna we're gonna you know open the doors to the tag team division. So I was excited to get to watch a match I'd never seen before. So it's a syndicated TV show. Forgetting if it's primetime wrestling or which one it was, doesn't matter. So it's the Killer Bees versus the Heart Foundation. And it's interesting in this match, Jim Brunzel has a, a beard. <laughs> I was like, I don't like, I don't recall him ever having a beard, so it was sort of a, a bit of a different look. And the Heart Foundation tights aren't quite the Heart Foundation tights. Like they're the style, the, the double straps, but they don't have the. Jeff had mentioned in a previous uh, show where instead of the pink and black, they were the blue and black. But this is kind of just the black. 
but with like a little tiny maybe gray or white stripe down kind of the side. It, it really looked a little bit different, and that's for the matches we get to see them on this sh- on these shows. That seems to be what they're wearing. The uh, bees are already in the ring, and the Hart Foundation enter to no music and, you know, huge boos because they've got Jimmy Hart and his megaphone with them, so that's going to instantly draw heat. And, you know, Bret Hart's, you know, is mastering the style of, you know, looking like a jerk with his sunglasses on and <laughs> the wet hair. And, you know, just I think they just did a you know really good job of getting people to dislike them. So they get into this match. It's not a super long match, but there's lots of action in it. They start off pretty quickly. And Jim Brunzel takes an advantage with like a really solid high knee on Anvil. So there's a few different moves that lead up to this. But all of a sudden he just explodes with his high knee. And hits him really high with it and you knocks him almost out of the ring. And that was a really cool moment. And then you get some B action. So they, they wind up Anvil's arm and Jim B. Brown goes up to the second rope and does that weird little like double arm swingy like circular motion. They do an elbow, you know, elbow smash off of that. And you hear Jimmy Hart going like, come on, ref, you can't let him hold a man while he's doing a tag. He's just like, you know, just making like the most useless argument. Like it makes no sense, but it's really funny. Well, but these are, these are our high flyers tra- as close as we're going to get. That's right. Yeah. Greg's never going to come over here. So we're going right. to take, we're going to take Blair and <laughs> Blair's on his own right is worth a lot of entertainment for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And, and he was a good wrestler and, and had a pretty good run here. They do do a moment there where Brett's able to do a trip from the outside on Blair. So that's how the bad guys get the advantage is the, the, because of this trip. And so they're working on him for a while, but then the bees make a blind tag while Hart is pushed off of a headlock and goes off the ropes and he, Blair does a drop down, so Hart has to go over top of him, and there's Jim Brunzo waiting with that drop kick, like right to the face. It's so good. Is this the one where Jesse says he thinks this is the best drop kick in wrestling? I know what you're talking about, and I can't remember if this is that commentary in that okay, match. Okay, well, I, yeah. I heard Jesse say yeah, that. That's yeah. pretty wild. It's, you know, he being on the receiving end of many of Jim <laughs> Brunzo right. drop kick in the AWA. <laughs> yeah, for but sure. That's quite a claim, eh? Like, that's the best drop kick in the business. Yeah. So after this, the Hart Foundation does get back on top, and you start to get some of that Bret Hart patented offense. So like sort of the the side backbreaker, and you know some of the stuff he's he's known for doing. Russian leg sweep, yeah, Russian leg sweep, all that kind of stuff. And so the ref doesn't see the blind tag, so the the bees aren't able to get out. So they're you know they the Brunzel can't get out of the ring. And at that point, the Hart Foundation does what Demolition would use as a finisher. There's the Demolisher. So that's Anvil puts the guy over his knee, and Bret Hart comes off the second rope with an elbow smash. And but in, in their case, they're not using it as a finisher. It's just a, a punishing move. So they uh, but Brunzel kicks out of that, and Monsoon of course uses his. This could be a main event in any arena in the country. <laughs> it's patented. Literally hanging from the rafters. <laughs> right. So at one point, uh, once Blair gets back in, he reverses a corner whip, and Brett takes the sternum first smash. And it's always so fun to watch Bret Hart go into the corner like that. He's just you know, nobody can do it like him. So pardon me, that was uh, Brunzel. So you get the hot tag to Blair. And he comes in, he's nailing both guys, he's, you know, double nog knocker, all that good stuff. And he whips them into each other. Then he goes for an abdominal stretch, but it immediately falls into a pin. It's kind of a little bit different. It's like he puts him in the abdominal stretch, and then he just, like, falls backwards and rolls him up into this, like, you know, he's got them all, you know, tied Sounds up like, like a pretzel. Japanese wrestling judo <laughs> That's pin right. move. So he's got this, this pin going on, and Anvil comes in to break up the pin. And it's a strange moment. I didn't go back and watch it again. I almost need to. It looks like a botch. So Anvil runs across the ring, and to my mind, he trips. And he falls hard on the ref. Like, I think he's supposed to come in and hit Blair, but he just actually, like, destroys the ref in a way that I don't think he was supposed to. So the ref's basically knocked out. Jim Brunzel tries to get back in, but he was already all beaten up. So Anvil throws him out. So now you're getting a double team on B-Barn Blair, and they give him the heart attack clothesline. So Anvil holds him up, and Hart comes off. Finisher. Ropes and... 
clothesline, and they're giving him the boots, and and Jim Brunzel's barely able to climb into the ring, and then the ref at this point is back up, and he disqualifies the Hart Foundation for that that anvil hit on the ref. And at this point, the, the Hart Foundation just decide to leave. You know, like it's not like the the bees don't like kick kick their butts and knock them out. It's more like uh, Brunzel just crawls over to Blair, like oh stop beating him up, and the Hart Foundation just leaves. So. That's, uh, you know, oh, I, that's right, I missed that. When Jim Brunzel's on the outside, Jimmy Hart comes running up and nails him with a megaphone. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, it looks, it looks really good, too. So he looks like he's really out of it. So, yeah, that's uh, the end of the match. The Bees win by disqualification, but maybe the Hart Foundation has the last laugh because they get mm. all, the, all the beatings in. Right, well, this, these, are the, these are the days for colorful, coordinated, awesome tag teams. Yeah. And that's going to take us to a match I'd never seen before. And I've seen a lot of these matches. And this one's a bit different, so I kind of really enjoyed it. So it's my beloved British Bulldogs versus the Hart Foundation. Well, this will be quite the meal ticket going forward. Yeah. So it's a pretty long match. we got our Mel Phillips, who Terry Funk likes, loves to terrorize on, oh, the, uh, on the ring guy. announcer. Yep. Yeah. So he's on the mic announcing things. And the Bulldogs are in their light blue tights, matching tights. But upon a closer inspection you realize in some of these matches that they're not exactly the same on Davy Boy's butt it says British Bulldogs in sort of stylish lettering and on Dynamite's butt it's got sort of the outline of the bulldog like the silhouette you know ah, right so it's almost like they're wearing different variations of the same of the same thing so they are at the uh, Capitol Center it's noted and we got Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes on the call and he's sort of admitting right off the bat that he might that he thinks both tag teams are very close and equal and awesome but he you know he basically can't help but gush over his countrymen and that he's going to cheer for the British Bulldogs. This is Monsoon and Alfred Hayes. Yes, yeah. Okay. I watched another one where this guy kept getting the names wrong of the Bulldogs and and Alfred Hayes is being very discreet, you know, and like kind of agreeing. Yeah. And like when the other guy's talking and he's saying, oh, that dynamite, you know, being the uh, stalker of the two. And Alfred Hayes is just like, ah, oh, yes. And then every every now and then he would actually, if if, if Lord Alfred started a sentence, he would get yeah. it right. But if he was backing up the other guy, he would just say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yes, right. that's a Davy boy so skinny compared to <laughs> is the beefier dynamite. So we get, uh, we got Dave Hebner as the ref. So that's kind of nice. Nice little call back there. And so it starts off with Anvil and Davy boy. And Anvil starts off the match by pulling down his straps and flexing for Davy boy. <laughs> so, so Davy boy just kind of looks at the crowd and then sort of pantomimes like the big gut. You know, he starts doing like showing you using his hands like I've got like I look at my big gut kind of thing and so it's pretty funny so <laughs> Anvil doesn't like that and uh, so they're doing some of that slow sort of build you know like it's 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 quite a while from the time they come into the ring to they start wrestling I think it's a good like minute and 45 seconds of sort of just standing there Is Captain Lou around? He's not on this uh, I didn't see him in this show you see him I think in every other appearance of where we have the Bulldogs but in this one I think they're there without him and yeah so and basically, <laughs> so at one point they do a lock up and Davy Boy kind of wins the, the push off into the ropes. And as he breaks it, he gives Anvil sort of a, a rude slap to the face. <laughs> and uh, you hear him, you, you hear, uh, I think it's Jimmy Hart or Bret Hart say, you're going to pay for that turkey. <laughs> like, for the slap, it's pretty good. <laughs> so Davy Boy keeps getting the better of the Anvil and uh, ending up in it after a few different moves ends up in a big drop kick. And uh, so Bret Hart decides it's time to come in, and they do a move, and Davey Boy does this really big cross body on Hart for a pin, of course a kick out, and the commentary at this point is talking a lot about the Hart family, so they're really pushing the idea that, you know, Bret Hart comes from this great family, and this great tradition of wrestling, and has all these brothers, and you know, blah, 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 blah. The legendary Keith. That's right. The, you know, <laughs> Bruce, he's, he's <laughs> giants of the industry. 
So at one point, Davy Boy gets a victory roll, but he's too close to the ropes. Of course, that's not going to work. And then so Bret Hart bails and gets out of there. And Dynamite's, you know, he's waiting and he's waiting for Hart to get back in the ring. And there's a big stall and stuff like that. And then they get in there and they start Bret Hart and Dynamite to start going a million miles an hour, crisscrosses and stuff like that. And it's uh, just really going fast. And at one point, I think Bret Hart's trying to do like a drop kick or something. And Dynamite catches his legs and then like gives him this immediate slingshot into the corner. And it's just the timing of it and the way he takes that corner bump is just super crazy. And then Dynamite comes in with one of those vicious knee drops. And that was always the one where I'm like, the magic of wrestling. Like, I often could kind of tell how they protected each other. Yeah. Dynamite's knee drops, I never understood how he protected the guy. To me, it looked like he was just letting the full weight of his knee, like, hit the guy in the forehead. Like, it just looked so vicious. Like, and I don't know if, you know, I'd have to assume he was doing something to alleviate the, you know, because, I mean, geez, he would have, like, split guys, you know, skulls open with this stuff. It just looks so vicious. Well, do remember that the thickest, hardest bone in the human body is your skull. (laughs) That's true, yeah. But uh, we also know that Tom Billington was notoriously stiff. I mean, the Bret Hart, like, this is, you know, this is his pal. This is yeah, not a guy that he, you know. He, exactly, right? <laughs> Just imagine if you didn't like what kind of knee drop you'd got if you were, yeah, you know, somebody you didn't like. So Bret Hart just looks dead on the outside of the ring at this point. He's rolled out of the ring after this knee drop, and he legitimately looks like he's just completely unconscious. And so the Bulldogs continue to hold the advantage for a while. There is a Hart Foundation blind tag, and uh, so they use a backbreaker and they use that second rope elbow drop. So. Oh, that's what it is. So once they have the advantage for a while, Bret Hart comes back in. And this, so everyone always talks about this. If you think about a Bret Hart second rope elbow drop, it's usually the front. You know, like he lands on his knees, he's got his elbow in front of him, and he strikes like that. When Bret Hart comes off the rope with a traditional elbow drop, more like a Randy Savage elbow drop, that's when he misses. Like he takes the flat back when the guy rolls out of the way. Ah. But in this case, he hits, he, he comes off the second rope with the Randy Savage style elbow drop and hits it. So it's, it's a very rare, it's usually that was the giveaway. Like if, if he was coming off like, you know, flat back, then he was going to miss. Right. Yeah. Well, Bret <laughs> yeah. Hart versus Randy Savage years later. That was when I was like, Bret Hart is a singles wrestler? <laughs> Little did I know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so then uh, the Hart Foundation with a series of chokes on Dynam- uh, on, on Davy Boy, pardon me. They just keep getting these chokes once Davy Boy's in there, and there's a big distraction. Uh, pardon me, Davy Boy's chasing Hart on the outside, so they're choking Dynamite. So, you know, and it's like Bret Hart's choking him, and then Davy Boy starts chasing Bret Hart, so then Anvil's choking him. So it's just like this whole thing where, like, they're just choking him forever. And so Bret Hart gets this huge backdrop on on uh, Dynamite, and then they get, him, they get Anvil's in for a bear hug. And... Oh, pardon me, there was a change at that point. I'm not sure how they got the advantage on Davy Bowie once he came in. Not really important. So once he gets out of this bear hug, he's managed to just scoot through. It's really funny. He crawls, he crawls through, uh, through Anvil's legs, and Anvil's trying to, you know, reach through his own legs to grab him and can't, of course. So there's, you know, another, yet another hot tag. There's several hot tags in this match. And so Dynamite Kid comes in on fire, and it looks like there's a botch where, like, Dynamite Kid whips Anvil to the ropes, and he goes for his big clothesline. Dynamite would really, like, decapitate you with his clothesline. But Anvil, like... Uh, knocks Hart off the apron at this point it, just like you talked about where like you know Nikolai had walked like the middle of the thing same thing Bret Hart's facing the crowd on the apron in the middle of the ring so when Anvo hits the ropes he essentially hits Bret Hart and knocks Bret Hart off for a big bump but it also kind of stops Anvil's momentum so then Dynamite kind of hits him the wrong way like it doesn't look right you know like the, the clothesline ends up not looking like you know what you probably would expect so then yeah so they do that at that point he goes for a small package for two and Anvil's just begging off on his knees, just, you know, begging for begging to be, uh, you know, some, for some mercy. 
And then basically Anvil versus a whip and Hart gets the knee in. So this is how they, you know, get Dynamite down again. And they follow up with a slam on the floor on this, you know, there's no pads. So Dynamite's taking the slam on the floor. And that's the point where they do the demolisher on Dynamite Kid. And Hart does a suplex and he, on, on Dynamite and gets a two count. Dynamite Kid comes back with a sunset flip for a two. But of course, there's a kick out and he can't get out. Hitman breaks up the hot, hot tag and, ch- and, you know, they basically, the ref is chasing Brett out. So Anvil's choking the whole time. So every time they can get like the ref to like, you know, whether it's Jimmy Hart or the second wrestler, it's just like they always, the first thing they always do is go right, right to the, the hot, you know, the, like super. Yeah, so Dynamite's desperate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dynamite Kid, the heart goes for a backbreaker, but Dynamite Kid reverses it. He does like a backflip, you know, out of it, and then he gives he gives Red Heart a backbreaker. So that was a pretty neat little move. And uh, so, but he doesn't get out, and Anvil's back in. He prevents the tag, and they bring Heart back in, who's who ties up Dynamite Kid in the ropes. So now Dynamite's arms are tied up in the ropes, and Bret Hart does one of his classic moves, which is he bounces off the upper ropes, and he goes for the big drop kick, but Dynamite moves out of the way. So Bret Hart takes the top and middle rope in the crotch. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you know, that's a big Hart Foundation spot, and, like, Bret would just make, he was so good at making himself look like he just destroyed himself, like, you know, on those ropes. It's really funny. So finally you get the big tag. So Dave comes in with the drop kick and nug knocker and all this stuff, whips Hart into the ropes, and uh, gets him up for the press slam. And at this point, Anvil's coming in, so then Dave Boy just chucks Bret Hart on, on, on Anvil as he's coming in. It looks really good. And then he does a power slam on Anvil, and he goes for the pin, but the ref says it's the wrong man. So Anvil's not like, you know, Anvil's not the legal man. So Dave Boy whips Bret, sternum first in the corner, again, and uh, covers for two. And then Dave Boy whips Bret Hart, oh, he grabs Bret Hart by his hair, and he does the hair whip thing where, like, Bret Hart's sitting on his butt, and you just whip him up in the air by his head. It looks super vicious. See, they were per- they were so good at doing that. Yeah, Brett's got to grab Davey Boy. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. So that he doesn't lose his hair. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so he tags Dynamite back in at this point. And there's this huge clothesline on on Bret Hart for two, and Dynamite Kid goes to the top rope for this you know this uh, missile drop kick. It just you know looks super devastating. Dynamite had one of the best top rope drop drop kicks. So they're near the ropes for the two count, but Anvil places the leg on the rope so it can't be a pin. At this point, Dynamite does his snap suplex, which I just love. And then Anvil and Davey come in because there's a pin and they, you know, there's going to be a breakup. So they're brawling outside and Davey Boy slams Anvil into the table. And this is the weird one. Dynamite goes to whip Hart into the corner. Dynam- uh, uh, Bret Hart reverses Dynamite and Dynamite Kid takes the sternum first bump. Craziness. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> it's upside down day. That's right. So Bret goes up to the top rope, but Davey Boy comes up and gives him a nice shove. So he crotches himself on the top rope. And here we see the Dynamite Kid top rope superplex. Wow. And they sell it. Like, they're both out. They're basically both knocked out on their backs, just, right. like, out of it. And so at this point, Anvil tries to come in, and Davey chases Anvil out. But then the ref sends Davey Boy out. And while the ref is sending Davey Boy out, Anvil pulls Bret Hart on top of D- Dynamite Kid. And they get the one, two, three. And a surprise win by the, the you know, the Hart Foundation. So... Dynamite Kid does himself in with his own yeah. finisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I said, the first time, time I ever saw that move was Wrestling Classic, and that, yeah. that got him pinned too. <laughs> yeah, backfired then as well. <laughs> so it's interesting. That was because, even better, though, the way that yeah, Macho Man yeah. like hooked his leg That's right. after that. That was like amazing. Yeah. So they, you know, the, I'm looking at these results. The Bulldogs are fighting the Dream Team and getting different, you know, varied results. And they're fighting other teams and getting varied results. It's not like they're just this, you know, undis- unstoppable, like, win every single match, you know, train. They're 
pardon me, building momentum, but they're not like, you know, it's not just a, you know, we win every match. It's, there's variations of how they, you know, whether they get a pinfall win, a pinfall loss, disqualification win, disqualification loss. So they're, you know, kind of keeping things interesting. It's funny because the commentary goes on and on and on about whoever wins this match gets a title shot. <laughs> and uh, we see that's not the case. <laughs> uh, oh, right. I didn't even put that context in this. Uh, right. <laughs> So, uh, well, they're talking about a title. Well, I mean, the Bulldogs are famously going to have a title shot at WrestleMania yeah. too. So, so what do you mean? Well, they, they're trying to make it out as if this is a, somehow a number one contenders match and whoever wins this match is going to be the, you know, the next in line for but, a title shot. But doesn't, but wouldn't you say the Bulldogs become the number one contenders? Well, they definitely way? do. What I'm saying is the result of this match isn't as important as the commentators are making it out to be. Okay. I guess <laughs> it takes a lot longer is what you're saying for that. Well, they have house show title matches and stuff like that. I don't think you see any heart foundation matches against the dream team as what I'm trying to say. Okay. You know, this win doesn't get the heart foundation. Oh, of course, right. Oh, and thanks. Now I finally see because, right, I, I was like, Duh. yeah, the Bulldogs lose. Right. <laughs> That's right, they lost. So, yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, we yeah. don't get to see that heart foundation versus dream team. That's but it was what... neat to come across this match and be like, oh, I've never seen this match. You know, I've seen, you know, at one point I remember scouring the internet for Bulldog matches and there weren't very many to find. And that was years ago. And now more recently when I look, I'm like, there's so many more matches online now that I'm like, oh my God, there's... Essentially, if you can find the Heart Foundation without their pink color, he's watching it because it means it's like early Heart Foundation. You That's know? right, so like, yeah. They're blue or white or black or whatever, you know, like, yeah, yeah. check that shit out because they're still <laughs> just like getting going. Okay, so now we get to a series of Piper's Pits that are very critical for the setup of WrestleMania 2. So Piper's Pit has got a new fighter in his corner something exciting <laughs> you've never seen this before oh boy he's sitting there with the cast that used to be the Just holding it holding it yeah you know this was 90 percent of their assault force you know <laughs> to this point you know the stable includes you know it's bob orton bob orton's cast not necessarily in that order <laughs> maybe piper is second taking shots from that cast <laughs> yeah and of course, Orndorff has put on a cast recently, but now they've finally been forced and Piper is sitting there complaining like, oh, you people, you put the pressure on you and then silent, you, you, you want to see my, okay, so he's got the cast, he's got the cast has come off and the crowd's like, yeah, he's like, ha, ha, yeah, and he's fiddling with the cast. By the way, he's got a really nice dark purple kind of kilt on. I'd like to, it's so Plaid and the different clans have, you right. know, traditional kilts. And so I sometimes I just wonder, like, whose clan is that? You know, it's like, yeah. oh, that's is, our kilt. Is it super specific or is it yeah. random? So, well, I'm now seeing that, you know, he changes up the the plaid pattern on his kilts. And that's cool. Uh, you know, awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Piper's just so great. Can't get enough of him in this era. And complaining bitterly that Bob Orton has had to give up his cast. And uh, and he's also saying, yeah, you people, you're, 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 you're saying, all, all I do is punch and say, they punch too much of that. Well, they may as well put the boxing gloves on so you get what you wanted. I want to introduce my brand new protege, Boxing Bob Orton. Come out here, Bob. And <laughs> he comes up with a red velvety robe that looks definitely like, you know, something Rocky would wear. He's got the towel on his head and these huge red gloves. And so Boxing Bob comes out and, you know, they said, nobody wants to wrestle us anymore. Fine. So step into the ring. If you've had any experience in the wrestling ring, then come on out and fight us. And so uh, they have an open contract to box Bob Orton, father of Randy. And, right. uh, you know, so he, it's, uh, it's, and then the music comes in. I think this is um, owner of a lonely heart. That's right. And it, once again, we're ushered off the stage at the Oscars by the very loud 80s music. 
<laughs> and uh, it was a but Piper's great, a funny Piper's pit. So this is part one yeah. of a new angle. Yeah, it's all from one TV taping, and they do three different Piper's pits on this one TV taping, and that was the first one. But there's another one, and another one. <laughs> Two more to go. Well, boxing has been huge ever since, you know, they decided to tap into the fame of Rocky Three, where Hogan made this huge right. international impact. He was already an international star, but yeah. this just reached so many more people. For sure. Okay, on to the next segment. So the next segment of Piker's, Piper's Pit is somebody accepting the challenge that they put <laughs> out. And it's Jose Luis Rivera, a jobber from Puerto Rico. And, you know, probably the part I don't like about Piper's, Piper's Pit is what would be considered off-color now when he makes fun of people's accents, you know. So, you know, but uh, what are you going to do? You know, it doesn't ruin it for me. It's just not what, uh, I'm, I'm not digging it. But anyway. Yeah, he would have to find a different method to be rude. <laughs> These days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would be, well, you know, it would be really hard to be an insult comic today, you know, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or or like the, like the play the hostile, you know, because people are just so thin skinned, it seems, you know, compared to right, the 80s yeah. anyway. Yeah. Everything goes in the yeah, 80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It still wasn't my favorite, you know. No. Either way, you know, I my thin, maybe a skin, my thick may be thinner, but. thinner <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Anyway, we get into the ring. Boxing Bob's in the background, and the crowd wants to see, you know, if he can back it up. So we uh, actually have a second Piper's Pit because this first one's about average length. They they let him talk, Jose Luis, and he doesn't yeah. doesn't he doesn't speak very well. No, it's, yeah, and he's kind of like standing up for himself, like I think I can beat him, like you know. Yeah. He's, uh, but anyway, so uh, we come back from commercial, and we go to the ring. And uh, Piper's there, the corner man for boxing Bob Orton, and poor Jose Luis Rivera is on his own. That's right. <laughs> no corner man. Yeah. So um, they actually get 90 seconds of boxing in. And yep. believe it or not, that's a long time. You know, that's right. it, it didn't seem like 90 seconds watching it. Like it felt no, more like. Really quick. 40 seconds or something. Yeah. Mm. Right. Well, it was back and forth. They they let, you know, Jose land some shots in. Definitely, yeah. He started yeah. getting the better of them. I mean, they they kind of quite told the story in the alleged 90 seconds. Of, That's right, yeah. But this guy is a jobber, yeah. so Boxing Bob didn't have to cheat too much. I think there was something that was... Yeah, he did a couple of little cheat, but he didn't fully cheat. No. But yeah. His unsportsmanlike conduct came after the match. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, so he does eventually hit him for a, a 10 count, not a 3 it, count. It's probably one of the more enjoyable wrestling boxing matches you'll ever see like you know they're, yeah they're usually for pretty unsatisfying so this one's actually like pretty well laid out indeed i have to agree with that uh, jose does a better job than mr t <laughs> 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 but there it is part two of the boxing bob orton yeah Piper's. he finally he, there's there's times where like Bob like does things that look like wrestling punches and that's when he gets his advantage is when he kind of like throws like a wrestling style punch and that's what it seems to cling, you know, like (laughs) cleans his clock. A lot of punches thrown and landed. So it was actually good. Yeah. And as Jeff alluded to, there's this after the celebration, Rivera's starting to just come to on the ropes. He's barely not even quite up yet. I think he's laying with his head outside of the ring on the bottom rope and he's starting to come to and Bob goes over and, you know, drops the fist. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to hit up the third and probably the most important in the series of Piper's Pits in relation to WrestleMania 2. So we're back at Piper's Pit, and they're continuing the storyline of that they've got an open contract, and they're looking for someone nobody can take boxing Bob. So the crowd starts to squeal, 
as Piper's talking and you realize, and Piper finally looks off set, and it's Hulk Hogan stepping onto the set. (laughs) An uninvited guest. (laughs) There's always something about seeing Hogan and Piper on the same TV screen. So Hogan walks on and Piper says, oh, Bozo visits the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Are you trying to tell me you want to don the boxing gloves? And Hogan goes on about, he snatches the mic away and he's like, he'd love to get in the ring and, you know, box box and Bob's head and all this stuff. But he says, I'm here for a friend, a very good friend who wants a match. And Piper's like, any damn buddy can box him, blah, blah, blah. And he's still, you know, they're they're, they're very confident and cocky, didn't he, you know. You can put anyone's name down. We'll fight anybody. And, uh, of course, Hogan signs these papers and hands it off, and Piper does a great job of... He's like, you know, he can't even speak. He's so upset. And finally he's like, Mr. T! Yeah, and he's holding the contract like a jackhammer. It's just like it's moving three or four inches. (laughs) And uh, Hogan does a really bad, I pity you, fool, and he walks off the stage. And Piper's like, wait, wait, we, we don't have an open contract. We, we, we've been fooled. <laughs> As Jeff said, the, the all too loud music kicks in and uh, that's the end of it. So there you go. The setup of Mr. T is going to have a boxing match against Bob Orton. And they haven't said it yet, but that's going to take place. It's Saturday night's main event. It sure will. Okay. So the next thing we're going to see is an update on Mr. T on All-American Wrestling. So I need to go back and see what Lord Alfred Hayes was really about because, you know, he's the most British, polite. He's supposed to be a heel manager or like well, sometimes back in he's... AWA and some of his earlier parts I in his career. never saw that. Well, you would have. You just don't You don't remember. He was definitely in the AWA when we were watching like the earliest parts of it. Like he was managed like the Destroyers and stuff. Super Destroyer. I don't think I saw that. And... I came in really late, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe. Like... maybe. Maybe that's some of that stuff that I saw like 78, 79. You had a... Yeah. 20 year head start on me. <laughs> hey, come on now. <laughs> but I mean, he was certainly, he was a wrestler himself. And then, like you said, he was a heel manager. And then he became this sort of goofy Ed McMahon type character on the TNT show with Vince McMahon. And, and we, we love all of his gaffes and fo- foibles and his, his brain buster stuff. And, uh... <laughs> well, here he is giving us an update on Mr. T and he, uh, he's assuring us that Mr. T's and assures us that he's in tip top condition, ready. If the phone should <laughs> ring to jeopardize his career, skyrocketing career. In the precarious, <laughs> dangerous circle. Yeah, so, uh, and then he said, please look at this footage as he trains for WrestleMania last year. And you see Hogan and Mr. T in a kind of uh, wintry setting. Mr. T's egging on Hogan to climb the hill. It's 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 sort of yeah, like they had to... bear walking up the hill or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. And... I love Hogan's grunts. Ha, 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 ha. Hussa, hussa, Yeah. Everybody, King Tonga's got like something like that yeah, too. Yeah, hussa, yeah. Hussa, hussa, you know. <laughs> Always vocalizing. And, and Mr. T's like, come on, get up the hill. Go up, you can do it. That's what my guy, let's go, Hogan, let's go. Come on, come on. And, you know, that's, so they use and old they, footage. They almost have their like rocky moment at the top of the steps or something. Yeah. Like they get to the top platform and they, and they have a big high five. And high five <laughs> for climbing the hill. <laughs> and so yeah that's more build for wrestlemania 2 or rather that's the long term yeah they we haven't have quite let the, that cat out of the bag yet yeah but yeah i'm not even sure they've announced well actually we we did just cover the uh, contract signing for mr t is going to box boxing bob orton that's right. um and it's, we know that's going to be later in this episode i don't know if the audience knows but anyway so yeah so yeah i don't think they're quite there yet but that's, that's where they're going it's where they're going with it so we'll continue on. 
WrestleMania 2. What the world is coming to. The next segment is back at the end of a syndicated show match between the Bulldogs and some jobbers. So we come in as Davy Boy is placing a hapless opponent on the top rope, and we see the dreaded Dynamite Kid top rope superplex for the one, two, and three. Wait a minute. It actually worked? <laughs> he didn't knock himself out this time. What? This is, I, didn't, I can't believe it. Every time I've seen the Dynamite Kid do this amazing move, it backfires on him <laughs> if, he's, right. if he's wrestling anybody <laughs> of any quality. He finally he pulled it off to, to the good. <laughs> That's a two-to-one record so far. That's right. And as has happened in many cases, Piper's Pit starts before we can even see it. You can hear Piper's Pit before you can see Piper's Pit. So what we have is a Piper's Pit segment with the Dream Team, with their manager, Johnny Valiant. And they're talking about the Bulldogs while the Bulldogs are in the ring. And it, you know, it seems as if the crowd can you know, hear, the, therefore the Bulldogs and Captain Lou can hear what's going on. They're also playing up this superplex. It's a stretcher job for the, uh, the victim. He's being stretchered out from this move. Oh, Tom Bellington, you piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> you poor dummy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so they finally shift over to Piper to Piper and Orton, of course. And What kind of angle is that for faces that they're stretching out their yeah, opponent? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little bit odd, but... Yeah, um, I don't like that. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember seeing it, something like that before, but... No. Uh, Especially now that we know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't. It really doesn't go well with Tom's reputation as a bully. No, no. As a kid, you didn't think about it that way. You thought he was well, a clean, squeaky of hero. Of course, yeah. We love these guys. <laughs> so, someone in the crowd's got a uh, "woof it up" with the British bulldog sign. <laughs> Okay, love the authentic signs. Yeah. And Bruno is really selling this. He's never seen this move before. He, you know, the superplex off the top rope. He's never seen anything like it. So we get to Piper. What would he say today? He'd be exactly, like, oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, look I've at only that. seen it every single match. Yeah. <laughs> the referee's going to get on the action. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Piper, of course, uh, as he does when he has heels on, he's complimenting them and talking about how they're the greatest team <laughs> since August in Philadelphia when they won the belts. Uh, and he asked them, what about Albano? And that's when Johnny V, or pardon me, it's Brutus Beefcake that says, he eats more cheeseburgers than the whole New York Jets football team. <laughs> and look at those wimpy little puppy dogs. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, when, but sometimes when we Google the Jets here in Winnipeg, it's like they try to sell us the New York Jets. That's right. Like, yeah, here. We want the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, so uh, because they're talking about them, the Bulldogs and Captain Albano head over to the set. That's really cool about this kind of angles is it, it just seems so genuine. You yeah, know? yeah. Much better than like when you know that the opposition, you know, somebody who's got big heat with another wrestler is like just off camera watching and you kind of just know it's like it, it gets on your nerves yeah. when you're like the other guy can hear and they don't do anything. It's like, what? <laughs> For sure. So they come on set and Albano starts demanding a title shot. Uh, title, non-title, non-title, title. He doesn't care what it is. He just wants a match. And Johnny V isn't having it. He's like, well, tell me who you beat. Who have you wrestled? He, <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. Well, we just stretched that jobber, baby. Exactly. You see that? We got a stretch on exactly. the. We took that jobber. Brooklyn brawler. He's on a stretcher, so baby. Piper steps in and he's like, well, why don't we do it next week? And Johnny V says he needs to think it, think it over. And at this point, he, for some reason, kind of touches Captain Lou's face. So Lou Bano gives him a slap. And then the Dream Team and the Bulldogs step to each other, but they don't actually throw any punches. And eventually, all of the Dream Team and Piper and Orton all retreat. <laughs> so the five of them retreat from the three <laughs> the three faces. Mm, and, that's a bit suspect. Yeah, exactly. And 
that's the end of the segment. <laughs> Not that it's important, but we head back to Mean Gene and one of his update segment things. And for some reason, he's wearing a Dr. Ruth headband. Mean Gene's got a Dr. Ruth headband? <laughs> I have no idea what the reference now, was. You mean so it's actually printed Dr. Yeah, Ruth? Yeah, it's like a really cheap made, like homemade kind of style, like just white band over across his forehead that just has like in black marker, like Dr. Ruth. Oh, right. Remember the guy from the Chicago Bears, the uh, quarterback? He got in trouble for wearing headbands under his helmet that advertised. And he was breaking oh. rules. Oh, wow. And so there was, he was the bad boy of the Chicago Bears. I think actually his name could have been McMahon, actually. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Jim McMahon might have been. Yeah. So, I was into football, but not that into it. So yeah, it could be Yeah, but this there, is but... the Super Bowl Shuffle, baby. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that know, year. <laughs> I, I think, anyway, not that well, neither am ha- I. They haven't won yet. <laughs> ah. <laughs> or no, they wouldn't. Uh, it'd be, it'd, it's questionable. It's like the Super Bowl's in February, end of January. Yeah, February. Yeah, they wouldn't have won yet. <laughs> Somebody was pretty smart marketing that team you know yeah. what I mean what a what a group of promoters and advertising like how they didn't they had a G.I. Joe figure for God's <laughs> sake you know, like Sergeant Slaughter yeah, yeah one wrestler who broke into G.I. Joe and then <laughs> William Refrigerator Perry so we could have wrestling yeah. matches between you know Sergeant Slaughter could take on well like we won't go. We went down this before, but that angle before. But yeah. the Chicago Bears is what we're talking about. For and, sure, for sure. And um, the headband could have been a reference to McMahon. I think maybe Mean Gene, okay, Doctor so Root. But that is, is that. really weird. Like yeah. the, the, for those of you who don't know, but most of you will if you're listening to this show. She's like the psychologist who broke a bunch of barriers by talking about sex and trying to make people feel comfortable talking about sex. And um, so that's really bizarre. And, and I think also the, you know her stature and her her her. Let's say age and and her look. Like she didn't look like somebody he'd be talking about sex. It wasn't like, you know, she was... So that's sort of the two and the crazy accents you had also had that's that. Right, the, yeah, the very strong accent. Good sex is very important. <laughs> so that's really bizarre. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff are kind of bouncing around. We're a little bit out of order and stuff because it gets recorded on one date, airs on a different date. So you know some of this stuff we're just trying to keep together because of what you know syncs together. So um, on February second, there's a Superstars of Wrestling, and this match goes down. The British Bulldogs finally get title shot against the dream team pardon me they finally get their shot and it's funny to say they finally get their shot because they've wrestled them several times we've seen on house show matches but this is an important match it's a non-title match very important uh and the champs are, are you know in the ring first and the bulldogs are coming out with albano and they're in their red tights so they're in the you know the same version of the blue but the red version and it's mcmahon and bruno on the call and again, there's a bit of a slow build, like when like the Heart Foundation match, the Bulldogs get in the ring, and there's a lot of sort of standing in your corner, staring at each other, ref checking the wrestlers, you know, about a minute and a half of that kind of stuff. Let me see those ankles. <laughs> so we get Valentine and Dynamite Kid starting, and Dynamite Kid's avoiding Hammer's attacks. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to hit him and stuff, and he's, he's ducking and weaving, and finally he catches a boot of Valentine and gives him a nice spin, and, and the uh, atomic drop that comes from that. And uh, Dynamite Kid is pushed off and goes over uh, a drop down and picks up speed for this huge shoulder tackle. He runs through Valentine like he's a semi-truck, you know, dynamite. And, and I mean, Valentine's a thick guy, you know. Like. Yeah, that's good because sometimes you'll hear matches and they keep saying, Dynamite's the smaller of the two. And then, you know, depending on who they're wrestling, they're like, well, Dynamite's the smallest guy in there, even though he's just, you know, got this <laughs> yeah, yeah. great physique. Yeah, and I mean, especially at this point, like, Davy Boy hasn't a hunt, he's, 
thick, but he hasn't really started to have that really big bulk up because there's a time when Davy Boy starts getting thicker and Dynamite, because of his injury, starts getting thinner. That's when you really get the disparity of, like, Dynam- Davy Boy's way bigger than Dynamite. But, I mean, he's only slightly taller than Dynam- Dynamite. They're really quite similar in size, their shoulders and their arms and their chest, you know, all that stuff. But, of course, we know Davy Boy would puff up quite a bit. Thanks to steroids and other things. So, yeah, so he knocks him over with this huge shoulder tackle, and, like, Hammer's, like, partially out of the ring. He's really, like, you know, selling it good. So Greg gets up and limps away, and but he does get an advantage with some strikes, and he does a body slam, and he tags in Brutus, who lands, uh, you know, strikes and a leg drop. And he tries to cut off the ring, but Davey gets tagged in, so he's got Dynamite in the, in the front face lock, but Dynamite just pushes him through, even though he's trying to stop him, and gets Davey Way tagged in. And this is where they go immediately to a really famous Davy Boy and Brutus Beefcake spot, which is the Davy Boy winds up the arm and then locks that elbow. And if you look, you'll see Davy Boy pretty much puts his his second hand. He's got him like in a you know wrist lock or whatever you want to call it, and then he puts his second hand above like the high part of his th- of his back of his bicep, almost in his armpit. The tricep, sort of. Yeah, tricep. And he lifts Brutus Beefcake straight in the air with that arm completely like straight straightened out. It looks like he's going to dislocate his you know elbow or his shoulder or something. I can picture it. It's a great spot. Yeah, they've done it several times. So he lifts him once, and then the second time he lifts him, he actually does it like a flip. He like flips Brutus all the way over top of himself like a slam. <laughs> you know, like he lifts him and slams him with his arm lock. So that's uh, something we're going to see in you know basically any... Uh, beefcake Valentine match against the Bulldogs. You're going to see Davy Boy sending Bruce Beefcake to the rafters, you know, by his arm and stuff like that. It's pretty great. So immediately uh, after that, it, the Dream Team does manage a tag and a back elbow off the ropes, gets the advantage. Hammer uses kicks to set up the figure four. And this is where Dynamite comes in with just this amazing leg drop. So he comes in from the side of the ring where Davy Boy's on. So he runs and jumps over Davy Boy in the air, <laughs> you know, like in the in the leg drop position. Oh, wow. And then like lands perfectly on, on Hammer to break it up. And this is where you're missing Jesse because like, you know, Bruno and McMahon are basically, you know, like almost cheering <laughs> this, this you know, outcome. Whereas Jesse would have been, you know, so outraged. <laughs> yeah, not doesn't sound like the dream team on the mic. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, they did a lot of time together, McMahon and Bruno as a syndicated, uh, mm. you know, talk talk show companion there. But uh, so yeah, he breaks up the figure four, which is you know pretty awesome. Valentine crawls to his corner, Davy Boy crawls to his corner. They both get a tag, and it's funny because Beefcake gets in the ring and he literally steps in the ring and into being cradled into a side backbreaker. <laughs> you know, like it's really funny because he doesn't take a punch or a kick or anything. He just like steps in the ring and gets you know gets put in a backbreaker. Ouch. Yeah. So from there, there's a whip for this big clothesline, but Brutus kind of flubs it. He like uh, he he doesn't take the shot properly and he kind of bounces off to the side instead of going down the way he should and then he goes down it's kind of like a delay so it doesn't look as good as dynamites uh, usually do dynamite from there gives brutus the snap suplex and then greg breaks up that pin with an elbow drop so davy boy gets tagged back in right away and he takes brutus up on his on his shoulder and he picks him up for the davy boy power slam like we're we're going quick here they're just you know this isn't a long match and so davy boy just plants brutus in the middle of the ring he's going for the one two and valentine steps in and we see the patented British Bulldogs finishing maneuver. I think, Jeff, you're going to be quite familiar with it. So Valentine comes in and Davy Boy stands up out of the pin and catches him in a fireman's carry and then takes him over to his corner. And from there, Dynamite, he tags Dynamite, who goes up to the top rope, and then he uses Valentine's back as like a little extra landing launching pad. And he jumps up onto Valentine's back and then off of there for the giant headbutt. And then the one... The two, and Davy Boy slams Valentine down off of his shoulders and runs across the ring and nails Johnny uh, Valiant, who's come into the ring to try and break up the spin. So Dynamite gets the three count. 
and the, the Bulldogs get their, you know, much-needed win to secure the actual title shot that's going to come down the road. Beautiful. Well, you know, these matches are among my favorite memories of wrestling. Bulldogs versus the Dream Team, because I didn't get a very good look at the Bulldogs from Stampede. Yeah. Like, I know that you did. And so this was blowing my mind. Yeah, so this whole, this Saturday night's main event, which of course is going to have a match between the Dream Team and the Bulldogs, I always called it sort of like the lost match. You know, I saw it that night that this aired, and I never saw it again until, you know, you know only several years ago, and all this time went by. This particular match, this non-title match, this is literally like, I'd never seen anything other than the clip they show on Saturday night's main event. So to, even though it's only four and a half minutes or whatever it is, it's like, it was just, you know... It was so thrilling to finally get to see this this match they showed me on TV. This, they, they, show, they only showed you that very end. All you saw was David Wade power slam and then pick up Valentine and boom, boom, finish. Right. So I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And just great to see the Bulldogs land all their great offense, but also just finish it, you know, like. <laughs> very rare. Exactly. Okay. From there, we are going to take ourselves to a body shop with Jesse Ventura and his guests, the Macho Man Randy Savage and the Miss Elizabeth. So on the body shop, we're continuing the storyline of Macho Man and the body teaming up, which now here's the dream team, I tell you. <laughs> Hogan Andre, step aside. Beefcake Valentine, one one side, please, please. And Bundy and Stud, not you either. <laughs> nope, none of them. Even I won't even Bachwinkle and Gagne, two sleeper geniuses. <laughs> Forget it. The dream team for me is Jesse the Body Ventura and Randy Macho Man Savage. So we covered Randy wrestling Tony Atlas. And okay, wait, actually, that's probably not relevant. Did we do a match yet yep, where we, we did, did. We did the tag match with Tony okay. Atlas? Uh, okay, so yeah, Tony Tito. and Tito. Okay, yeah. versus Randy and, and Jesse. Okay, so we have covered it. Good. And it was great fun. So they're at it again. And this is ostensibly an interview where Jesse's got Macho Man on. And Macho Man is not the champ, but he's got a shirt on that says, I'm the champ, but he hasn't got the gold yet. <laughs> and they get interrupted by Tito Santana, who has to take his glasses off to look threatening because he's <laughs> in his street right. clothes. So like he's like the really, That's you right. know, very physically fit high school principal who's like super intimidating, <laughs> but, you know, respectable looking. And yeah. And, and JYD's with him, you know, just smiling and nodding and, you know, being the backup guy, which is his role, unfortunately. You know, That's right. somebody should have blinded JYD and then we would have had some heat. <laughs> exactly. Could have sold out a Superdome. That's right. Jimmy Hart, blind him. And then, you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay, so back to this. Uh, so they, yeah, these, and, and they take over and, and Macho Man has to like climb over like uh, an exercise bench and, and a set of uh, dumb uh, barbells, oh, right? right? So, yeah, yes. just to get away from uh, Tito. And it was great fun. And actually, Jesse does a great job because, you know, when heels and faces confront each other, you know, if they th start throwing punches right away, you know, I mean, that's one thing. That's one way to go about it. Yep. But it's also good detention. Exactly. So Jesse's, you know, he's like, I'm a good sport. What do you got to say? Yeah, and he'll, no. and he'll Hold on, you're on my show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's great. And he does the Phil Donahue, you know, sticks the mic out so that they can say, you know, so they that's can right. actually talk. <laughs> yeah, for yeah exactly. He offers them the mic. If you're yeah. here to talk, talk. Trades insults. But but uh, Macho Man can't keep the peace. <laughs> 
He takes a swipe at Junkyard Dog over the barbell so that JYD can't get at him. <laughs> a total coward heel move. And that sort of like upsets the faces so that Jesse has to basically toss them the mic. And they carry on and Tito says, that's what they do, cowards, they run away. And, you know, Jesse can just do it all. He, he's like super fun that's in right, the ring. Yeah. He's uh, actually great at being interviewed because I, I got an even bigger kick out of Macho Man and Jesse being interviewed by Billy Red Lions, a little can content here. We're gonna have to right. do some re. He was he's he's got the bearing of an athlete, and he's big and like I I I'm gonna suspect that he was a former wrestler. Oh, Billy of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Red Lions. Never... He wrestled in AWA and a bunch of other territories, Maple Leaf Wrestling and all that. Yeah, I don't think I ever got to see a match. To well, be look honest, look at his age, right? I mean, like yeah. you know, when he's doing the interviews, he's yeah. you know he's past his wrestling days. So, oh man, it was so great. He's not even done reading. Like uh, in the Coliseum, or no, no, I guess that's okay. Wait, I'm thinking, thinking that Coliseum home video let's just yeah. say in the uh, the Boston Gardens you'll be seeing the Bulldogs versus the Hart Foundation you'll be seeing Mr. Fuji with a <laughs> Ricky Steamboat and then like off camera he's like are you done yet and he, he keeps like listing he'll also as he's looking at Jesse he's uh, Cowboy Bob Orton will be like Come on, hurry up! And he's like, and I'm Orndorff, and and then like on the other side, Macho Man closes in, and he's still not done listing the mat the matches. Hurry up! And then, and and he's like, if I need to teach you some mic skills, Billy Red Lion. <laughs> Tell the people of Toronto that, you know, and it's actually, he's awesome. <laughs> what does he say? Uh, I think Billy Ren Lyons. Jesse says, You lay down the money, and I'll teach you how to talk on the stick, Billy Red. <laughs> And Billy Red says, well, maybe I could talk to Jack Tunney about that. Ha! You're not going to get a dime from him. <laughs> it was just great. Oh, man, did I ever. And uh, he he looks intimidated only a little bit, like the right, sort of yeah. more bewildered, like, hey, you guys are throwing me off my stride here. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I haven't done my list. Let me do my thing. <laughs> yeah. But he's a big guy, so he doesn't he doesn't do like uh, the scaredy cat, you know. Right. And or, nor does he do the uh, complete worship like our man Cal. Anyway, I just had to mention there's more than one. And and Jesse was just so great being interviewed by Billy Red, and he's talking about Tito. He said. The referee asked Tito, do you give up? And he said, si, senor. Now, in Canada, they don't speak Spanish. He gave up. Billy Red. <laughs> that was great. I really, I just, Jesse, man, I just love that. Yeah, okay, I'm repeating myself now. That was great fun. Mm. Yeah, so I, I even even better than the body shop where these right, promos yeah, yeah. and Macho Man got in there too. You know they're trading off, but Jesse yeah, was this, yeah. Jesse was like outshining Macho Man in these promos. It's hard to do. Yeah. yeah, it was really great. Yeah, so uh, in Toronto they had the tag team match as well, Jesse yeah, and right. Randy versus uh, JYD and Tito. Of course, yeah, yeah, and so this was this feud carried on past uh, Macho Man collecting the belt, which we right, which yes. we have, which we have covered. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I think I saw you know I didn't watch that clip as close as you did, but I, one thing I noticed is that like Tito at one point like he was doing really well on the mic. He was really fired up and he was really like, you know, carrying this promo as the heels had left. And then there came a moment after about 30 seconds where all of a sudden he kind of I don't want to say he stumbled, but he kind of just lost his... And I remember he even kind of looked at Junkyard Dog to maybe step in, like... And Junkyard Dog didn't. <laughs> so then Tito had to kind of try to, like, redirect himself, and it didn't... He started losing the, you know, the... And he started saying baby a lot, and, you know, he was yeah. just like... Yeah, a bit of a bit of a weak finish. Yeah, yeah. Strong start, weak finish. <laughs> yeah. These were fun. That was a great angle. Uh, while it lasted, Jesse the Body and Randy Savage were an incredible team. The real dream team. <laughs> That's right. 
that's going to bring us to our second last setup match before we get to Saturday night's main event. And it's an important one. It's something we're going to see referenced on Saturday night's main event. It's a big match, a title match between Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy, the man who's looking for the what? title. That's right. So we're WrestleMania 2. We are taken to Philadelphia and Prism TV. And man, was I excited when I clicked play. And the first thing I saw was Cal Redman. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, but which Cal Redman? This mean face no, Cal no, Redman Cal, or like yeah, it was Cal, bright eyes? Cal, Cal ready to cheerlead the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. So Killer Cal tells us Bundy Mania will be running wild. <laughs> <laughs> Bundy Mania. <laughs> and Cal's just beaming at Bundy. And like, Bundy, as big as he is, he never comes across as the tallest wrestler because there's other yeah. really tall guys. Yeah. But Cal's so short that he just makes Bundy look like he's 10 feet tall. Right. Like, yeah. It's, like, it's so good. So Bundy claims he's going to have that home field advantage in Philly because of how close it is to Atlantic City and, you know, whatever, and all his pals are going to mm-hmm. be there. Bit of a stretch. And, uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he says it's going to be a one, two, three, four, five, new champ, the five count. <laughs> they had a stretchy King Kong Bundy toy, didn't they? Yeah, and yeah, a stretchy yeah, yeah. Hogan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. That yeah. would have been about now-ish. The Bendems or whatever they were yeah, called. Bendem yeah, Bendem Stretchems. I think they were kind of like the Stretch Armstrong toys, which I had yeah. as a kid. Did you ever the Stretch Armstrong? No, I don't think so. You could pull his arm like a foot and a half, and it would go back to just like <laughs> eight inches, you know? So as the interview continues, Cal says, oh, Bundy, I, I can't imagine uh, receiving an avalanche. <laughs> and he's like, of course you couldn't. <laughs> and he says, Hogan, you're going to wake up no longer champ. You've been too worried about cartoons and movies. And when I pin you in front of in front of Cal and everyone in the spectrum, they're going to know they have a real champ. Well, he's been on Married with Children, so he shouldn't talk too much, Bundy. <laughs> he was right. also... Uh, exactly, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, so the the interview wraps up, and I I'll, I'll, I'll let I'll let our, our listeners hear the sweet tones of uh, Cal Redman taking us home in this interview. That's all I think about morning, noon, and night is being the heavyweight champion of the world. And when I pin you in this right here tonight in this spectrum in front of Cal Redman, in front of everybody else, they're gonna know they've got a real world's champion, a champion that everybody can look up to, not like you, some bleach blonde, souped up hippie running around calling himself champion. I don't like that, Hogan. You're looking at the new heavyweight champion of the world. Tell him that, Cal. Okay. You're going to see it in just a minute. You're going to see the Avalanche meet the Hulk. And we'll be right back. All right, so we see the Prism logo, and we're in the ring with King Kong Bundy and Bobby Heenan. And Hogan's out in close to what would be his, you know... Final... Final version of his yellow and red. The difference being is that he's got white knee pads on instead of the red knee pads. Uh-huh. So it looks a little bit different. It's going to look very similar to the look he's going to have in the Saturday Night's event. I match. call this the uh, peaches and cream. <laughs> so, of course, he's out to Real American. And even though it's weird, uh, Graham, the, the that's that other Philly announcer that we don't know very well. I think it's Dick or Dirk Graham Yeah, or the guy that I thought sounded like McMahon, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah. So he says Hogan has the eye of the tiger, but you can tell he's not really referring to the music. He's referring to just the, you know, the thing that's kind, of, kind of funny for him to say. But you get this great, awesome shot of Hogan coming out. The camera work is really perfect. They're following Hogan from behind and just slightly over his shoulder. And it just makes the whole thing seem so big. And as Hogan kind of rounds the corner of the aisle, you know, and then you can see Bundy and Heenan waiting in the ring for him. And it's just, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like a director, like artwork. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not just a, a hard camera shot of like, you know, this is theater. That's right. <laughs> so then Hogan's up on the apron, of course, doing his big point. So quite soon after that, we get Bobby Heenan gets a nice intro from the ring announcer. That was pretty cool. <laughs> he gets in 
introduced separately from everybody. So that's Manager of the year. <laughs> yeah. So it's a big showdown. They're standing in front of each other. They're yapping. And there's some shoves. And then Hogan attempts to do a shoulder block. And it doesn't go well. He bounces off and goes down. So he gets, yeah, and he gets up and he tries the second one and Bundy's waiting for him, but Hogan's not a fool. So Hogan, I need, Ah. (laughs) we saw that in another match with a tag match where those guys were, he he did that to Bundy kind of like he, you know, lost out on the first one. And then the second one, bang, I need. So yeah, so he knocks Bundy down and he gets a two count off of it. From there though, Bundy takes advantage with strikes and it's a beat down. This is where Lord Alfred Hayes starts talking about Bundy's has a hundred pound advantage. And actually, in, in the interview, <laughs> Bundy says, I beeped up to 478 pounds or something like that. And he's usually announced at 450. So <laughs> yeah, it's really more like 150 pound advantage or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, usually about 303, 305 yeah. or something in this era. They like to even say almost 500 pounds. Oh, yeah. they would. Oh, Monsoon would always go, give me a break. He would always say like that the 450 wasn't true and that he really was over 500. <laughs> <laughs> Monsoon never believed the ring announcer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Uh, Hogan reverses these turnbuckle smashes that Bundy's doing and stuns Bundy with punches and kicks. And eventually he's raking Bundy's back because <laughs> Hogan loves to cheat. And for some reason, Heenan gets up on the apron. So Hogan goes over and gives him a blast. And Heenan goes flying off the apron to the floor. It's pretty funny. So then he whips Bundy uh, to the corner and then comes in with this powerful clothesline. And then he whips Bundy off the ropes and Hogan bounces off the opposite rope. And he gives Bundy this clothesline and Bundy takes it so well. He's like totally horizontal, like four or five feet in the air, you know, just flying through the air. Looks super awesome. Knocks him down. So Hogan does this really big elbow drop. He runs across the ring and does this massive elbow drop and goes for a a cover, doesn't get it. And then he goes for a questionable move. He whips Bundy off the ropes and he bends over for the backdrop. (laughs) He takes a kick and I'm thinking like, I'm not sure that Hogan could backdrop Bundy if he, (laughs) you know, like, I know he can slam him, but that's more controlled, you know, like the backdrop's a bit, I think it's a lot on the person who's getting backdrop to do a lot of work and I'm not sure Bundy can do it. (laughs) Right. That is asking a lot. (laughs) So Bundy's kicking and uh, dropping an elbow, and he's really playing up to the crowd while beating on Hogan. And at one point, he gets uh, Bundy gets this reverse chin lock. So Heenan's doing all this distraction tactics. He's like getting a knee up on the apron, trying to get and gets the ref to come over so Bundy can choke for a while. And then like you know, and then Heenan will start getting up again. And so there's a couple of couple of times of that. So Hogan's you know works his way back to his feet, and he starts working his way out with elbows, and then he does multiple shoulder blocks to stagger Bundy. But on the third attempt, Bundy catches him with the knee in the stomach, and down Hogan goes. And then he does this really big knee drop for a two count. And then he slams Hogan and drops an elbow for another two count. And he's doing wear down tactics at this point. He's staying on top of Hogan on the ground, choking him here, headlocks, that kind of stuff. He transitions back to their feet and Bundy's got him in a bear hug. And it's really funny. Heenan's nervously trying to keep the crowd from cheering, you know, because it's like the only way Hogan can get out is if the crowd gets too loud. <laughs> so Hogan starts to, you know, Hulk starts to punch his way out, but Bundy rakes his eyes and then goes corner to corner with the avalanche. Ooh. Yeah. But Bundy wastes a lot of time talking to the crowd and walking around and demanding the five count. And he finally lays on Hogan. And of course, pardon me, he first he, before he lays on him, he raises his hand. <laughs> and the referee will have none of that, <laughs> lowers his hand. Right. And then so Bundy lays on him for the, for the, and asks for the five count. But of course, Hogan kicks out before three. So Bundy goes for a pin and Hogan kicks out full Hulk up. Like probably the most Hulk up we've seen, you know, to date. And so Bundy's giving him shots, throws him across the ring, the big avalanche. Hogan totally no-sells it. Like he's full Hulk up mode. The avalanche doesn't work. It's just like, oh, what? Man. I'm like, yeah, what? How is this possible? So he goes and then he's coming up with a total hoof face and everything. So Hogan's kicking and chopping and whips him for the big boot and the leg drop. 
and then Heenan's up on the apron and he's but he's fishing into his pants. Randy, Randy Macho Man style, <laughs> but with his back to the ring. So Hogan at two jumps up and goes over to Heenan <laughs> and gives him a shot and then takes away what we assume are brass knuckles wrapped in white tape as that's the kind of the, the WWF style. It always looks like some, you know, kind of something you'd put around your fist. It's supposed to be brass knuckles. So Hogan, then he slingshots Bobby Heenan and over the top rope and Heenan flies like he shot out of a cannon. It's hilarious. So Hogan picks him up and he's got, he's got the brass knucks on and he's ready to go full bolo punch, you know, the big wine up. That's where Bundy comes back in. Boom. And gets the attack in on Hogan. So at this point, both of them are kicking kicking Hogan and they throw the ref out, of course, as a disqualification. So Bundy is now lost by disqualification. And so then uh, Heenan, it's really weird. They they get Hogan in the corner and Heenan's holding Hogan like inside the ring. So it's like Heenan's in the corner and then Hogan's in front of him and Heenan's holding his arms for the avalanche. Like, do you see something wrong with this picture? Get out of the way, Bobby. So B- Bundy comes in for the avalanche and Hogan moves and Bundy just squashes Heenan. <laughs> Which, even if it was successful, he still would have squashed Heenan. <laughs> With a ridiculous plan. <laughs> like, like Bobby's just throwing <laughs> himself on the grenade. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? That's right. We got him. Launch. Fire. So yeah, he squ- after he squashes Bobby, so Hogan knocks Bundy out of the ring with a punch, and but Bobby isn't done. He's still in the ring. <laughs> and Hogan's still got the brass knucks. Uh-oh. So this time he does get that proper bolo punch, the big wind-up, the crusher-style AWA, like big triple, quadruple wind-up punch. On Bobby? On Bobby. Oh, poor And Bobby, Bobby. does like the big backflip, you know, like <laughs> sideways yeah. backflip you know, yeah. that he would always do when he'd get punched to look great. He scrambles out of the ring, and Mel Phillips announces that Hogan's the winner by DQ, and he poses... And as they close out the show, Dick Graham thinks they're going to need a few days to recover. He's, he's saying, saying to Monsoon, it's pretty funny. So there we go. That's a big match. It's going to set up the match. What's going on with the whole feud of King Kong Bundy as we move towards Saturday Night's event and eventually WrestleMania 2. So before we get to our last match, just one quick note. On January 28th, the ta- there's a taping and it's the first sighting of Dory Funk. So he comes out in a JYD Terry Funk match and interferes. And then he's in a body shop segment. And finally, after that, there's a tag match. Terry and Dory Funk, and they so they haven't switched his name to Hoss Funk yet, and he they and they get that win by Boston Crab. So Dory Funk wins with the Boston Crab in his first match in the WWF. I had forgotten that Dory Funk had even appeared in the WWF in this era. Yeah, the only thing I re- can remember is the WrestleMania two match because that's a, there's a tag match with the Funks, and then the Saturday's main event after WrestleMania two is you know there's another tag match. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they're they're bumping machines. I'm gonna go on a limb and say the Funks match at WrestleMania two is the second best match on the card. Oh, I can't it's, wait to revisit it. It's hilarious. It's right like on. the bumping is just like and Dory's a great bumper too. It's yeah. like he's, you know he's an older guy there, but he can just throw himself around. It's great. Right. Yeah. And then we can talk about his lineage and history. That's right. So before our combatants come out, we have the lumberjacks. Now they're not actually wearing the uh, red and black check shirts or anything like that, but. <laughs> We have Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Dan Spivey looking really good. Uh, George Steele, who will play a prominent role. Corporal Kirshner, Tony Atlas in his street clothes, or, well, his street pants, anyway. Um, then right. we have a, yeah. Then we have a couple of the heels come out, and it starts with, well, two jobbers, or at least a jobber and a half. <laughs> One guy looks like that Uncle Cowboy guy from the Crockett Cup. I don't know who he is. This is the really short oh, look at it again. jobber. Then, and I think, you know, either Steve-O or... Barrio. Barrio. Okay, yeah. yeah. Somebody that I still don't Bob, know. Bob's brother. Bob's... Cowboy huh? Bob. Cowboy... 
Really? Yeah, that's Barry O. Is Barry Orton? That's Randy oh. Orton's uncle. I I didn't realize. Yes. Mm, okay. But then you have King Kong Bundy is ah. also going to be a lumberjack, and Don Morocco, the Heart Foundation, and of course Shiki Baby. <laughs> yeah. So um, Savage is wearing his orange and black robe from our Halloween Saturday Night's main event, and yeah. he's got the purple trunks. Hogan has blue knee pads and white trunks and boots. Ah. Yeah. Kind of cool to just see the different looks before he settles into That's a right. rather uh, monotonous pattern. So the lumberjacks surround the ring. Um, we cut to a commercial. When we come back, Hogan is rushing Savage in his robe <laughs> and glasses. And he gets in a few licks, punches him a couple times. I think he even gets in um, a back suplex before Savage can get <laughs> out of his ring attire. Wow, that Hogan, he's such a cheater. Um, but uh, it does definitely was cool. To, like You do get... To see that, uh, you know, Savage has got his belt and, and Hogan's that's got right, his belt. Yeah. So that's all pretty exciting. So you were saying about the stipulations. It's clearly no disqualification because uh, Hogan takes his championship belt and oh, him right. smashes Hogan, smashes Savage in the head with it twice in yeah, front of the ref. Right, right in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of payback, though, because yeah. uh, there's an earlier match where Savage comes off the top rope to the outside and hits Hogan with his yeah, belt. Yeah, makes him bleed. Yeah, so that's uh, payback. But uh, if that's any indication, then there are no rules. But um, <laughs> we're still looking for a pinfall because there is a referee. So before long, Hogan throws Randy to the faces, but he fetches him instead of letting <laughs> the faces. Right. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't like, it's usually sort of the thing where like, the bad guy gets thrown in a lumberjack match. And they the, can't wait the, to get his, their hands on the macho, the, the, man. The, the good guys will kind of just aggressively push him back in. Yeah. And then the bad guy will get thrown out to the good guys, and they'll aggressively push him in. And then the first time the good guy gets thrown to the bad guys, it's just like everyone puts the boots to him. You know? Like. Yeah. So the, a bit uh, of the formula mixed up here. How yeah. Hogan goes to get Savage after throwing him out, brings him back in, gives him that hangman choke, Savage, yeah, you know, yeah. where it lifts him straight up, and and we get a bear hug on Savage, wearing yeah, him down. Bear. Hogan would do it once in a while, eh? But it's sort of yeah. Seemed, bear hug almost feels like a bad guy move. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty effective though, because of the size difference between Hogan and Savage. That's right. You really have a speed versus strength matchup here when these two wrestle. Savage gets out of the bear hug, of course. I think he elbows him to get out. There is an atomic drop that Hogan hits Savage with. Now, the lumberjacks get involved because Hogan bounces off the ropes and Bundy goes for his feet. Oh, that's right. Goes for a trip. But he doesn't actually manage to trip up Hogan. Hogan turns around, gets out of the ring, and starts laying the beats down. That's right. He throws some shots when they're not really looking. (laughs) He, He... attacks Bundy and then he attacks Morocco and he gets back in the ring before that's the, right before the, they can get him <laughs> before the heel lumberjacks can uh, give Hogan the works I think he um, even blo- does he blow them a kiss or something after he gets back in I think he or he waves at them I don't know He's some, he does something kind of cheeky I think yeah shades of dusty that's right <laughs> Savage does get the advantage, and of course, as is Lumberjack, you've you've got to, he throws Hogan to the heels, and whoa, now we get to see this taped up ribs, these taped up ribs play. uh, Hogan so far has not been limiting his moves based on his so-called injury. Yeah, I thought when, sorry, the back suplex you mentioned, I thought that was sort of when he did that, I was like, ooh, that was bad storytelling. Like, that should have hurt him, like dropping backwards on his ribs, you know, and Mm -hmm. back and neck injury that he Right, so he's kind of, he's not selling his own injury. No. But when he goes out the second time and Hogan is facing off against the heel lumberjacks, it's a bad move because Morocco takes his arms and pulls him against the steel post. 
And yeah. then he gets Morocco, at Morocco's on the opposite side of the post. Yeah, they are holding, on the floor. Holding Hogan in place. That's right. Morocco's on the floor on the other side of the ring, and he's holding Hogan in place against the steel post. And Bundy crushes him with an avalanche. That's right. Twice. Yes. And bang, this is bang. yeah. This is after the uh, crunching on Saturday night's main event, which we will cover in the second half of the show. So wow, it looks awesome. And the, the crowd, by the way, is fucking hot for this. And I think they have twenty five thousand people. Monsoon says. Wow. Yeah. And the interesting thing too is that there isn't the big brawl between the lumberjacks like you would expect. It's sort of like the bad guy lumberjacks are sort of just like standing in the way, and the good guy lumberjacks are like arguing with them and being aggressive, but they're not like no one's actually getting in there to save Hogan or stop Morocco from holding them or, you know, there was some bad camera work. You can't see, but the, the faces are trying to get over, but the heart foundation's running your interference and other heels yeah. are stopping and whoever else. Yeah. Are. are stopping them from, and that's how they managed to, you know, <coughs> burial, the deadly burial must yeah. be in there. <laughs> yeah. So these are pretty devastating avalanches to the, yeah, they know, look really good to the steel. Yeah. They look even better than anything they would do in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, these are better than the Saturday Night's Main Event attacks, really. So Savage smartly targets Hogan's ribs. And he starts, you know, laying double axes on the on Hogan's back, but the ribs is his back ribs and jumps off the top rope and just laying his forearms into those battered ribs and he gives him nice a really nice uh savage drop clothesline, hangman kind of clothesline <laughs> where he, he he lets his own body fall down too as he uh as a extra weight momentum. So he just starts battering Hogan, who's really taken some great damage from Morocco and Bundy. Unfortunately, when it comes to Savage's finisher, Hogan kicks out at one. So I hate that. Don't yeah. do that, man. Yeah, there should, they could have done, they could have figured out a different way to get to where they got to. <laughs> yeah. So it's a Hulk up. And, uh, you know, I already, well, actually, I, I can't remember. I now know that I didn't ever see this match until the YouTube era. I had seen photographs, so I knew that it happened. But this, you know, it's, it's kind of like experiencing it for the first time. And I'm, boo! You yeah. know, Savage hits him, and he shakes his head. No, 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 no. Then he hits him, freeze, stare. I'm just going to look right at him. <laughs> then he hits him, and he puffs his cheek out. That's you right. know, <laughs> who face? Who face? And then he hits him, and it's Quaker Oats. <laughs> shaking, quaking. Yeah. Meanwhile, the commentators are, oh, the adrenaline, he's impervious, or whoever it is, you know, like, invulnerable, you know, like Hogan feels no pain. And, you know, the big boot, and it looks like it's going to be the typical finish, but it actually it's a more interesting finish yeah. than you would expect. Yeah, it is. So there's something that's almost kind of botchy. Savage goes for an eye rake, and Hogan sells it for a second, and then he's like, nope. No sells it, but he half sells. Yeah, like he takes a half second and realizes. My no. up eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like, oh, ouch, wait, no, no, I'm hooked up. That <laughs> didn't hurt. <laughs> and then they go for a crisscross. Yeah. Savage goes off the ropes where the face lumberjacks are, and guess who's there? <laughs> George the Animus Steel trips up Savage, so Savage winds up on his back as Hogan is bouncing off the other ropes and drops a big leg drop. Thump, one, two, three, and Savage loses this battle of the belts. Of course, actually, his title's not up for grabs, unlike right. WrestleMania six. And then Hogan points at Georgie Animal Steel and does his own little funky, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, the hand over his head, yeah, thing. yeah. and uh, he makes this kind of goofy yeah. impression. And um, and what a great match. Um, we don't really see much of the extra or anything like that, but uh, boy, this was an awesome match. Yeah, and I think it's really important. 
you know, and the reason, you know, we've covered some Hogan Savage matches and the reason. So they're, I, yeah, they're building two WrestleMania fe- two feuds here. That's right. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say is that like, and it's the Savage Steam, uh, Savage Steam, oh Jesus, the Savage George Steele aspect of this match is the reason I actually included it. I didn't even realize all this awesome Bundy Hogan stuff happening outside the ring because I skipped to the end. I didn't have time to watch this match myself oh, initially so until you told me about it. And then I went back and saw it because I was yeah. like, what did I miss? But I skipped to the end to look at the at the ending. And when I saw that George Steele was involved in the trip, I was like, okay, now this is why we can because it's yeah. this this is the angle. And I didn't even see the Bundy Hogan stuff when I put it on the, when I put it on our list mm-hmm. and then you told me about, you made mention, I can't remember what you said. You said something about the, these, you know, outside the ring avalanches. And I was like, Oh man, I missed those. Well, I'm sure that I saw photographs from pro wrestling illustrated. And like I said, uh, once I was looking at these magazines, it was already old news. So they didn't really yeah. cover it so much. They didn't really say, and by the way, when Hogan was out there and they, they avalanched him <laughs> into the real, into the steel post. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they looked even more devastating. That's right. I will say that again, to me, this is pretty unique for a lumberjack match because I would, you know, my assumption is, especially in the golden era of wrestling, that like 95% of all lumberjack matches end with everybody brawling, you know, like, and almost everybody in the ring, you know, usually too at some point, right? It usually devolves to like just a big Western brawl (laughs) and get out the, you know, someone sliding across the bar and someone getting hit stuck in the piano or whatever. (laughs) Swinging off the chandelier. Yeah, someone going through the window. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Have a swig of your beer, break the glass over a guy's head. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So very unique and different lumberjack match and a really important one and a great way to send us off as we end the first half. So please listen to these words of how you can follow us and find our Patreon channel and help support the show. We'll see you in the second half. Right, so there's a few ways you can follow us or get a hold of us. I wanted to pass that along and make sure it's clear what to do. So if you have any stories, any thoughts, any feelings you want to pass along, please email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. And of course, we really want people to go over to Patreon where they can eventually find episodes 2 and 3 of our Growing Up AWA will be there on Patreon. And to get there, you're going to have to type in Patreon dot com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com and if you're having trouble or anyone's having trouble finding our podcast send them over to legendary wrestling obsession dot podbean dot com and that's where you'll find our episodes it's the quickest place they load the fastest way to listen to us talk about wrestling what he said on the bad side Oh, look at that. Morocco was holding the arms of the champion. And Bundy laid an avalanche on him while he was strapped to the post. To the steel post. If anything's going to stop the halt, things like that will, because no ordinary man can do it. Welcome back for the second half. We're almost ready to fire up Saturday night's main event. But first, I'll look back and correct a few things. So the first thing I want to address is the Tito Santana-Randy Savage title match. In the first half, I incorrectly stated that the match was in January in Boston. When it was February in Boston, there was another Tito Santana title defense against Randy Savage in January, which did happen. That one actually Savage won by countout as Miss Elizabeth had somehow been knocked over and Tito the gentleman was trying to help her up and Savage I assume came from behind with that knee to the back (laughs) and sent him over the barricade or whatever and he got counted out. So I just want to make sure I just noted that I had that wrong. 
Another thing, important thing to note too, as well, as well when I looked, is that like Tito was pinning Savage everywhere. He was pinning them all around the circuit. He was like most of the matches ended in a Tito pinfall, sometimes off the flying forearm on Savage, until they get to like you know a couple of the televised ones, and then there's either a no contest or there's a, you know there's the title change, of course. There are some tag team matches between Tito and a partner versus Savage and a partner. And in those cases, that's where I'm noticing that Savage was, that's where Savage was pinning Tito. So it was almost like if it was a tag match, Savage would pin Tito. If it was a one-on-one match, Tito would pin Savage. But when it came, you know, time to actually, you know, put the belt on the line, for real, (laughs) not that the other ones weren't title defenses, but when, you know, it was time to pull the trigger, they did. Ah, well, they were protecting Tito on TV. I mean, Savage on TV. That's right, yeah. Okay, Lord Alfred Hayes. So just a little quick background on him. So he's got a legit black belt in judo, and he started his career in like sort of the British circuit, wrestling circuit, in like the late 50s. And he was judo Al Hayes. (laughs) And he wrestled there through the 60s. So in 1972, he comes over in the 70s to America. He beats Dory Funk Jr. for the NWA title. Wow. But, but, Dory Funk Sr. goes mad and attacks the ref. And the ref is enraged and then disqualifies Dory Funk, which somehow saves the belt. Like, we're talking about a dusty finish here. That's really bizarre writing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that was sort of, you know, his big key thing of of wrestling and stuff. And he had title matches versus Bruno. By the mid-70s, he adopts the aristocrat Lord Alfred Hayes gimmick and starts wearing the the, the fluffy shirts and stuff like that. And, of course, becomes a manager. So in St. Louis, Florida, AWA, Montreal. And he famously, in AWA, he feuded with Heenan. So he went from being the bad guy manager to, you know, a babyface manager. Because, he you know, they started uh, having sort of feuding over the same wrestlers. And I did, you know, I did look in some of our stuff... In our AWA coverage, there was a card where we covered a match between the Road Warriors and the Fabulous Ones. And on the undercard, there was a match between the Destroyers and, like, Lord Alfred Hayes was the good guy manager and Heenan was the bad guy manager. And so that was, like, 84. So, like, you know, when you're saying you didn't see him, you know, he was he was managing in, like, 83 and 84. So part of that would have been when he was a bad guy, too. So <laughs> you didn't see him, but just like a lot of stuff in our childhood, we just don't remember everything. Hmm. But he was around. And then, of course, he makes his way over to WWF and becomes sort of the clownish character that we that we sort of, you know, have some fun with now. There was a point where Jeff made, was making a point about Hogan's title run and how this Bundy storyline was his first solo storyline because really the Piper storyline was like a duo thing. It was like Hogan and Mr. T, not just Hogan. But, you know, just to be technically correct, Hogan was champ two years at that point, not one, because he won at the beginning of 84 and this is 86, so that's two years. So just a little math there, correction. Uh, I would like well, to give you it- could have 14 months spanning, right. you know, three years. <laughs> and is that, you know, is that three years, 81, 82, 83, or is that 14? No, but he won in January of 84 and yeah. he was, you know, he was champion January of 84. Ah, okay. So he was all, basically all of 84. All of 84. It wasn't like a December 84. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fine. Fine. All right. Guys, <laughs> I'm a bitch. <laughs> so, you know, we got some really nice feedback and some help for our AWA Starcage card. So I'm part of like a an American Wrestling Association Facebook group, and that's you know how I came to figure out who George Shire was, which is somebody that we've quoted a few times, and he's kind of this big uh, you know AWA historian. But there's a lot of fans on there that'll like answer questions for you, and there's a couple of people locally who over the last few years, when I've been asking questions, have been really helpful for, for, to me. 
Uh, there's a guy named Marty, who's, you know, he's even taken time to have a phone call with me years ago to kind of explain something to me that I didn't know. And then there's a gentleman by the name of Andreas. And Andreas is really neat because he's collected a ton of crap. Like, you know, he's kept all these, like, programs and newspaper clippings. And he's sent us a lot of stuff. He's actually sent me stuff that will be, you know, basically the prime focus of, a, of an episode coming up down the road about the AWA. And when we say crap, we don't mean crap. Yeah, I, like, mean, I mean, good, good stuff. Good, good, yeah. good crap. Yeah, like, I know. My mom was at a garage sale once and she says to the guy, oh, yeah, you're selling all your crap? And I'm like, mom, mommy, don't just say that. Like, you guys can yeah. like, uh, uh what? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we had, as people who've heard the Starcade show know, that we were, could only find the, the triple main event, the top three matches. But Andreas had, he had a copy of the whole show, you know, and it, so he, and he, this nice gentleman, he, he actually burned a copy and mailed it to me. So I was like, that's awesome. Shout out to you, man. That's really awesome. Thank you, Andreas. He's also yeah. came to see a lot of the improv shows. That's that I, right. We over realized. the years that I was performing in in Winnipeg, I would do these live comedy shows, and Andreas was a guy who would, um, you know, if he saw something on TV, he would record the clip, you know, and tag me in that years later on Facebook and that kind of <laughs> stuff. So thanks Neat. for uh, you know being um, uh, yeah, thanks for the help and the support over the years. Yeah, we realized with our friend Ron uh, Moore, you know, that he had a connection with Andreas as well. And that was kind of neat that it was like this wrestling connection and then that. And then, you know, also, uh, you know, I had somebody who lived in St. Paul's who said they were at the Star Cage card and stuff like that. So just, you know, some neat interaction, you know, of. Uh, I just can't get over how they kept it from us in Winnipeg. Like some kind of secret. Like don't tell Winnipeg about Star yeah. Cage. So Andrea said they did the week after the card happened that they did show an angle that we actually don't see. So when we watched the clip, the Gagne's versus Nick Bogwinkle and Mr. Saito. The match ends with the Gagne's, you know, victorious and, and uh, you know, celebrating. And that's kind of the end of the clip. But there's this big angle that plays out, which I'll keep to myself. And because we're going to we're going to take a look at this disc that Andreas has sent us and, uh, you know, and, and incorporate it into another AWA show and find a way to kind of talk about the, those undercard matches and this big angle that we missed. Yeah, if we can figure out a way to watch it, it's like <laughs> eight millimeter film or some shit. Like, how are we going to fucking get this thing going? No, no. The stupid thing with new computers these days is they don't give you disc drives, right? So. Yeah, I know. A sim- like a DVD's uh, style is, is now tricky. You gotta go get yourself a. My brother's got Blu-ray players, you yeah. know, and hopefully his DVD player will play burnt discs. Yeah, there's different things. Sometimes I used to have a, a, a like a surround sound system that could play like any type of disc. It was great. You could someone could burn something off a computer and I could stick it in there and it would play. But other other devices will only play certain files and they're very picky. And you know, you can sometimes you'd buy like a, a cheap DVD at some store and then go stick it in your player and it doesn't work. And but we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. I, I you know we can try it on a regular DVD player. But and that's why people show up to see real live human beings in their <laughs> underwear slapping each other around. Awesome. Okay. So I did incorrectly kind of say, it's not a big deal, but I, I'd said that Mr. T, the whole buildup of Mr. T was done exclusively through talk show footage and other people sort of acting on his behalf, and we didn't see him until WrestleMania. Of course I meant we don't see him until Saturday Night's Main Event because he's on Saturday Night's Main Event. So I just kind of, you know, Right idea, wrong, uh, wrong words. You yeah. fool. You fool. You a fool, fool. <laughs> um, okay, I had to go take a peek because when we were doing this Sheik Volkov versus Kirshner Junkyard Dog match, I hadn't seen the end. And when I asked for some clarification, you know, understandably so, Jeff was 100% what the, sure what the, of the, the, the finish. The, the, what, the, the cherish? How, how come the ref didn't see, I asked. Oh. <laughs> and you were like, oh, and we had a good laugh because you were like, uh, I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, that's a good answer. But anyway, so I went and looked at it. It's pretty neat. Uh, so 
when this move happens that Jeff was talking about, where Kirshner does basically this bounce off the ropes and jumps on Shiki's back through as he's draped over the rope, Volkov rushes over because he's been knocked out of the ring, but he gets up really quick and he comes over. And I was imagining him with two hands on a chair and a swing, but it's that's not what it is. He's got two chairs that are connected together. <laughs> it's a weird little thing, and he chucks it like a, I don't know a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but he he basically throws these two chairs that are like linked together by some sort of steel rod, and and just times it nicely, and and Kirshner takes the big smash off these two chairs, and then of course like Jeff said the the pin. So it's pretty neat. I've never seen anyone use. This. I, what is this doing in the correction center? That this section. That's what I said. Volkov uses the chairs. They're side by side. No, the question I was object. how did the ref? The ref didn't. The, okay, the, well, the ref was escorting Junkyard Dog out of the ring. That was, okay. That, was, that that was the whole point. And then I just made note. It was neat. It was it was like you know I've never seen anybody use two chairs. <laughs> well, <laughs> like there are uh, connected together. Yeah. Well, I mean they're side by side. You know, right? Yeah, they look like they're from like a heater seating or something like a. You know, right. Well, it's a different style of the folding metal chair where you've got the, the two shot and they're just yeah. uh, structurally connected. Yeah, not, not the normal not normal type of chair you'd see in, in regardless of era. So there we go. That's going to wrap that stuff up. Oh, actually, one more thing was these these toys we just mentioned. What's, uh, I think Jeff found something on that. Right. So I said that there was a stretch Bundy. And for a moment, I thought there may have only been a stretch Hulk Hogan and a stretch King Kong Bundy, but I'm probably just imagining an advertisement where they featured those two or something. So they actually had quite a a roster and it, it only took a little Google search to see that they had also... Savage and Steamboat. Let me, where, 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 there was Piper, I think I can remember. Uh, Piper and Orndorff. George Steele and Savage? Well, yeah, but they had Savage and Steamboat were kind of paired. You know, it's all sort of paired, you know. You've got like Hogan and Bundy paired, Savage and Steamboat paired, Orndorff and Piper were paired, and then George Steele, did he have a buddy or? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well. No one wants to play with him. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I told you, I went back and I saw a uh, match. Oh, yeah, Junkyard Dog. So that would be eight. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a full set. So just for fun, I was um, watching uh, something about seven or eight years before the era we're now watching. Yeah. And there's George Steele looking largely like he does now, you know, just a few, few wrinkles, you know, (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, he comes on and he's looking like he does. And Lou Albano's his manager, and they're like, "Well, you finally got Bob Backlund where you want him, Captain Lou." And then George comes on and goes, "You got the title shot, Daddy. Way to go!" And I'm like, "What? What's all these words together in one sentence? Like, what's going on?" Yeah, <laughs> what are you gonna do, Backlund? <laughs> you know, I'm like, it just—I was like so jarred to hear George Steele speaking. You know, half what we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna get ready to watch this show. I just this one is like the first one. I ha- I have memories of the first one of sort of that you know that moment where me and my brothers are watching want to watch Saturday Night Live, and my brothers are disappointed and upset that wrestling comes on, and I'm ecstatic and over the moon that wrestling comes on, and then the rest of these main events that we've done. I don't really, like, I remember seeing them, but I don't have a specific strong memory of, like, oh, this happened or that happened, you know, aside from what I'm watching. But this particular Saturday Night's Main event, I do have a strong memory. So if you've listened to our AWA show or even our preview show, you'll re- you may recall a story that I told about not wanting to miss wrestling, out of the, you know, being out at the cabin and not wanting to go to my parents' friend's house because they didn't have a TV. This is how Corey began his journey down the path of becoming the world's greatest supervillain. <laughs> the first lie. So... In similar fashion, we're going to see the same family friends on a Saturday night. And I know Saturday's event is on. And I made a big deal to my mom that we had to be home in time 
for wrestling. And she promised me we would be. And they live on the west side of the city in what's called St. James, the area that Chris Jericho comes from, by the way. And it's a, it's a decent drive. It's not like a 10-minute drive. It's probably a good 30-plus minutes to drive from their place back to where we lived in the south end of the city. And so, sure enough, we don't leave in time. And I am panicking in this car because, like, it's, you know, we're, dr- we're pulling up to the house and it's 1031, 1032, 10, you know, and I miss, like, I don't, like, I don't see the intro, you know, like, I don't get to see the intro of the show. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite certain that the first match, I saw it, but I'm pretty sure it was, like, already happening. And I was so upset. And I think it was just because I was kind of like a completionist. You know, I just, I wanted to see the whole thing beginning to end. I didn't want to miss a second. So I was so upset. I felt like I'd missed it, even though I probably only missed like two minutes or something. Mm. But I just remember just like so the stress. Didn't... I was like sweating, like the heart heart beating, you know, like, come on. So there was no, up, Dad. no, no VHS at this point? You know, I wasn't recording them at this point. It just, I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me. You know, like we definitely had a VCR, but we weren't recording a lot of things off TV. We would rent things and well, stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. I didn't have my fucking act together. I wasn't <laughs> programming yeah. VCRs or anything. Yeah, I, you know, I want to say, I would, you know, I'd love to say that I was smart enough to do that. And I should have, because this is such a, which this would have been such a great sounding band to have uh, recorded when I had those other ones recorded, especially with the Bulldogs match on it. Um, but yeah, it just didn't. But, you know, I just ran downstairs and turned that TV on and I was like, shut up, leave me alone. And just like, you know, I'm watching wrestling. <laughs> Jeez, three minutes late. <laughs> exactly. I felt like I missed it all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Let's hear those NBC chimes and get on the road. All right, the man pulverizing this water bag right now will be making his long-awaited return to center ring on tonight's main event, Mr. T. Mr. T, if I could have your attention. T. What you want, fool? But you see, I'm trying to work out, trying to get ready. You don't come interviewing anybody when they're working out. I get that microphone out of my face. Well, now, wait a minute now. I was just trying to explain to our audience that you're going to be putting on the gloves tonight against battling Bob Orton, Cowboy Bob Orton. Mr. T, please. Let me tell you something. This ain't going to be no fight. This is going to be a war. I'm going to smash the chump. When I get finished with him, he's going to look like you. Now get out of here. You heard what I said? So... I was thinking that they had evolved their intro. You know, remember I talked about like they started with only a couple of in- interviews and then they expanded and then they were starting to get towards what we were used to with everybody had almost had an interview. Yeah. And now we just had one interview with this Mr. T by himself, like with me, you know, like what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Even Hogan didn't get an interview. How did this happen? Yeah. It's strange, bizarre change of format. And really, um, as far as the content goes, I just, it, it, it doesn't work. He's, he's trying to be Clubber Lang, but he's supposed to be a face. And Clubber Lang is a total dick. And in the movie, you know, Clubber Lang never pulls a face turn. We never cheer Clubber Lang. That's we don't right, want yeah. to cheer Clubber Lang. No. And that's all that he's, he's not doing B.A. Baracus. He's doing Clubber Lang. Exactly, yeah. And he's, and you know, he, he uh, can't really do the improv. He's kind of hostile to Gene, you know, and like. Why is he so mean to Gene? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you who's mean, Gene. I'm mean. I mean, that would have been better than. That's exactly you, what than, he said. Yeah. So unfortunately, the whole angle is a tough sell. Basically, because uh, as we go through this card, we'll we'll see that the segments, the segments with Mr. T, he's not likable. He's he's a bully, and he almost always ends up with like get out. You know, when somebody lose, exactly. when somebody you know <laughs> panic is like get out of here, fool, because like they just done, they're feeling embarrassed. <laughs> they haven't got the you know the chops on the mic. 
Okay, so that brings us into Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura, and we're in Phoenix, Arizona at the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And before we really start the card, it's just important to note there were some dark matches. So sometimes Saturday's main event is taped all alone, and other times it's taped amongst other things. So Pedro Morales beat Bret Hart in a match. Uh-huh. Former Intercontinental Champion and future Intercontinental Champion. Right. Also, uh, wasn't Pedro Morales also a world champion? He's the Triple Crown. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just like uh, Brett. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. First. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. So the, triple, <laughs> the Battle of the Triple Crowns. Yeah, yeah. And we got uh, Terry Funk beat. Well, so it was supposed to be Cousin Luke, but it ends up being Jose Luis Rivera. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> Our guy. Our the first half. Yeah, keep him off the mic. <laughs> yep. And lastly, Hercules beat SD Jones. I saw a clip the other day when I was, uh, same time I saw, you know, the, the, the literate George Steele, Rick Martel, SD Jones, and Tony Gurria. Oh. Yeah, and they, you know... Sorry, was this when Gree and, and Rick Martel were like tag team had partners? To, had to be, had to they be. Had, they had a title run together. Well, that would make sense, yeah. yeah. So that and you're talking what year ish? Ooh, that would be like uh, I'm gonna get this wrong, but like late seventies, like I think, or maybe even eighty or eighty one. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised I, if it was like seventy nine or seventy eight. Yeah, right. Well, that adds up with you know George Steele speaking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, SD there he was among you know like the upper echelons, like especially <laughs> That's right. if, if you know. There was a time when SD Jones won a bunch of matches. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I was going through trying to find matches, I found a syndicated show squash match: SD Jones versus a jobber, and I was like, Jeff would love it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, give me Buddy Lane versus a jobber. That's what I want to see. I want to see Buddy Lane's finisher. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, we, uh, you know, Vince is telling us there's going to be two title matches. We're quite excited about that on the card. And it's interesting. Jesse says, Hogan's finally taking on someone not waiting for Social Security. I wondered about that comment. And I'm like, that's That's a total dig. Like Terry Funk. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Surprised Terry didn't beat him up in the back, you know? Yeah, plus Terry Funk is going to go on to, like, you know, headline in his at his prime for another eight years <laughs> yeah it's really weird so i'm not sure where that he's going with that but yeah and that's where we get the uh, clip on uh piper's pit of hogan you know signing that paperwork and setting up this match this boxing match between boxing bob orton and mr t well i may as well say it now he is now battling bob orton the man of a thousand <laughs> names so you know bob orton is cowboy Ace, boxing, and now finally battling Bob Orton. And like they hit it hard. They mentioned batting. There's no more mention of boxing. He's battling Bob Orton. Battling. What are you going to do against battling Bob Orton? I'm going to take battling Bob. Yeah, and he doesn't have the, he's not going for like the uh, boxing gear this time. He doesn't have a robe. He's got like his vest on. You know, he's got the boxing gloves on, but he just, you know, he's got his his cowboy vest and his cowboy hat. And he's like the junkyard dog of the heel side, you know, (laughs) just, you know, Piper's. And they don't let him talk enough either. Bob. Yeah. You know, he's got such a great voice. He does, yeah. And like, you know, I guess we're not at the end, but at the end, he's finally trying to say, I want to do this and that, but the music's already going, and they're like, yeah, never mind. Piper took up all the air. That's right. <laughs> what does is, what is Piper say about, uh, this isn't Rocky 148 or whatever? <laughs> yeah. And he makes fun of his hairdo, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so take it away. Okay, so... As I was watching it, I definitely was feeling the that Clubber Lang, you know, is not an appealing character for us to cheer for. Right. Part of the setup has this training partner who gets his headgear knocked off and then kind of like 
you know, is, is, is recovering from a shot that knocks off his headgear. And then T, like a total asshole, punches him as he's like trying to stand up. And it's just a complete heel move, you know, and like, <laughs> and, 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 and he's bragging about it. You saw what I did. You saw what I did. And his promos also had to be edited because his, he, he would flub a line and stammer. So there would be a, a cut in, in, in there where the producer is just like, oh, we need something a bit more, you know, sensible out of this guy. So, you know, uh, these this this whole idea of boxing matches and wrestling, I just got to say, was a misfire in my opinion. Uh, I can see why they went for it because he couldn't really do a match on his own, and he's he's more used to trying to pretend to be a boxer than to be, pretend to be a wrestler. I guess that maybe that was the thought process. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it does make sense, but they didn't really, I, I guess, think through the consequences that he would end up being Clubber Lang and unlikable. And that's my take on it: is that I don't, I think I don't you're like right. him. He should have he should have found a way to play up the the A team character. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the hero. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 yeah, I, I maybe get George Papard to, to make an appearance. <laughs> you know, anything that would like because on his his robe says uh, Mr. T A team. Who's the wheel guy? That, that guy could have Well, you got face, <laughs> and then you got Murdoch. Murdoch, crazy, crazy, shut up, fool. Well, he's given me he's given me and Gene the Murdoch. You know, shut up, fool. You know. Um, so yeah, that's the principal problem really there. But I mean, l- let's not forget that this whole birth of, of Hulkamania is tied in to the release of Rocky three yeah. and the uh, excitement of, uh, of like survivor. Eye of the tiger, Mr. T Hulk Hogan, Sylvester Stallone. That's the big surprise is that he never made one appearance anywhere just to like be a ring announcer yeah yeah even, yeah like even hit the time bell you know and yeah I, I don't know if i looked if we went and looked in modern more modern wwe if like if stallone was ever one of those like guest managers on raw or right. something like that but you're right he never he didn't even have a as far as i know a you know schwarzenegger in the crowd shot like we saw like, yeah. you know i still say it's no match for my mad max angle there you go. that's yeah. right with tina turner right behind him <laughs> It's just like pointing at the road warriors coming for you. <laughs> just imagine the fucking pop. Anyway, so back to this uh, misfire of a Saturday Night's Men opening matchup. Batlin Bob Orton. And then, okay, so Mr. T, I talked about what he's got on his robe. It says A-Team there. Yeah. Okay, let me Does, just, Yeah. Oh, just the T T comes out to real American. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Couldn't figure out like a, that's a, right. Like, why didn't they? Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, I know why. Because well, I'm going to speculate. But well, battling competing networks. Oh yeah, yeah. I bet you A Team was like ABC, and we're on NBC, so or maybe yeah. they were CBS or whatever. So, Something yeah. like that. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Mm-hmm. But that's a great idea. I I think yeah. that would have been a bigger pop. The A-Team theme. For sure. Yeah, that's smart. Or Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. What Especially since they're going with Clubber Lang. Yeah, but I mean, they'd already, they'd, they'd made moves to move away from Eye of the Tiger, so. Right, yeah. Well, anyway, Real American's definitely a flub. Yeah. Okay, so turns out he's about Randy Savage's size, actually, Mr. T. They're billing him at 235, and okay, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, so he's not a big man among wrestlers. Not among wrestlers, no. Not particularly. 
he still has got good looking shoulders and a, you know like yeah. a, a pretty uh, masculine physique and all that. But he's got the love handles, which I'm familiar with, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute, the TC, you know, I know what those are, you know. And he's, and you can tell because he's always gassing, like he gasses oh, yeah. so bad at WrestleMania one. Yeah, he's always tired. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about uh, Corey and I used to play on a Ultimate Sports Team together, and uh, I was trying to get into shape. I'm not saying that I'm in shape now or ever was, but like I, you know, I would like you run and run and run and run. So after a match one time, like I had just gravity was my master. I, I couldn't get any closer to the center of the earth if I tried, you know, like couldn't lift a pinky. And Corey's looking at me. He's like, are you okay? And, and like there was the next group getting ready to play. So I said to Corey, I says, I'm seven for these guys. Yeah, the same color shirt on as the other team. So yeah. he looked like he's part of them. And they're literally standing over top of you doing their circle. Like they're three, two, one. And you're on the tarp that like is put out for the teams to use. You hadn't left yet. You were laying at their feet. Well, that sounds like exaggeration, but anyway. No, totally true. <laughs> Yeah, I was tired. I was like, Mr. T tired. Yeah, yeah. Nice callback. Yeah. um, Right. Okay, so the match is about to begin, and Mr. T goes to pray. Now, I I don't know how this goes in with the Clubber Lang stuff, but he takes a knee, and he's, yeah, he's in his corner. He's got, got, uh, yeah, a glove on each second second rope, right? Yeah. Um, And in the corner, he's going for a pray, and this allows, of course, or oh wait, I forgot. There's a bit of more, a bit of shtick yeah, beforehand. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. You give me a second. Okay. There is one more thing about the interview that I really liked is that Mr. T's wearing a red and white outfit that Jesse starts to complain about. <laughs> but the, the part that was really rich, rich is that Jesse says uh, that looks like something that Grandma Moses would wear. I believe it was just the last episode where I said Jesse's tights look like your grandma's robe. You know, right. white flowers on a pink you know background. So he's got a, he's got a lot of nerve calling. Out grandma wear. Yeah, I think when he comes to the ring, he says, Jesse says something about like, I'm glad he's not wearing that candy cane. Yeah, <laughs> something, that's right. Something. Yeah. yeah. So before the um, match, Piper is toweling off Orton. This is it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he goes for a little face wash on uh, right. Mr. T. <laughs> yeah, and T hates it. But uh, it's, it's Jesse... kind of like the savage with the weights. Like, Piper's on the other side of a bunch of people because there's yeah. like there's there's trainers in the ring there's the ref there's you yeah. know like so there's there's people in the way so Piper yeah. can kind of just reach over somebody's shoulder and yep. kind of like towel you know but Jesse's up. awesome he's like why he's just toweling off a little sweat Nick man he's sweating look Mr. T he's scared he's scared of cow a cowboy Bob this is really great. Um, anyway, so then T does go for his prey, and that allows for Batlin Bob to get the first shot from yeah, behind. That's right. But now we start to see the problem because T doesn't really sell a big shot yeah, and get. It's, it's like it didn't happen. It's more like a no sell. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and so then we do have what appears to be a boxing match. But the the thing is, is that, you know, you don't always hear something. You know what I mean? Like in wrestling, there's an acoustic factor or percussion. You know I mean? You hear that boom, especially when you're live. There's something about it when you go to see a live match and you see the body hit the floor, but the sound doesn't get to you right away, you know, because of... uh, you know the speed of sound you know yeah, there's yeah, a, just right, a split yeah. and it's just something really cool and real about that when you watch things on tv it's not like that you hear the slam but and and you know these other the the, the smell of the popcorn and the beer and the crowd and and like and, well i guess just like a huge indoor ventilated area like it's it's all these sensory experiences when you see a live wrestling match anyway so um 
when these guys are throwing leather, you're not hearing anything necessarily. Only like every now and then you hear a flap, like a UFC, you'll hear a yeah. thump. But you know, when you hear a UFC thump, thump, a UFC thump, nobody's pounding their foot on the mat to make it sell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like and I that, wish somebody would, that'd be funny. <laughs> yeah. Piper will hit the mat even when he rakes your face, you know, or you know, he'll stomp his foot when he pokes you in the eye, you know, just for that <laughs> percussive cue. The way the uh judges are influenced in UFC, I'm surprised that someone hasn't maybe tried a little bit of that little bit of leg slaps. Yeah. <laughs> make it sound like it'd be more devastating than it is. <laughs> yeah. So there you a couple of times you do hear a smack where somebody yeah. actually lands a punch because this is tough to fake these punches too in a boxing. Yeah, I mean, it always is and but you know to me the only time t looks like a credible fighter is when they're not actually engaged but he's like in the boxer pose and throwing jabs from a bit of a distance and he looks like somebody who knows what he's doing yeah as soon as he actually has to step in and throw punches he's not trying to hurt the guy so he doesn't have to throw a fake punch just like piper said it wrestlemania wouldn't be able to do it yeah and you know and and bob orton style is purposely made to look like when he's boxing, nothing much is happening. But when he throws a wrestling punch, that's when he gets T. You know, like that's yeah, he, and that's when he stomps the mat. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, like the the, the from behind, he he you know, hits yeah. the punch, but he puts his foot yeah, down at the he, same it's time. From a different bump. angle and a different yeah. you know over exaggerated kind of punch versus like a boxing punch. That's right. So um, T ends up pushing Orton against the ropes and then punching him, which is pretty illegal. I'm pretty sure, you know, but McMahon <laughs> immediately accuses Orton of cheating, and McMahon's wait a minute. He did that, and he does it twice. And right away, he, he starts to take big air. Or well, not, it's not—he's not done, but you know, he's beginning to draw some some heavy breaths. T. Yeah, and, and McMahon, I think at one point is like, he's like, "Look at Orton. He's you holding him from behind the neck." He's like, you know, making a big deal out of the fact that Orton's got his glove on the back of T, T's like neck. You know, yeah. Like, I think it T, doesn't even look like much cheating, but the, there you go. I think T was definitely the one who was breaking the proper boxing rules. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but anyway, you can hear Piper. From outside of the ring, holding, he's holding, he's holding him. So he's complaining from outside the ring. <laughs> so yeah, you do hear a few smacks, but mostly the the they land silently. So it's hard to know when to cheer, and you know, and as T gets tired, he, there's more pawing, you know, and That's right. than there is necessarily strikes uh, until you know they decide to go for their first spot, which is uh, a thumb to the eye. There's it, there's a little bit of confusion, yeah. but then they make a thumb to the eye clear, which which brings in the doctors and allows Mister T to. Uh, appear brave by like insisting on carrying right, on pushing them off yeah but he looks more like a jerk because he starts shoving these guys you know these, yeah. these pencil neck geeks you know <laughs> and the you know the badass Mr. T is shoving everybody in his way push push shove shove you know almost you know risking disqualification because they killed you know, Jesse has a really funny line but I didn't write it down do you remember what he says about the thumb in the eye well yeah well he asked big man what's the difference between a blatant thumb in the eye and you know <laughs> I get flagrant thumb in the eye yeah. and, uh, something <laughs> like yeah, in, in, in a, well, he just says, some are accidental, and that one was obviously he meant to do it. <laughs> the bell rings pretty quickly, and then as the referee is pushing T back to his corner, and T is, you know, bad-mouthing the opponents, Orton pulls another big wrestling punch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which which it allows for the heels to be heels, so that's great. Yeah, and it sends them into the second round, like as if like T's like in big trouble already, yeah. like, you know. And then it's kind of hard to tell who's sweating because they douse both of them with drinking water. Both <laughs> both guys get soaked, and um, Bob Orton's not even winded, you know. No, but no, 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 no. <laughs> and he shows up at the beginning of the second round. He's, he's like hopping around because he's yeah, like, yeah. He's, he, he, keeps, to, he keeps looking back at Piper for yeah, encouragement yeah. Or, or a recognition. That's right. Okay, so anything happened between the rounds? Probably just the commercial. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, 
they're rubbing it in, T, in T's face. It almost seems like a little bit, you know, deliberately that the wrestlers are like, we know you don't have the wind. And he's yeah. like, he's he's doing the whole wind-up punches. Yeah, and he, phantom, like pantomime kind of, yeah. yeah like, smiling and nodding to Piper. But this does allow for T to take advantage of. He's not, he's of not taking it seriously anymore. So T gets a few decent-looking shots in. And, yeah, because Bob keeps looking over his shoulder yeah. like he's shoulder-checking in the car. Mm-hmm. And finally, after he does that a couple of times in a row, the third time, he turns his face back to get walloped yeah and t lands in like a good six shots but piper distracts the ref so that orton who's in trouble now lands a knee to the chest (laughs) illegal in a boxing match a wrestling move that's right somehow the referee gets distracted because piper gets up onto the apron and he holds <laughs> Mr. T for Orton to strike. That's right. And uh what and, but instead T ducks. Yep. And then Orton hits Piper, then T turns around and he hits Piper. Yeah, and Piper takes for a the great bump. Finally <laughs> sells for Mr. T. <laughs> there he goes. He does. He takes a jump and uh, he falls to the apron. Yeah, he so hits, hits the apron and then the floor. At yeah. long last, you know, Mr. <laughs> at long last, Mr. T can hurt somebody, That's you right. know, because Piper's famously not sold and for is him. that when I think the next punch, he kind of punches Orton over the top rope, like... He turns around and wallops Orton, and I think Orton takes the spill over the rope too. Or maybe I'm confusing those. Moments, well, but. yeah, I mean, I mean, we're getting to the finish here. Yeah. Uh, I definitely uh, Orton loses by countout is what happens, and so I, yeah, I, he, you know, that's he knows the finish. He's getting out there somehow, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Mr. T, you know, is, is 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 now really kicking ass, and yeah. so I can't. I, I probably I, I don't remember if you know. It was a punch that sent Orton jumping over the top, but certainly <laughs> it is a count out finish. That's right. He's like halfway into the ropes when they count him out. Yeah. Um, but at this point, you know, Mr. T is like, you know, got his hands on his knees and he's bent oh, I, over. I literally wrote it down after Piper took that bump. I'm like, T just looks like so gassed. Yeah. Like he just, there's nothing left. <laughs> like he can't yeah. do anything. That's right. Um, but he's not done because, That's right. you know, there's a post match business to see to. So. Piper spits and strips. He's so furious. He <laughs> hawks a big loogie at T. Spins that kilt off. Takes his belt off and he's ready to go. And of course, Mr. T starts pushing and shoves refs again. Like, I want to fight. I want to fight. Yeah, like, corner men, get out of here. Yeah. So Mr. T and Ronnie Piper square off. But battling Bob Orton is not going to let his man get beaten up by Mr. T. So it doesn't take long. Uh, you know, it's a, it really, they re- yeah, they circle, but really Piper doesn't even land any bare knuckle he's punches. Waiting, he's yeah. just waiting to set him up for Bob. Yeah. So Bob comes in and then we get a pretty uncomfortable spot. Very uncomfortable. Yeah. So I get probably the less, we don't even really need to cover it too much. Like they, they start the hitting him with the belt. Stra- they strap him. Yeah, exactly. So the racial overtones and, and, and Jesse are. Jesse does not helpful. Jesse makes no. comments that I just, yeah. I was like, wow. Like, that's really bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just... You know, like the strapping or something in wrestling, this isn't out of the ordinary. This isn't something... We saw Morocco strapping, you know, uh, Steamboat when he was getting hung. Mm -hmm. Didn't feel like this, though. Yeah. And part of it's because of Jesse, where these... The things Jesse says, you know, make it, you know, they they change the tone of it. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, unfortunately, we're going to have more of this at WrestleMania 2. And, That's right. Uh, and saying, I mean, Piper, you know, he legit, you know, had, bo- you know, grew up as doing boxing. Uh, he claims he was a golden glove. I can't, I've never looked it up to see if it's true or not. Wow. But uh, I know it's, you know, he, he did some pretty serious boxing for a while as a, mm. as a youth. And a young man. Well, so. That's interesting. Well, yeah. of note here, we don't get a rescue. Mr. T is saved by his cornerman. That's right, yeah. No, no uh, wrestlers. Yeah. 
So he's left on his own, two Supp- on one. Supposedly Hogan's his best friend. Yeah. But, uh, what, what the hell? What? Where's Hogan when you know yeah. he's getting? Hmm. Interesting. And uh, what else? Well, maybe maybe he, maybe maybe Hogan likes Mr. T, but he doesn't like Clever Lang. <laughs> Who does? Mean Gene has an exit promo. This one he doesn't do too bad a job. He's like, That's nobody right. does that. Nobody strapped me. My mama. It humiliated, you know, it was, he does okay for a bit. That's right, yeah. But then, you know, he, he does start to, and he also, he, he's, he's uh, glistening with sweat, so he's <laughs> yeah. got the convincing, you know, like post-match yeah. look. Uh, but, um, again, he's a jerk. Fair and, yeah. yeah. Eventually, he's a jerk. He, 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 he Murdoch's mean gene. Shut up, fool! Yeah. <laughs> you know, even like after the thing. <laughs> so what I wonder is why he never said, I pity the fool. That was his catchphrase. Exactly. We haven't even heard it all night. <laughs> he let Hogan do it on Piper's Pit. But, That's uh, it. Do it. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> okay. So our next contest is going to be the Man Mountain King Kong Bundy versus the ever dangerous Steve Gatorwolf. So we're still in our let's have a jobber match every Saturday Smith event. Remember when Gatorade made a chewing gum? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah. weird, eh? It was, yeah. was just like this bizarre flavored, but it was supposed to hydrate <laughs> you. So Bundy and Heenan are with Gene and he's like, Is your man ready? And he's ready to take the belt. He wants Hogan. And, that, you know, that's Bundy's whole thing. He keeps yelling, I want Hogan. It doesn't do a great build for Morocco's status as number one contender. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of comes up. So, oh yeah, Heenan's got a great line. He says, why do you think we came to this dump? <laughs> I have a contract over here for him to sign. He wants Hogan to sign this contract against Bundy. And, you know, and they're asking if he's overlooking his opponent. He's like, don't worry about, don't worry about a thing there, shiny head. <laughs> and it's funny because Jesse always makes cracks about Gene being bald and laughing at him, but it's like, Jesse, <laughs> like, you know, you got the same haircut, buddy. <laughs> yep. The irony. Exactly. Yeah. So they enter the ring. They enter, of course, to no music. And Vince calls Bundy a mass of humanity. And so you've got Hebner checking the wrestlers. And Jesse, <laughs> at one point, Jesse Steve called Bundy. Steve Gatorwolf. Gatorwolf. Jesse calls Bundy a handsome guy. <laughs> okay. And McMahon tells him, you've always had strange choices or strange, you know, likes. So at one point, right as the match is about to start, Vince refers to Bundy's avalanche as the Atlantic City Avalanche, which I've never heard it said any other time, I don't think. So it's kind of interesting that they were trying to brand the avalanche as more than just the avalanche, the Atlantic City Avalanche, but it didn't stick. So Bundy beats Gatorolf down in the corner really quick, gives him a punch and a chop, takes him over to the other corner, gives him a punch and a chop, and then sends him to the far corner, and we get an avalanche. And that's all there's going to be for Steve Gatorwolf. And we get the three count, and Bundy looks into the camera at five! And he wants the five count, so he gets it. And that's the end of this very quick match. And so as Howard Finkel is announcing Bundy as the winner, he rudely <laughs> grabs the mic away from Fink, and he t- to challenge Hogan. I want Hogan! He's yelling. And Jen- Jesse mentions smartly, that Bundy's going to have to wait his turn, because someone else is the number one contender. And so we're going to head to Mean Gene, who's interviewing... Hogan's challenger for the night. Yeah, well, I think the main event is a bit watered down because they're building for WrestleMania 2 so hard by this, I want Hogan, I want Hogan. I feel a bit bad for Morocco. I think that even at the time, I had some sense as a kid, like, why are they, you know, like, focusing so much on the match that isn't happening, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so we we have Morocco. He's got huge arms, but the funny thing is that this is the flabby Morocco. (laughs) Yeah, he's on his way between really flabby to, like, really really over-roided, you know, huge... So, yeah, yeah, he's somewhere half between because his shoulders You, you get to, like, eight, late 87, 88, that's when you get that really big muscle Morocco. Mm-hmm. This is the sort of, the not that. 
Yeah. So he's upset because his manager, Mr. Fuji, and uh, these two have been making Ricky Steamboat's life a living hell for the last year. Mr. Fuji is sick. And Mean Gene is asking Morocco what's the matter, and there's a few jokes about Asian flu. And uh, yeah, yeah. Rah, rah, rah. And Morocco, he tries to blame it on Hogan. That's right. <laughs> Hogan's behind it. I know it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> there's playing- a lab in Wuhan. Morocco often in his interviews would be very cool and calm and collected and cocky and kind of like non you know nothing phased him. This is more of a agitated Morocco, like he's rubbing his face a lot and he's like you know he's he's. It's not that he's stressed out, but he's just like, I think he's feeling the disrespect. Yeah. However, Bobby the Brain Heenan is going to sub for Mr. Fuji, and so he makes his entrance, and all's well in heel world. Except for a strange comment that, uh, you know, Morocco says, I've got the wisest and smartest manager in wrestling, and like, <laughs> feeling bad for Fuji, who, exactly. meanwhile, he's got the hot water bottle yeah, show on his belly, yeah. and he's got an ice pack on his hat. Yeah, and he's making noises. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really selling up the poor sick Fuji. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I did think at the time that it was strange that Morocco was getting the title shot, but now knowing all the stuff we know about coming out of WrestleMania and how, like, Morocco had several big Madison Square Garden title matches against Hogan, like, he's had lots of title matches against him on host shows, so, you know, there's more to this, you know, it's it's not so out of the blue, you know, as it would appear on TV. Right, because we've only seen Morocco with Steamboat. Yeah. And of course, his and his Tito and his other stuff he did beforehand, you know, when when he was Intercontinental Champion. You know, yeah, Funk. Pedro and whatever. You know. Funk had to get through JYD to be the number one contender. And Morocco is the number one contender now. Funk is gone. and or No, he's yeah. not gone, but he's just not the number one contender now. Yeah, yeah like Morocco's last match on Saturday Night Event was like being part of a losing tag team. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> How did that make him the number one contender? <laughs> Anyway, that's where we're at. So, same, same reason the Hart Foundation didn't get a title shot. <laughs> you know, like, because that stuff doesn't always matter so much. Right. So, Mean Gene interviews Hogan before the match, and Hogan, each time he responds to Mean Gene, well, you know, and <laughs> three questions, and yeah, three, well, you know, and whatever it was. <laughs> Nothing that I really, I, very memorable, just, um, because I was more interested in that. So I can't remember what the, right. what the questions or answers were, just that Hogan like you know starts every response with, well, you know. Anyway, so Hogan's making his way to the ring, and Jesse's like, what's that infernal noise? And he's, <laughs> it's Real American, which will be debuting tonight, the video that Hulk Hogan made for oh, his song. So he's got the peaches and cream tonight, the uh, yellow trunks and yellow boots, but the white knee pads. Right, right. The match starts, and Morocco takes a real quick advantage. He does a kind of a double thrust yeah. into the sort of pecs and, or uh, upper ribs, and, and then he, and he's got a double chop, and right away, uh, Morocco gets the advantage. He rakes Hogan's back with his fingernails. He'll regret that game. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to open that can of worms with Hogan. <laughs> um, he's bunching him. He gives him a boot. Morocco's looking great. Then ha- Morocco rakes Hogan's chest with his fingernails. Yow. Oh, ouch. Yeah. So uh, Morocco looks really good for like about a minute. That's right. Yeah. He's very 
all cheating and all winning. <laughs> yeah. Then Morocco's got his different style of Irish whip. You know, instead of like, oh, yeah, instead yeah. of left hand grabs, grabs left hand, he starts with his right hand on your left hand, and then he's yeah, sort of like, like pointing almost, where he wants you to go. Yeah, it's almost like a one hand whip. <laughs> yeah. Then eventually his left hand came in and yeah. did the whip. But this is where Hogan gets his advantage. He reverses that. Uh, Morocco goes into the corner, and as he staggers out, he gets a back body drop. So now Hogan, now the yeah. crowd goes crazy because Hogan, you know, starts to take over. That's right. And now Hogan's going to scratch. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. He's going to show him what Vern taught him. Yeah, that's right. The finger rake express. So Hogan goes for it three times and rakes his fingers across Morocco's back. And he's nodding and the crowd's loving it. And he's like, yeah, that's what you get. That's what you get. And then poor Bobby gets up on the apron and he gets a shot from Hogan. Yeah, yeah sells that like a boss. He's got to take a shot. Oh, it's wonderful. So there's an atomic drop and the action spills outside the ring. There's some punching. They go back into the ring and Hogan gets it. When Hogan is cheating all the time, Jesse says to McMahon, you like it when Hogan's breaking all the rules all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we get a two count from Hogan and a bear hug. Uh, another bear hug. He uh, did yeah. that in the Savage match. Now he's using the bear hug against Morocco. Right. I don't know why Morocco waits 30 seconds before he headbutts Hogan, but eventually. <laughs> yeah, eventually. Eventually, yeah. You know, to wear him down, I'll let Hogan sap his strength. Right. Ah. <laughs> and then uh, something that no other wrestler I particularly remember using, you know, thumb to the throat. The Asian spike, they the call Asian it. Asian spike is, if you look at his hand, it's taped up. He's yeah. got the thumb all super taped. There's yeah. so, there's a few other people have used the Asian, the spike thing, you know, at times. Right. I think, like, even Mang at one point, I think later in his WCW career, was kind of doing a bit of that stuff. But definitely, it's it was something, I think, that was handed down through decades of wrestlers, you know. Right. Someone, someone along the lines was using yeah. the, th- the thumb. It looks pretty good. Yep. Like a foreign object. We know a guy who's got thumbs that were like oh, right. daggers and he would stick them in your ribs and you're just like, oh my God. I thought he was trying to kill you. I thought yeah, he the voice, the voice you hear on our intro song introducing us. Don't yeah. don't let him give you rib shots with his thumbs. It'll, it'll break your ribs. <laughs> so the, be- the beatings begin. Morocco has got control again. He puts a really nice Russian leg sweep on Hogan. That's good. He climbs to the second rope and d- d- gives another big sweeping arc Asian spiked the Hogan's throat. Yeah, yeah. And they look really good. That's right. And Jesse keeps calling for the pile driver, but surprisingly, yes. Morocco doesn't actually go for it. Yeah, and, Mor- and Morocco's got more of like the tombstone style pile driver. They call it the front pile driver back then. Right. He does it a little different, though. Instead of having the guy's crotch in his face, <laughs> like he's in the uh, uh, certain position, he puts the guy over his one shoulder, kind of like Davy Boy's power slam, but then slides him further down so that his head's around the knees and he's kind of at an angle drops him for the pile driver. Right. I think he snuck in there somewhere. He gets the uh, the Mr. Fuji falling headbutt to yeah. the crotch. Yeah. Low, to the, well, lower <laughs> abdomen lower region. Lower abdomen. Lower abdominals. That's right. <laughs> that is, uh, and he, it's almost like the uh, DiBiase or flop, you know, just falling straight forward, but it's an offensive maneuver. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> However, I can't remember if it was that second rope, second rope Asian spike that causes the Hulk up, but we get the Hulk up. It's right around that time, yeah. Yeah. We get, he gets the shakes and then the freeze and then, wait, 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 rather, he doesn't get the shakes. He shakes his head. You yes. know what I mean? And then he freezes and then he, what did you call it? The wolf face? The, the hoof. Hoof. Yeah. Puffs his cheeks out and then Quaker Oats and another freeze. <laughs> then he blocks the punch, which, you know, became patented later. Oh, he wastes, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. won't, you know, that's what, there comes a point where like, now he's waiting for a punch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he can't hit you until you try to hit him. That's right. <laughs> But in this case, uh, we end up seeing probably the ropes because I got a reverse elbow here and a big boot, leg drop. 
And Bobby Heenan comes in to prevent the pain and cause a disqualification. So we have, this is a famous clip now. It'll get replayed throughout history. Hogan puts Heenan up for the hangman choke. Yeah, I love it when Heenan stomps on Hogan. A, Hogan totally no-sells it. And Heenan doesn't realize that Hogan's no-sold the stomp. Like, he thinks Hogan's down. And his hair is somehow a little bit messed up Heenan's. So when he turns around and sees Hogan coming, he takes this great bump just from from falling down from Hogan walking towards him. It's (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) So that's great. But while Hogan's got Bobby up, King Kong Bundy comes in from behind and clubs him with a forearm. And before long, you've got Morocco on the outside of the ring, on the apron. He's in the corner and he's holding Hogan's arms, got his wrists, at, so that Hogan is, he's got his back to Bundy in the, in the ring. And Bundy gives him an avalanche and you get two of those, crush, crunch. Right. And uh, then they put him onto the mat and Hogan's laying down there. And then you get Heenan directing traffic and... Bundy bounces off the ropes to go for a splash avalanche, and Morocco actually gets it in a position so that he can help push push him down. That's, That's right. right. It's a little extra oomph. Yeah, a little extra oomph. I like. To, I think uh, Morocco kind of like folds Hogan's arms over his body like he's dead. You know, like yeah. before the splashes. <laughs> well, they give him. Uh, yeah, the splashes. They give him a splash to the front and a splash they to roll the back. Over, give him a splash on yep. the back. Yeah. So this is as as bad as I've seen Hogan in the WWF. For get. sure. Yeah. I mean, he was down and out in matches, but he always came back in yeah. those matches. They've never stretched him. Yeah, they'd never. He'd never done an angle where he neck couldn't, brace where he couldn't get up. Yeah, hospital, and so that's you know for the rest of the show, Hulkster's condition. Like his video, he's well, first off, who who chases off the heels? Oh yes, our beloved British Bulldogs. That's right, they come in their ring jackets and they that's right they jump in. It's quite funny actually if you look at the history of the WWF. Uh, the Bulldogs are involved many times of yeah. coming into the ring to come save Hogan. <laughs> yeah, well, even they, though they have never have any kind of storyline with them, you know. Like, that's funny. Well, I was going to say Orndorff the time that he you yeah know. They, that that one too yeah. Yeah. My, my thing on the beatdown, here's my thing. Where's Stud? You know what would have made this even more impactful is if Stud would have come out. Right, I guess. If Stud and Bundy showed up to attack him. Mm, I guess Andres wasn't available. Cause yeah, he, exactly. He, he, uh... I, I guess that's the problem. If you bring Stud out, then how do you not have, you know, Junkyard Dog and everybody else come running out? You know, this sort of, again, I don't know why the the, the baby faces aren't helping each other tonight. <laughs> Mr. T's getting whipped. Nobody's helping him. Hogan's getting splashed. Why didn't Mr. T come out? Probably mad that he didn't get helped with that strap. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's a lonely night for the fa- the faces. <laughs> That's right. Saturday night's main event. And yeah, so we're building for WrestleMania too. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, like Jeff said, it's a big deal. I believe when they come back from commercial, you've got uh, Monsoon in the back of the ambulance with Hogan, Mean Gene's asking for directions. What, what, what hospital are they going to? Can you get an update? The ambulance they is got driving photographers, away. EMTs, yeah. Yeah, all yeah. kinds of extras. So. Yeah, the Miles is good a point to bring it up now. So this is the first Saturday's main event where there isn't like a theme. There isn't like extra stuff happening. The extra stuff is the hospital stuff. You know, like instead of having bobbing for apples or water slides or Mother's Day parties, it's, you know, it's the Hogan ambulance update. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's a, bit, a little bit different. Okay, so we come back and we have a tag team title match. So here we are. This is that match that I saw on... Wished I had taped and didn't and, and had to wait, you know, decades to, to see again. So we got Bulldogs with Albano in the blue tights. They're in the ring and the Dream Team are entering to no music. And then we head over for pre-recorded comments. And Mean Gene brings up that less than a month ago, you lost. <laughs> and Johnny V's like, hey, that was just a warm up. We were just scouting him, baby. You know, it's the real deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we get to see the clip 
of again of Davy Boy power slamming Brutus and picking up Valentine and the headbutt and all that good stuff. So uh, they show that again, and that's where I again like that's the only time I ever saw that footage was in that clip there. So that was super fun to get to see that. And Valentine calls them just a circus act, you know, they're just acrobats and that they're real wrestlers and all that stuff. So you got Beefcake there. Once they go back to the ring now, they're live in the ring again. And you've got a close-up of Beefcake. He's got this weird yellow and black kind of thing happening on his, uh, you know, not stripes, but almost like wavy stripes or tiger stripes or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, he always had pretty outlandish uh, outfits, but this one looks pretty good. And pardon me, once they're back in the ring, that's when they go to the footage. Now we get to see the footage. So when you come back, we got Davy Boy starting in the ring. And as the dream team is hugging, so he's waiting for the, he's, he's waiting for this thing to happen. There's a big three-way hug in the, over in the corner. Johnny V's love loving. So Valentine and Davy Boy lock up, and Valentine pushes Davy Boy off, and they lock up again. And then Davy Boy like throws Valentine into the corner. Like he doesn't push him into the corner; he like chucks him into the corner, like gets some air on him and stuff like that. It's pretty great. So uh, Davy Boy catches a kick again. They, this is that same spot, Dynamite. He catches that kick, spins him around for the atomic drop, and into Dynamite Kid's corner where he gets the headbutt. From dynamite on the apron, and then David Boy gives him a big headbutt, and we get the flare flop. <laughs> Valentine did it just about as good as anybody. The hammer drop. So David Boy goes quick, quick pin, gets a two count, but the foot's on the rope to break the count. And then Hammer rolls to the outside on the apron, and David Boy grabs him. Vertical suplex to bring him back in. And this is what people, like, you know, the WrestleMania 2 match and stuff, the amount of moves, especially suplexes and slams and things like that, you just, if you went through matches and counted how many times people did those different moves, it wasn't a ton. Like, they weren't, like, it wasn't spot, spot, spot. And so when the Bulldogs and the Dream Team started doing this, where, and it's nothing like today, I'm not trying to say they're doing, like, 100 moves, they're not, but they were doing, like, two to three to four times as many moves, let's say, as other matches. And that's what people really got fired up about. And because it was unique, because it wasn't every single match doing four, five, 10, 20, 30 times moves, it was this, you know, one kind of set of, you know, one feud, let's say, that really kind of stood out. You go watch the WrestleMania 2 matches, the Bulldogs Dream Team match stands out as a different type of wrestling, you know, compared to what else you see on the card. So yeah, it's got that vertical suplex to bring him back in the ring, covers for two, tags to bring in dynamite and they whip valentine off the ropes and this is where you get the patented like they lock arms and they charge with the double shoulder shoulder block it's a really great bulldog spot and then dynamite kid with a he- uh, headbutt and another you know the flare flop <laughs> valentine's getting knocked around pretty good so you get a two count and hammer's begging off you know on his knees in the corner on his knees so dynamite comes to get him but that's where hammer's able to slip in a shot and a forearm he grabs a headlock and he tags brutus while he's got that headlock so uh, dynamite kid off the ropes he goes for the drop down, and uh, there's a small botch because he's supposed to like basically nail Brutus, but something goes awry. It kind of looks like Dynamite maybe takes the hit, but he immediately starts kicking Brutus and, and going back on the attack. So it's clear that Brutus was supposed to take some sort of a bump here. So this is the second time now out of those two matches, Brutus fucked that spot up twice. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Poor Brutus. But I mean, the the offense at, in that is just amazing. Like uh, now, yeah. watching this again, I'm like, oh well, this is why I love the Bulldogs. This this match, this TV program, yeah. Especially like I think we, one of the other matches we you know before this was the Dream Team just clobbering the Bulldogs like the opposite. There was yeah. a match where the Bulldogs can't do anything, but in this match they can do no wrong. Oh yeah, they're just kicking their ass. For oh, like 80% so, of it. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so as soon as Dynamite Kid, you know, recovers from this botch, he's kicking and he's giving him shots, rams Beefcake's head into the corner, 
And Brutus does this great stagger out of the corner. It's really subtle, but he starts taking his hand out like he's trying to tag somebody, but he's like nowhere near any ropes or corner. Like yeah. he's, he's facing the wrong way. It's really good. I, I thought it was pretty funny. So didn't always enjoy all of Brutus's stuff, but you know, he has certain things he does pretty well. So this uh, is yeah, certainly for me, the highlight, you know, of, uh, of anything that he's ever done. I yeah. will watch, you know, I want to watch his tag teams matches with the, the Bulldogs. Yeah. It's the, it's the best stuff he did. So Davey gets tagged in, and again, we're back on that arm lock spot. So he does, does it once, and he does it twice. But the second time, instead of flipping him over, he just holds him up in the air, like kind of like he's holding him up in that choke or something, but he's holding him up by that arm. And they were just, again, so great at doing this together. Like, you know, Beefcake was clearly awesome at holding himself up, because if he really did this to somebody, he'd break their arm. So, you know, they, they knew how to do it, and it looks it looks tremendous. So after the second one, he whips him for a big back elbow, but Brutus falls into his own corner and tags Hammer back in. So he gets in and he loses the exchange and then Davy deadlifts him into a press slam. It's like, you know, it's really, it's an interesting spot. Normally Davy Boy's press slams more often than not come off of an Irish whip and there's some momentum and I think that helps to get the guys up. And also, as we've seen with people like, you know, Terry Gordy and stuff like that, you got to post up. Meaning that you got to like, if you're the guy getting lifted, you got to do some work. You know, you got to put your hands on the guy's like shoulder and like, you know, you got to, your, your core strength, you know, like there's yeah. a lot of things that are involved. Right. I'm, I watched this a couple of times. Valentine is like doing nothing to help Davy Boy. So like Davy Boy struggles to get him up in the press slam. And I'm thinking like, I've seen Davy Boy press slam way bigger guys than Valentine. And then I realize it because Valentine's not doing his, his share of the, the work here. So he gets him up, in, but he does get him up. It takes him he a little extra He needs to do a, a Volkov press slam. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. care. I don't need your help. <laughs> <laughs> Back of the tights. <laughs> so after a bit of a struggle, yeah, he gets him that, gives him that press slam and uh, cover for two. So he tags in Dynamite Kid for uh, a double headbutt they give to Valentine. And then Dynamite Kid with those knee drops. Oh, and he's kicking Valentine after the, after those two knee drops. And he's stomping on his head. And it just, again, I'm like, I don't know how you're doing that fake. That looks real. <laughs> and these, these are two, you know, le- legendary yeah. tough guys. Yeah, you know? Valentine like, likes to hit hard too, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Stiff, two, two very stiff wrestlers, Billington, Tom, Dynamite Kid, and Greg Valentine. Yeah. So then Dynamite gives Valentine a back suplex and a falling headbutt. And then Hammer kicks out a two of them a cover attempt. And then Dynamite Kid super quick jumps to the second rope and drops one of those knees from the second rope. And I don't see anything of land. Like the first point of landing is Dynamite's knee on Valentine's head. I have no uh, yeah, idea. They, like, look, they just look how crazy. Does he, how does he not go to the hospital? I don't, I don't know. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really, you know, really, you know, you're like, you're, you're cringing for him. You're like, oh my God, I hope he's okay. So yeah, Dynamite tags in Davy Boy. And then Hammer, like, he's just, he's fighting as hard as he can. <laughs> he's trying to come back. So they start exchanging blows, and Hammer valiantly is fighting back and getting some shots in. But then Davy Boy, after taking one of Valentine's shots, bounces off the ropes and then gives Valentine a really big drop kick and just nails him. And then at that point, once Valentine stands up, Davy Boy grabs him into a small package for two. And Greg with a thumb to the eye, but Davey lifts him into the corner. So he like, he, you know, they, they, the bad guys just can't catch a break here. They can't, you know, yeah. get any momentum. The, the Bulldogs will not be denied. <laughs> no wonder we love the Bulldogs. They're yeah, just, exactly. this, they're, they're superheroes in this match. Yes, yes. So yeah, so he uh, basically gets him to the corner, tags Dynamite Kid in, and he comes in with these big chops. But again, Hammer's like, you know, like, he's not, he will not be denied. <laughs> so he starts hitting Dynamite as he's being hit. And then he does a front atomic drop. And finally tags Brutus in. And he's in with uh, like a boot and some strutting and stuff like that. He comes in and stomps on Dynamite and he's strutting. And it's, you know, it's not quite the barber stuff yet. So it's pretty funny. And uh, Johnny V is up on the apron at this point for some reason. And Albano pulls him down. And then like there's a fight going on in the ring. 
between like let's say Dynamite and I guess Brutus but then Davy Boy and Valentine are outside and then eventually everybody's outside so you have like the three people on one side facing off against the three on the other side and conveniently we we go to we go to commercial and back in this day you could tell unlike modern wrestling where they actually wrestle through the commercial like this is you know recorded so they you're not missing much you're missing like right. 10 seconds so they come back from commercial and we get Dynamite Kid and Brutus in the ring because that's where we were when we left and so yeah so they they you know they start interacting again and but right away beef gets beef gets trapped in the corner again and jesse and like you know mcmahon are talking about this but just can't believe like you know how the the champs it's not their night you know like they just they can't do anything yeah i I had forgotten what a batter this match is yeah so dynamite kid holds beefcake's arms open and davy boy goes to the top rope and comes off with a drop kick and then he runs across the ring and does this big splash on on brutus and so you know it looks really good yeah so Finally, after getting a kick, kick out of that, Beefcake gets the advantage and brings Hammer in, and they do these double teams. They're kicking the leg, and they're doing all this stuff, and Hammer immediately goes to the figure four. And this time, Dynamite Kid comes in with that leap, same leaping leg drop, except for he, instead of coming across Davy Boy's body, this time he's just coming straight from his corner, straight to Hammer. And this time we do have Jesse. <laughs> they're like, you know, oh, come on, McMahon. He's just like so upset that uh, the Dynamite's breaking up the hold. It's really, it's really great. So Davy Boy tags after like you know the jet after the breakup, and Dynamite comes in does a series of headbutts, punches and forearms. But you know Valentine fires back on his own shots, and they're like hitting each other big time. And Valentine does this big elbow. Then Greg hits a second rope elbow. He looks a little nervous. He's like holding on to the top rope. He's getting ready to like he's kind of leaning out like he's ready to let go, but he's like someone who doesn't want to dive off a diving board or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was expecting it to be a miss, but it wasn't. It was you know he he did land it. So he goes he gets a pin for two. And then he picks Dynamite up and he gives him a shoulder breaker for two. That looks really good. And then he throws Dynamite Kid into Brutus's boot and makes the tag. And they're battering Dynamite Kid in the corner, giving him shots, both of them. And then Brutus gives him a snapmare out of the corner and a running, jumping boot. It looks really silly. Like, it's just like, he could have done more damage just kicking him instead of like running across the ring and doing this big, you know, over overwrought uh, kind of like fake kick. So he gets a two count off that. And then for some reason, the crowd really pops. Like when he kicks out of like this, you know, kick from Brutus, the crowd's like really hot for it. So Hammer's tagged back in, and he does this really neat thing. He does this, like, bounce off the rope, running, wind up, like, falling clothesline. (laughs) You know, because Dynamite's laying on the ground. Right, but that's the hammer, isn't it? It's the hammer, but it's just the way he does it. It lands perfectly. Like, it looks like like he's clotheslining him, but on the mat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So drops the hammer, so to speak. And, yeah, gets a two count. And then he signals for the figure four. But this time, Dynamite Kid, as the as Valentine turns the corner with his back to Dynamite, as he's trying to, like, hook the leg, Dynamite kicks him off, so he... Valentine takes this great bump face first into the corner and then basically Greg tries to go to the top rope after getting knocked into the corner but Dynamite Kid gets up there and slams him off the top and then goes to the top himself and then he does this fucking amazing missile drop kick and I don't know the 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 cameraman is like I guess his camera's between the second and the top rope so it's like Dynamite's like a plane landing from the sky you know what I mean like he comes from behind the camera over top of it and then comes in and like oh it looks so good I like I didn't notice it the first time I watched the second time I saw it I was like oh my god that was like just brilliant camera work like you know Dick Dick Ebersole you know (laughs) pat yourself on the back (laughs) guy knows what he's doing so yeah, he gets he gets that uh, drop kick for two. Oh, pardon me, it's the it's a foot on the rope for two, of course. So Dynamite whips Valentine for this big clothesline, two count, snap suplex. Beefcake comes in and stomps Dynamite Kid, and Davy Boy comes in and drop kicks him out of the ring. So Greg and Dynamite Kid get back to their feet, and Hammer grabs a headlock, and here Dynamite pushes Greg into the ropes, pushes him off so like an equivalent of an Irish whip, pushes him to the other side, and here's where he tries to charge at Valentine. 
but they collide head first, head to head, and Dynamite falls backwards, and Valentine falls over him on top of him, and more the bottom half of Valentine covering, and and Valentine's out, <laughs> and the ref's down there, one, two, three, and like, it's so strange, because like, the Dream Team get this like, clean victory, but, and then they're really selling it afterwards, Dynamite's up pretty quick, and Valentine just stays down, like he's, like he's been knocked out, so it's this neat kind of weird finish, that kind of saves face for the Bulldogs in a way, you know, like I think because it's kind of like this fluke. Plus, like, you know, they won like 85% of the match. Oh, so. yeah. Um, I Never again will we see the Bulldogs dominate like this. Well, actually, I, I will. Let's wait for WrestleMania 2 because I remember loving the Bulldogs versus the Dream Team at WrestleMania 2, and I'm looking forward to yeah, watching it again. Yeah, I would say it's again. probably more of my recollection. It's more of a 50 50 match, you know? Right. Like, yeah, you know. So I don't. Now I can see how they got us to love the Bulldogs, but they never. I don't think they ever let us see them shine like this. Again. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some good moments, but uh, this is one of the best ones, even though they didn't win. So strange, right? It's kind of a, yeah. a bit of that Randy Savage thing. It's like, you know, you don't have to win to have a great match. So yeah, and it's, it's funny. McMahon's like, you talk about luck. <laughs> He's all pissed off that the Dream Team has won, and it's pretty funny. And Jesse says, I call that momentum. <laughs> and the crowd's really booing, and like I said, Valentine's totally out. So we go to commercial, and when they come back, we get Gene outside the emergency trauma center. And, you know, there's not much to say about it other than the fact that he's just, we're trying to get word, and da-da-da. It's kind of just a, it's a bridge to the next segment. Yeah, it also seems like it's something that they're going to use ad nauseum over the years and decades in the future. You know, like flashing lights and ambulance and just like it's going to yeah. get overdone to the point where I already don't care. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So we're waiting for an update. And so they come back, and here's where the tone is weird and off, because we're trying to be made like, those. oh, this, what's happening, and is Hulk Hogan okay? And now let's see the debut of his <laughs> Real American video. Yeah, it does somewhat take away from the gravitas of these career-threatening <laughs> injuries. Timing. Like, they should have debuted yeah. his video earlier in the, like, before the match. Yeah, absolutely. But here we go to Real American. <laughs> so it's not a bad riff. But what we have is um, Hulk Hogan wearing some yellow Macho Man shades, just like the pair that I've got over there that I, I wore, to, I, that I used to wear as part of my outfit. And he's got a USA red, white, and blue guitar. And Hulk Hogan was actually a musician. Uh, we won't go too far down the path, but uh, he was performing in bands, and, and there were even people who would see him and I think. He should be a wrestler when he was like playing. That's right. Yeah, I think he played guy. bass though. Bass guitar, yeah. Yeah, because it does take strength. To, they're very thick strings on a bass guitar, yeah. so it helps to be a, a monster like yeah, that's Hogan. That's right. Yeah, he's, he more recently has been you know caught in some lies where he kind of like told some fibs about like different bands that were trying to get him to play with them back in the day when he was choosing between wrestling and music. And, and ah. then people from those bands kind of came out and were like, like they tried to be polite about it, but they were so like, yeah, no, we never. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, hard to see to what degree he's actually playing this riff, but, you know, he does know how to play guitar. So, yeah. Anyway, we have baby pics of Hogan and Hogan's, you know, dad and and probably his mom, too. His mom showed up on Mother's Day. That's right, she was, right? yes. Yeah, okay. And some strange black and white footage. You have Airplane. Well, first you have a building coming down, like controlled demolition. This building just implodes, you know, in black and white footage. 
Okay. And then you have some early flight footage, like experimental, but it's it's not really, it's just black and white footage of an airplane crashing into this sort of wooden building. And like, and then finally, there's a guy on a bicycle who rides full speed ahead into like a two foot brick wall and he sails over it and knocks down all these. So a guy crashes into a brick wall with his bicycle and sails over it. Like he, he probably is fine. There's obviously, you know, you don't see what he falls over to. And he, you know, the bicycle just, you know, he's like, what the fuck? This is the first 30 seconds. Then you get a bunch of presidents in George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Lincoln, all that kind of stuff. Although it was, anyway, don't be too uh, hard on my American history. I know that Benjamin Franklin was not a president, but I'm pretty sure most of those other other guys were. Yeah. Then we get on to other figures like there's a, a shot of the suffragette movement who got women the vote. There's a shot of... Martin Luther King, and then the rest of it is soldiers and, and guns and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but you get fireworks, and then then they also lean heavily into all the footage that they've had. It, it, it's almost like the year in review, basically, that we had in the last bit, yeah, episode yeah. because it's him and all his various foes, Hogan, fireworks, and then Hogan goes sightseeing. That's the that's the part I think that like survives, like the part yeah. about this video that like kind of has Hogan. gone on forever. Yeah, is Hogan at the Ho- Grand Canyon. Yeah, this hokey sort of superimposed Hogan. In, like where he looks like he's giant because he's like behind yeah. a mountain or something mm-hmm. and he's playing his bass guitar and it's just you know Hogan on tour <laughs> you know to all yeah. these sight- sightseeing that's and I right think that's those those have made some pretty great memes yeah so I could do without the uh the nuke launch you know that uh, appears to be a part of this video but uh that was real American yeah I just tried to look at it for the comedy of the I ignored all the the you know the old symbolism and just kind of went for like the this is funny when we start seeing like Hogan like superimposed over yeah you know there's there's some good stuff. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your So that's going to leave us with, oh, yeah, whoa, 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 back up. So Wait a minute, McMahon. Wait a minute, McMahon. (laughs) So there's one important thing in this video. So if people had listened to an earlier episode of ours where we talked about the Hulk theme and the show, the cartoon Rock and Wrestling, and it didn't make it to air, but at one point I had mistakenly corrected Jeff on the ending where all the kids... Injustice, you son of a bitch! (laughs) So all these kids in the rock and wrestling, you know, credits... They, you know, he's coming, he's walking down the street to the Hulk theme and all these kids come from like surrounding him and there's hundreds of them and you realize there's all these Hulkamaniacs. And I had said, no, no, he's like on a motorcycle and all these people come out. And then I went and watched it again and I'm like, there's no motorcycle. No and motorcycle. Then I, and then I Googled it and I couldn't find it. And I was like, was that WCW? And I started looking and I couldn't find it. So I finally gave up. Beads and was of just, sweat running down yeah, your right. weasley like, little forehead. So I just edited it out. <laughs> but... <laughs> Aha, vindicated, because this video has Hogan on a motorcycle, and he pulls up, and all the fans come around him like they did in the Hulk video. So uh, here we go. (laughs) Now that I'm I'm right, (laughs) it's back in. (laughs) Yes. Well, you weren't right to correct me, but you weren't crazy. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. I had the memory somewhere. I didn't make it up. 
Yeah, I had a, I, I when you were talking about it, I you know had the image struck, struck a bell. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I must have seen. Well, I'm pretty sure I watched. Oh, they this. must have played this video on yeah. syndicated TV ad nauseum, like you know, right. like or at least clips of it, anyways. Yeah, it's funny because this one doesn't have the comedy of all the slammy stuff. Well, they're different. Like this is like they're really trying to be a rock. Yeah. They're yeah. going for a rock song, whereas Maybe most of the slammies is comedy. Exactly. Yeah. So we have one more match left on Saturday night's main event. So it's the Junkyard Dog once again keeping his streak alive. I, th- I think we should go get a list going because, you know, there's there's McMahon, Jesse, Mean Gene, Hogan, Piper, Junkyard Dog. I'm not sure if anybody else has made it into every single one. Like, because she can Volkoff get knocked off of this one, I think. I, I, or, yeah. Well, I, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, we'll... If we're going to get down to very specific details, we'll have to go look back. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, but there's only a handful of people who've been on every single episode, and Junkyard Dog is one of them. That's right. Yeah. And maybe Jimmy Hart. I would have to check him, too. I think he's managing to find his way to, to be out there with somebody almost every time. We'll have to check and see if he made the first one or not. But uh, maybe he didn't. Maybe he wasn't on the first one. So anyways, Jimmy Hart's in, in, in a lot of them. So we have this sort of new character for Adrian Adonis. He's sort of, like, transitioned out of his, like, east-west connection, north-south connection tough guy, leather jacket, Adrian Adonis into, you know, sort of this flamboyant, maybe an update on Gorgeous George, but to an extreme, you know, like something like that. It wasn't my favorite character. I always liked Adonis as a wrestler. Once he became this character, I definitely don't think I was cheering for him. But, you know, he's he hasn't lost his talent, you no. know. And despite his, you know, his increasing size... As we go down the road over the next year, and I bet he keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, well, the whole thing is, we'll just, we'll just say it. It's yeah. really problematic. They're trying to get you to boo a gay guy, and that's terrible, you know? Yeah. And what's really awesome now is that there is some wrestler who's openly gay, and nobody cares. And that's so right. that's, yeah. it's wonderful. That's, that, that this has happened, and, and yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, so, it doesn't have to be the yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to be the the part of it or whatever. And, so. and, and, and exactly, I think it only gets like it's not all, but it, it's only just part of the thing. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's not even it really in a way it's not anything like for the character at any EW that I think you're talking about from the tag team. Yeah, he's you know I, I only found out about that recently. It's never he never makes it any part of his character. He's, yeah. he's just a wrestler who goes out there and kicks ass. You know, like right. Except for scissoring daddy. I mean, is that- I guess so, but I, because I didn't <laughs> maybe right, but I didn't I didn't know that, so I didn't even put the two together. Yeah. It was sort of just like a it was the updated you know suck it. You know, like it was the, right. you know, it yeah, was yeah. some kind of, you know, hand gesture thing that the crowd caught on to and got really popular. But anyway, that's really a positive change. Like you, you wouldn't ever, thank God, see that again. I hope that we're like, yeah. oh, look at this character. Well, He's gay. They would Boom. Be, yeah. They, in today's climate, you know, if, if yeah. WWE or AEW went down that road, they yeah. would get roasted. So hard. this this angle is quite distasteful. But Adrian yeah. Adonis himself is, you know, a, a performer yeah. that we hold dear to our hearts. Yeah. So he, it's you know, he's in the ring, and they go to pre-recorded comments, and he wants to say hi to all the small people <laughs> and uh, teeny weeny people. Yeah, that's right. He talks about how he always hated dogs, and before his interview is even done, you can start to hear "Grab Them Cakes," <laughs> like you know, Junkyard Dogs music's starting up because it's pre-recorded, but then the live audio is going over top of the pre-recorded. We know Adrian's yeah. already in the ring. You the know? the other part of it is that his physical shape—they had him like get a. a, a, a Really obese, like he fattened up a lot from yeah, his. Yeah, I don't other... know how much of that was direction from the company, or if that yeah, was, you know, hard knows? to know. But like they they wanted to gross you out with this big fat gay guy, you know. So it's just all oh, yeah. it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but he was awesome. He he made us boo. Yeah, and he yep. was a bump machine. Yeah, and he knew what he was doing. So. At this point, we're back in the ring, and JYD's up on the apron with his chain, and McMahon's just, like, too into the music. <laughs> like, McMahon's like, oh, yeah! He's, like, so into the music. <laughs> so they go to commercial, 
And when you come back, Adrian still has his scarves on, and he's taunting the dog by kind of flipping them at them. And, and he's got uh, the like Christmas bow in his hair as that's well. That's right. Yes, yes. And, and uh, makeup, pink and blue makeup. And J- and... JYD, exactly. Yeah, he's got some really over-the-top makeup. And JYD is kind of like wants to get at Jimmy Hart. He doesn't really care about Adrian Adonis. He's still kind of mad at Jimmy Hart from the Terry Funk feud and everything else. So, um, and this is in a way is an extension of the, you know, Hart versus Junkyard Dog feud. You know what I mean? Like it's it's whoever the... It's the best he's got. The wrestler of, of water Jimmy slide. Hart versus, you know. <laughs> the water slide showdown. <laughs> I'm the better man. So finally, uh, JYD grabs these scarves and flips Adonis. <laughs> with them and he does an incredible sling to the post like he whips adrian into the corner and adrian does the you know ducks the shoulder and goes through the ropes into the post and like oh god it just looks so devastating and he but he you know he doesn't go through the ring he comes back into the ring and there's a headbutt and adrian flips backwards off this headbutt over the top rope and ties himself up like he's just he's might as well be a pinball he's he's in the wrong career so hard to type up a pinball. And ball. there's a couple times, uh, you know, in this match again, alluding what Jeff's talking about. JYD's kind of taunting, you know, and getting the crowd to like sort of jeer him by doing these effeminate kind of moves. And it's, you would know, you believe he pulled that shit against Paul Orndorff, like the yeah, most right, masculine yeah. guy, exactly. and they would call Paula, yeah, yeah. Paula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's basically taunting him, and he's then he starts laying in shots. And Adrian has gotten himself out onto the apron and he's kind of like, you know, out on his feet holding onto the ropes, like, but almost like he's as if he's about to fall out of the ring, like he's holding himself up on the ropes, all of his weight. And that's when there's just this massive slingshot. So Adrian goes flying through the air like a plane and onto, onto his back and dog comes in with a clothesline and Adrian just spins in the air off this clothesline. So like the first few minutes is just basically dog just battering Adrian and just nailing him and him just flying all over the place. So there's a two count and a dog puts Adrian Adonis in like a pile driver position. And I was like, oh, what? I, you know, I'm trying to remember. I was trying to remember as I'm watching this for the first time in all, so many years. And I'm like, but no, he didn't do it. He does what, you know, many people would call like a skull buster. So that means he kind of keeps his legs between his thighs and then he jumps up in the air and lands on his feet. And kind of that's somehow, you know, supposed to do big damage <laughs> to your opponent. And so, yeah, the skull buster. Adrian lands uh, some weird shots after that. Like he starts doing these sort of weird, like, you know, I don't know, snake strikes, open hand, fi- open fingers, kind of like to the throat and stuff. And so he tries to uh, whip Junkyard Dog, but it gets reversed into the corner. And then that's where he takes like the Harley race, like Ric Flair bump. So here we go again. Like Yeah, I remember his uh, amazing agility. Yeah. So at this point, he's on the outside because he's gone over the top rope to the outside. And Jimmy and Adrian Adonis are hugging like, ah! And Jimmy's got his back to the uh, ring, and uh, <laughs> Junkyard Dog comes flying over on his on all fours like he would do with his headbutt, like his little crawling headbutt, and he headbutts Jimmy Hart in the back and like knocks them both over. And Jesse gets really mad about this and is like, "What?" He's uh, he's really outraged that this has happened. And so basically, Junkyard Dog starts dragging J- Adrian Adonis back into the ring and for some reason Jimmy Hart's like trying to hold on to Adonis to stop him from going into the ring which of course eventually leads to Jimmy Hart being dragged into the ring so now they're like all three of them are in the ring and there's a headbutt to Adrian Adonis and then John Cartog grabs Jimmy in the corner and he whips him into Adrian Adonis and they take this huge spill over the ropes and I'm pretty sure it looks like Adrian kind of lands on Jimmy on the apron as they're going out and it didn't look like that looked like it hurt like I was like oh poor Jimmy he's getting squished so they're just like just totally destroyed and you know on the outside just not doing well at all and so McMahon says the ref is, is thinking about a DQ and you can see the junkyard dogs like putting his hands up trying to you know claim innocence of like why is he beating up the manager and all this stuff and and of course, McMahon's trying to defend like the Junkyard Dog is you know, well within his rights to attack Jimmy Hart for all the stuff that Jimmy Hart's done to Junkyard Dog over the last year. 
So they go to commercial and they get back in. Adrianus is just getting back in and there's more punishment before a two count. And Adrianus gets his leg on the rope to, to break that count. So the dog goes for a falling headbutt at this point, and the ref's not in position, and Jimmy Hart trips him from the outside. So somehow that missing the headbutt stuns the dog enough, so Adrian Johns finally, for the first time in the match, you know, it's his turn to start laying out some beatings. But oddly enough, he gets up, and he starts essentially, like, he... I don't know how to describe it. He basically forces the ref into the corner and is shielding the ref with his big body so he can't see, and Jimmy Hart is tying up Junkyard Dog's leg to the bottom rope with the scarfs. So now Junkyard Dog is, like, trapped... And nobody, the ref never notices this. And Junkyard Dog is basically in this position for quite a while. He's kind of on the ground and he, he doesn't get out of it for a while. So at that point, Adrian comes over with like, you know, big, big elbow. And he's choking him while Hart's distracting the ref. And then when the ref takes Adrian away because of the choking, that's when Jimmy Hart comes in and he punches Junkyard Dog in the face. <laughs> Little tiny Jimmy Hart. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised he didn't break his hand. Yeah, I got to see some great, I, I was looking at one of the shows that showed Kaufman and I got to see lots of great Jimmy Hart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Kaufman and Jimmy Hart had some real good comedy bits together. <laughs> that's awesome, yeah. Let's get yeah. them together, you and me. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Hart started off like kind of like with Jerry Lawler and then at one point it became Jerry Lawler versus Jimmy Hart's like heel of the month you know like right. you would just keep on bringing in new heels to fight jerry lawler <laughs> and it was always jimmy hart versus and whoever versus jerry lawler yeah so it's pretty good so yeah so dog can't get out he's trying to get it jimmy hart but he can't you know can't get his leg off this rope and adonis keeps doing the things where he runs across the ring and you know drops an elbow or drops a knee or you know whatever it is and at one point he's just vicious viciously choking dog and then this is where hebner comes in with not one but two handfuls of hair of adrian adonis and he just starts wrenching him back to the middle of the ring it looks really painful i'm like what the hell that's memorable yeah yeah so adonis does this big running diving punch and covers for two and Jesse, at this point, is calling for the reverse bulldog, which, in my mind, is his DDT that we've seen him do several times. That's what I think Jesse means, the reverse bulldog, because we've seen Adonis do a, sort of a side DDT, does the DDT, but instead of falling straight back, he kind of slides his own legs out to the side and kind of plants the guy. So I think that's what he's talking about. And at this point, dog's legs have finally come untouched. Like this, the scarves have finally broken or whatever. And so Adonis uh, tries a pile driver, and the ref gets knocked out. His feet come up and knock, knock the ref out. So we get a ref bump and then uh, Hart gets up on the apron and he's holding the megaphone. So this is the big, they're trying to finish off the dog. Of course, when they go to whip the dog into the megaphone. Wait, is this going to make Adrian Adonis the number one contender? He gets the dog? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so the megaphone, right? He's waiting. Would you use the megaphone? Yeah, yeah. So he's, so sorry, Jimmy Hart still got the megaphone up on the apron and dog reverses Adrian into the megaphone. So Adrian takes the shot from the megaphone. <laughs> And so it's pretty funny. So yeah, he falls down and dog jumps on him and covers him for the three. One, two, three. And Jimmy Hart immediately comes in and tries to attack Junkyard Dog, but is cut off. Dog's not having any of that. He's not going to let Jimmy Hart get in there. But of course, through this action, the megaphone gets left behind and Adonis picks it up and bang, nails JYD and from behind and just, you know, and, and I think dog falls out of the ring and he's just completely out. And it's really funny. Jimmy Hart and Adonis are hugging and like claiming victory in the middle of the ring. And then they look at the ring announcer when the ring announcer starts. And it's like they're waiting for the results. You know, like yeah, as, if they, as if they don't know what the guy's going to say. We still got a chance. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so then, and you see Hebner's trying to help up the dog. And they announce the, you know, Dunker Dog is the winner. And they just freak out. And at one point they cut back to Adrian Adonis. And he's like a four-year-old child, like on his stomach, on his, you know, in the middle of the ring, pounding his feet in his fist. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really funny. <laughs> oh boy did we hate him yeah 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 
Well, part of it because like we also saw a different version of Adrian Adonis, a cooler. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So talking we were, about all his money and his cars and his women. And, yeah. So yeah. we were really like, no, don't turn him in this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was a, a, a actually now that I um I made the joke, but uh, Adonis did get to wrestle Hogan, and and they were thinking of you know doing a title chase, but there was an incident with Dan Spivey that I previously botched on another early episode of Legendary Wrestling Obsession, but you know the interested fan can go and. Just Google that, and you'll hear different yeah. wrestlers give their perspective. Yeah, on... like anybody, he he had title shots against against Hogan, but not a prime time spot. He didn't get like a Saturday no. main event or something like but that. The, which, but apparently, which might have happened. You know, apparently that was going to happen. Yeah, but it didn't. So we get our final Hogan update after this. Uh, so Mean Jeans with a doctor or supposed doctor, Doctor Ponovich, and he discusses how there's injuries to the lower back and the ribs and neck. And they're sending him for x-rays to make sure that there's... And they, they ruled out any internal bleeding. The doctor prescribes a lumberjack match in two nights. That's right. <laughs> so you go to your commercials and you come back for your final goodbyes. And they run you through the Mr. T highlights. They run you through the Hogan highlights. So they're really like playing up the, you know, the fallen hero, so to speak. And then McMahon lets you know that this, you know, the hoaxer has been quoted as saying no one will keep him down. And he's leaving the hospital in a few hours and he will be back. And Jesse says, I always knew that guy was more guts than brains. <laughs> Throws in one last dig, and Vince McMahon lets you know that in two months, on May 3rd, the next main event, and you go out to the Real American video, and <laughs> again, so kind of, you know, end up through the credits, so you, have, you can watch that stuff again, so. Now, when will WrestleMania 2 take place? April 7th. Okay, so, right, that's, and come back in May when, well, you know, let's, let's just wait at WrestleMania. <laughs> Okay, so we got two thing, two pieces of business left to do before we can wrap up for today. So just a real quick what if segment, and more so just because we're such lovers of Paul Orndorff, and I think that like he was kind of pushed to the background here. We've talked about like you know the fact that he doesn't get to he doesn't get to like you know have big matches on Saturday's main event for a couple of. We just like to point out that it is a platonic admiration relationship right. that we have. <laughs> we are not the that. lovers of Paul Orndorff. <laughs> right. We're not getting off. We are not Paul Orndorff's lovers. We are just <laughs> man. You can put your foot in your mouth so much. <laughs> but I've never met the man, so yeah, we are great admirers of Paul right. Orndorff. Fans, fans, <laughs> keep it clean. We love Paul Orndorff. That's what I thought That's, I said. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said we are great. Lovers. You said we are lovers of Paul Orndorff. <laughs> ring rats. With, what do they call them, boys? Yeah, Those yeah. ring boys? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. So he, as we said, like he kind of, you know, he goes through, we see Orndorff. Even in, in the lead up to this, he's still doing a lot of house show stuff with like, Piper and Orton, but that storyline's kind of on TV is kind of fizzling out. We've talked about at WrestleMania 2, there's sort of this squandering of this like opening match against Morocco with no heat and like no decision. And like, why was that? So when I was trying to find out why Paul Orndorff was wearing his cast, I came across some information and it's kind of like almost like in my mind, someone rewriting history and describing the WrestleMania 2 match between Don Morocco and Paul Orndorff as Paul Orndorff getting revenge for Hulk Hogan for what Morocco did on Saturday Night's Man event. And it was the Battle of the Pile Drivers, and it was Orndorff going for revenge. And it's like, I'm like, gee, that's a pretty good story. Like, had they actually played that up in a big way and put that match in a different spot on the card, like, put them, you know, not opening match, come on. Like, in modern wrestling, the opening match on a pay-per-view actually can be one of the biggest matches because they've kind of figured out you need to start with a, you know, you need to start with a bang. Back at WrestleMania 2, the order was kind of pretty important. Now, this is a weird card because there's three main events kind of thing. Like, each city has to have its own main event. But, like, there's no reason that, like, for example, 
Jake the Snake versus George Wells couldn't have been the opening match. <laughs> like, you know, why was Morocco in, in Orndorff? And why didn't he win the match? And more importantly, and we talked about these things we've seen where, like, Orndorff and Hogan together a couple times that look so great, and like, you know, you know, like mega powers level, like superheroes together. And it's like, as much as I love the fact that the Bulldogs came out to help him, it would have been a lot better if Paul Orndorff had come out to help Hogan, you know, and chase off Bundy and Morocco. And that would have set up that, you know, he could have even thrown some fists with Morocco. And at that point, you know, Bundy takes off and Orndorff gets a few licks in on, yeah, on Morocco. Of course. And you could set something up, right? Like, then that, we wouldn't have remembered it. Exactly. And I'm not saying that there maybe isn't some interview out there where, where Orndorff speaks to this. Maybe yeah. there is, right? Yeah. But I'm saying it's not like the part of the bigger lore. It's right. not part of the, you well, know. I had forgotten. I didn't even remember. Yeah. So I think that was like the big squandered opportunity of no WrestleMania kidding. too. Was like you know, no, it's, it's it's a list. It's it's a a laundry list of squanders, <laughs> a squandry list, a squandry list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. But well, at least they got the Bulldogs and Dream Team right. Yeah, they did that. We did get that. I'll, I'll always have it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so something else really important aired on the same day as Siren's Man Event. So March 1st, Siren's Man Event is on NBC, but earlier that day on MTV, MTV we get the Slammies, the first ever Slammies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a pretty hokey show. It's about 37 minutes or 40 minutes, so maybe it was like an hour-long program or something. Yeah, probably like just under, yeah, they probably had more commercials than normal. It was probably an yeah. hour-long program with extra commercials. <laughs> yeah. Because that's normally 42 minutes, I think, or something. And so they have a studio audience, and they're very uh, enthusiastic. And a wrestling ring in the center is some kind of arena. <laughs> right, that's and right. And then at the edge, you know, like where the goalie or, or, or you know, way yeah, further yeah, away, yeah, yeah, yeah. then they have a stage. So I wonder what the whole evening comprised of. I don't know. Good point. But they've, because, uh, yeah. there were the, some matches or something. Yeah, there was a. There's nothing a, a, listed, though, in the match listing. So, hmm. hmm. Maybe it was just, the, maybe it was the visual. Right. So they have some awards to give away. And they also take the opportunity to have uh, songs from the wrestling album performed. It's, it's lip syncing. But anyway, you get to see Mean Gene and Hillbilly Jim. Basically, all, you know, most of the big stars, Jimmy yeah. Hart, JYD. Actually, Jimmy Hart, he's about the only guy that they let have a live mic. I think so. And so he's great fun. But anyway, the first award is a strange one, you know. I don't, I don't even know if it was best, but best personality. So everybody who was in the video Land of a Thousand Dances was nominated for biggest personality or best for most notable. Best, yeah, best personality. I think. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm not really sure how they figured out the voting system, but um, people still wanted to win this. And uh, maybe, I mean, it's fitting because Piper wins it. And he's the guy who breaks up the That's video right. at the end, you know, by yeah, calling yeah. off. And I was, stop it! All everything! Stop it! You stink! You stink! You know, that was. He was kind of that. In a way, he sort of it felt like he was a star of the video towards the end. Yeah. So he wins that. Great. And we have an appearance by Cindy Lauper. They have a weird. I guess it's a bit later, but they have a bunch of awards that are kind of. Nikolai Volkov wins most ignominious. Yeah. And what does that mean? He comes up really yeah, happy. Right. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, he's yeah. shaking hands. He's really glad. He's super beaming. He's cheeks with him and takes a takes yeah. a fall. <laughs> Big face plant just to get up to the ring. It looked more like the chic of two thousand and eight than it did, you know, nineteen eighty six. And yeah, Volkov's all dressed in some nice clothes and he's happy until McMahon tells him ignominious is an insult and then he's That's like right. I should be tied for second place. You, uh, no, uh, I, I should be second place. All American tied for first place. <laughs> but the whole program was probably appealing to a 13-year-old Jeff at this point. You know, I 
didn't watch Eugene sing right. Tutti Fruity. <laughs> I skipped that. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. The, the, I, I, I didn't have time to watch it all, but I wanted to kind of like make sure I didn't. So I kind of fast forwarded through it and kind of made sure I kind of caught some of it. There's some McMahon has a very specific sense of humor and you know, it's on display here. So one of the weird things is you see Monsoon and McMahon in the same place at the same time. That's a, that's a rare occasion because they kind of play the same role, right? They're the lead, ah, lead play announcers, right. baby faces. They're not together very often <laughs> on TV. So right. this is neat that they're together and they do like open fly joke and they do like Mc, Mc, Monsoon's basically the brunt of a few jokes, you know, mm. like uh, the get like set gags. Right. And Piper, when he comes out to get his award, the award falls apart. And yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure whether that was like done intentionally because then he's going to break up like he breaks up their their podium or whatever or if it was actually a botch who knows and so some of that stuff you know so it's like yeah it's just i guess the bigger question i have is like how the heck did they get back on mtv because i was kind of led to believe maybe that when they stopped running their specials on mtv it was because mtv was asking for too much money from them or too much you know, wanted a part of the business and that's where they made this nbc relationship so it's interesting that they were able to get back onto mtv kind of that quickly and you know what was in it for MTV to run that? Who knows, right? Right. Well, where there's MTV, there's Cindy Lauper, but she <laughs> was in, she was disguised as this producer. That's right. Uh, La Flamme or something. I don't That's know. Right. That sounds right. Really kind of a throwaway. And Hillbilly Jim, you know, I like the song, but I wasn't very interested in watching the lip syncing. And JYD, you know, lip syncing to his song and the lady badly lip syncing to her part. <laughs> so there was sort of best song i guess and, and Jay- they, had, they had some sort of a mtv vj there or whatever who's oh, probably right. a famous Mar- lady at the time but i didn't recognize her martha so. quinn she looks like a little elf beside yeah me. yeah she's she so kinda, short everyone's kind of dressed up in tuxedos and then you throw it to her and she looks like she's wearing like street clothes like yeah, you know she's like purple jeans sweat and, yeah purple yeah. jumpsuit or There's not something. jumpsuit just yeah. purple oh, um, sweatshirt it's, anyway and she's tiny and looks overwhelmed and intimidated each time they go to her that's right so jyd wins the, the slammy for best song and I'm trying to think of the actual highlight of the show. <laughs> well, he, he chases Jimmy Hart at the end. Oh, and, right. Uh, and and pants him again. Pants him again. And, and Jimmy Hart's complaining because he's like, he's, he's, he's complaining that Vince McMahon or Monsoon put the band up to playing out of key. And that's why, you know, his song didn't win because like, yeah. he couldn't sing properly. He was kind of fun. You're off key. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it is kind of funny to see him perform with the band. This band is the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He totally insults his band before the song yeah. starts. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> So the main thing about it is it's just so completely different from what we were watching on AWA a couple of years earlier. Yeah, yeah, a year earlier. <laughs> uh, one year, wow. Or, yeah, and and even you. now, because I do remember, like, I remember the Hawk promo after, you know, um, yeah. Kurt Henning's Hangman, clothes, whatever that was, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. I remember that, like, so that's all kind of happening around the same time. Same yeah, year. absolutely, it's yeah. the same year, so. yeah. Definitely, yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, we're still watching AWA syndicated TV into early January, and this is March. So this is, like, two months away from, like, you know, our AWA stuff is, like, Closer right there. than I thought. Yeah. And here, and here's this weird sort of entertainment spin-off. Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. And a rock and roll. Yeah, you can imagine uh, Vern Gagne is an animated character on a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, one episode I watched, they ended up going to this place run by a retired wrestler okay you would recognize the voice because we watched so much Hanna Barbera and all that yeah, stuff at yeah, the time yeah. so you would recognize him and you know he used to call himself the mask or something but he's just an old grandpa <laughs> kind of guy you know and like at some point there are spooky ghost sounds and like 
Andre wants to get in bed with Hogan. He's like, and like hide behind the guy. <laughs> pull up the sheets because everybody's afraid of the alleged ghosts. And it was kind of like a somewhat Scooby-Doo angle. Like, That's right, totally. Is this the haunted hotel? Like, I'll have to close down because the place is haunted. And, you know, this retired wrestler. So that was almost a Vern character. This right, right. retired guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's about all the Salamis has for us, and that's going to wrap up Saturday night's main event. Number five, from Arizona, the setup for WrestleMania 2. Arizona, who took our jets, but that's okay. We got them yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for, yeah, thank you for taking that team so we could have this other team out of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go New York Jets. Uh, Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg Jets. Next time we're with you, we're going to be going out. We got to turn the channel. We're like, hey. There's something called Jim Crockett Promotions and the superstars on the Superstation. So it's one of their first televised specials. I believe it's their first one. I might be wrong about that. Not really important. So we're going to just kind of flip over and take a little peek at what's going on over in Jim Crockett and the NWA. And we're going to bring all those images from the magazines to life because we didn't start watching any of this stuff until a little bit down the road. And and really the difference, I think that's going to be the biggest thing is the stark contrast of what World Championship Wrestling on Saturday night on TBS looked like compared to anything else we saw. And we're going to find that it's completely different. We all know that like wrestling was at the forefront of the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions, but talking was just as important, and the wrestlers and the managers were given a much bigger platform to show their skills and their talent. And that's what, you know, people just fell in love with this mid-80s, and all of Jim Crockett, really, but, you know, that whole time, and, and it's it's really kind of cool. And I'm familiar with a lot of it from watching rental tapes and stuff like that and listening to podcasts, and it's going to be fun. We've uh, picked out a few episodes of World Championship Wrestling to kind of set the table for the feuds and angles that are going on that lead into this superstars on the Superstation. And when we're done that... We'll jump back into spring with Saturday Night's Main Event 6 when we find out the aftermath of WrestleMania 2. And here we are with the first one that I had on videotape and I've seen, you know, 150 or 200 times. So I might not have to take any notes for that one. I'll just, uh, <laughs> I'll, just I'll recite it word by word. <laughs> Looking forward to it all. Okay, we'll see you next time in the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. Take care.